It's your boy PSSH here with another Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday stream with everyone's favorite harmonica enthusiast, Adam Friendin. A team reigns. Look at this. Look at this. No longer is he everyone's favorite harmonica enthusiast. He's everyone's favorite self aggrandizing. Oh, we finally found it. We finally found the thing that's fun to say. Oh, you got the Look at that. Okay. Look at this. This is a team range. This is a stuttering cream. S class is ask. Anyway, look, I got a little clip here from the Young Turks. Anna Kasparian obviously is doing very important work now at the Young Turks. And since she's um, basically flirting with enlightened centrism here, I feel like we have to we have to compliment her when we have the opportunity. So right. I brought I brought up a little short clip. I haven't seen this video. What is this? Sitch hasn't seen this. This is very important. Very important work that she's doing on the Israel-Palestine thing. So it's a bit serious, but we'll start to like, show off. I feel like it. you're you're preparing me for what? the fact that it's actually not serious. <laughs> what? Okay. Sitch, why do you got to ruin everything? This is very serious. You're like the most obvious person in the world. You're like, this is very <laughs> serious. <Sitch. laughs> this is very serious. Yeah, okay. Sitch, okay. don't mess this up. <laughs> Ready? Okay, Bragging I'm about ready. the pause. Internally, privately, they were concerned that the pause was actually going to reveal just how brutal the IDF's uh, military actions and, and aerial bombardments in Gaza have been. Now, back to the Washington Post. The White House also insists that it has influenced Israel's military tactics, uh, pointing out that more than 100 aid trucks a day are arriving on average in the Gaza Strip. Remember that prior to the war, 500 aid trucks would enter the Gaza Strip every day. So going from 500 to 100, especially with a brutal war taking place, uh, where people are gonna need a lot more humanitarian aid, not really something to write home about if you ask me. The piece also says that Biden has taken- This isn't funny, Adam, what are you doing? What are you doing, Adam? What are you talking about? You said it was gonna be funny. I told you it was serious reporting, man. Okay, okay. How dare you doubt me? Okay. Taking a strong stance against what are you doing? Taking a strong stance against Israeli settlers. So Biden has okay, I gotta say, this what? quote from this one unnamed official, I don't know if they intentionally worded it this way. I don't know why they worded it this way. I'm sorry, I get it. I'm a child. This is not a laughing matter, <laughs> but come on. Biden has banged BB really hard on settler violence and civilian casualties in private, one official said. Now, what does that mean? How hard did Biden bang Netanyahu on settler violence? Well, Biden said that the United States is prepared to issue visa, uh, right. visa bans against Israeli settler extremists who have attacked Palestinian civilians in the West Bank. So that's the threat uh, being issued. <laughs> that was it. That's what you wanted to show me. Oh my God! Look, I agree. I'm a child. Too. <laughs> she does such a good job of keeping a straight face. 
who who said that? Why did they say that? What, That's such a weird what, thing to say. What official? What official said this? Who said this? Biden banged BB. Jesus. Well, Biden's been banging BB for a long time. Now. My God. All right. All right. I mean, listen. You know, he's Biden's got a shit. Listen. <laughs> Sometimes some people in, in, you know, different cultures, they only understand, you know, dominance hierarchies. Okay. <laughs> right. and you have to establish your dominance however you can. Yeah. Who Who is the top in this situation? Is it Biden or is it BB? It's Biden. I mean, he said Biden banged, right? You know, the bang, he's the banger, not the bangy. Oh, I guess so. Right. I guess so. I mean, I'm impressed. I, you know, Biden's age, I didn't think he'd be up for the task. Oh, of course. Every time he talks, he sounds like The Walking Dead now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like how the, from the Washington how gonna... Post. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I just said, how is he going to campaign? Yeah. As I soon know, as he right? starts campaigning, it's over. Well, that's why people are freaking oh, God, out. It's over. You hear him do these these press conferences and you just you hear it in his voice he sounds like you know your your great 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 grandfather called from the grave mm -hmm. yes. it's weird in the washington post article that this quote i believe derives from it says u.s officials said biden has taken a more confrontational approach to israel <laughs> in public and in private bb uh oh biden uh -oh. has banged bb really hard <laughs> In public and in private, huh? Ooh, confrontational I mean, behind closed doors. That's definitely a much more confrontational approach. It's like, listen, you got to pull out of those <laughs> of that West Bank, okay? Yeah, it's funny. Like, um, you got. I want you to be the pullout king. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's pretty bad. Like on uh, on Twitter, someone you know tweet out some journalists tweeted out this line um and it has like you know a lot of views and no one's laughing about how ridiculous this line is. <laughs> no because look because it's possible it's serious no anna did a good job of keeping it together but if you if you catch there's like a she can see it coming <laughs> there's like a, mm -hmm. a tiny little giggle in the beginning of it yeah, because like, they oh put up the God. quote for like a quarter of a second, and then she starts laughing because it's such a ridiculous thing <laughs> to say. Who 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 said this? What were they th like? What were they trying to say? What do you she think is... they were trying to say? <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at this. Look at this. This is not a laughing matter, but come on. Oh no, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> see, there you go. <laughs> That's why. Look, you know, Anna pushed for this in the production meeting. And it's like, <laughs> she's thinking, she's thinking, why did I do this? Why did I do this to myself? Why did I do? look? I was laughing with all my, all my production assistants. We we're having a good time. Mm -hmm. I thought this will be great. Now that I'm here live talking about this very serious story, mm -hmm. I, so uh, I completely like, regret this. I made a huge mistake. Taking a strong stance against Israeli settlers. Look right there. <laughs> she knows it's coming. She yeah. knows it's coming. She's yeah. like, oh, oh God, why? Who put me? Who put you up to this, Anna? Come on, we know you're innocent. Look, we know you're a journalist. No, you're probably right. She's like, listen, I really gotta. This is quote hilarious. I have to read it. Oh uh, yeah.
comedy gold. I, I just I'm just trying to think like what what did the person what was the word they were trying to look for when they said banged? <laughs> like the Biden harangued but BB really hard? Like what that doesn't sound right. It can't be harangued. He pushed, he pressured Biden. I mean Biden pressured BB really hard. Right? Like just what were that's such a bad like if if you give that quote, did he immediately be like, "Listen, don't say banked, okay? Give me a different word here." The journalist was like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll say a different word there." Sure. <laughs> here, let me rephrase that. No, I already took the quote. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. Runs away, <laughs> Runs away really quick. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I already got All the right. quote. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Jocko. Oh, I was gonna say in that. That picture they had of Biden, it looked like he was mid bang too. Oh, okay. Okay, so what is this Jocko Willink thing? Because I haven't listened to this either. Well, obviously, I'm just. So we've been talking a lot about the Israel Palestine stuff, and mm -hmm. we're we're both making a selectorate theory, dictator's handbook type argument that Hamas is a criminal gang that is basically using the Palestinians as a pawn to maintain power in the Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. I think that's a solid thesis, but there's a couple of clips from the Jocko Willing where he has experience in Iraq. I believe it's Iraq. It might be Afghanistan. And kind of he's giving his backstory on his experience and it just completely lines up with selectorate theory. Oh. So he's he's postulating that Hamas is kind of the same situation going on that was going on in Iraq. This, which it's just look, we're trying to share with people in the world that this is kind of how power is structured, how political power is structured, whether it's a autocracy or a democracy. And I do think the majority of the population does believe the idea that people rule alone which contradicts the first rule of selectorate theory right no man rules alone right so i just you know this is a learning opportunity i see a lot of news around the hamas palestine israel conflict that just seems completely incorrect <laughs> because it's you know a lot a lot of the frustrating stuff obviously is the open air prison, the concentration camp narrative, which I think is completely untrue. Also one of the narratives that's, that's going around that I don't particularly like is that the Palestinian people love Hamas and Hamas is there, you know, they elected them 19 years ago and are still hunky dory with Hamas ruling in this way like people are happy that they invaded israel and started this war that's getting all of their businesses and homes destroyed i find that hard to believe what what is your what is your intuition on that um do you hear that background noise or is it getting cut out i hear nothing okay good um i think i hear nothing there, there's some confusion <laughs> there's confusion in that um well let me say this before i get into that regarding selectorate theory i think the, the good way to think about it is a lot of people focus on the ideology <clears throat> which is always important but they miss the selectorate theory 
And the way that I hear the visual metaphor would be that like selectric theory is the light source and the ideology that the group has is the lens that focuses the light source. Right. That's a so, great way to think of so it. So selectric yeah. theory is always going to be the underlying energy, the underlying source that, that power has to flow through, that you have to rule with other people. You have to build winning coalitions of people and you have to basically bribe those people through money, power, ideal ideological promises, something. You and that's how you kind of maintain your power base. And therefore, the way to predict what people do is, well, what's going to help that are leaders that are in leadership positions is, you know, what do they have to do to maintain their power? That's generally going to show you the action they're going to try to engage in. And right. then that, the way, and then like the flavor, the way that that looks is going to be dependent and different according to whatever ideological lens they're operating under and the people that they need to, you know, do what they need, what ideological lens they operate under. So that's the first thing. In, in regards to how the Palestinians in Gaza feel about Hamas, um, you know, I think a lot of people in Gaza are, are like hate Israel and uh, hate Israeli people. And they're totally, a lot of them are probably, you know, cheering on when they, you know, did this violent action, cheering on, you know, Israeli people being slaughtered and are totally fine with that. Um, but I don't think that that necessarily translates into them liking living under Hamas in terms of Hamas's governance, in terms of what Hamas is doing for them. Because as I believe that number one, a lot of people you know, do realize, okay, Hamas doing this is going to lead to us getting like, you know, bombed, you know, to hell is going to lead to us, you know, suffering all these tragedies and all this horrible stuff is happening to us. And then also number two, a lot of people realize like, you know, our own lives are not really getting better under Hamas. It's just sort of, if you're in the mindset of, of just rage and revenge, then you'll like Hamas. But if you're in the mindset of like actually wanting to build something better for yourself and your family, it's very clear that Hamas is not actually doing that. And then number three, obviously, since, you know, the way Hamas operates is like a criminal gang that extracts money and resources and tolls from all the other citizens that are not part of Hamas that obviously weighs on them and they go, well, this sucks. Yeah. What am I getting for these taxes? Yeah. You're getting Israel blowing you up is what you're getting. Right. Yeah. I love the lens analogy. That yeah. the ideology is the lens. Because you can think of it as, you know, a lens has to be crafted in a certain way to take advantage of the light. Right. Know, that's like an innate structure of the universe. So if you have an ideology that doesn't function with this selectorate theory sort of idea, like it's not going to, it's, it's not going to be an effective ideology, right? Okay. A lot of these ideologies do offer people certain sort of psychological help. Uh, you know, some people can gain power through these ideologies, which is a way that they can use the selector theory. So that's a really helpful way to look at it. Well, and the, the reason selector theory is true and is always true is because power in reality among humans is always a competitive market. There's always various groups of people fighting each other for power and influence. Yeah. And so if you have one person who's like, I'm a true, you know, I'm motivated entirely by my religious ideology 
and they're competing with a group of people who have religious ideology, but are motivated by gaining power, you know, nine times out of 10, the person is motivated by gaining power since they have a different view and a different game that they're playing, they're just going to win that competition because they're yes. actually, that's the goal that they're actually seeking after. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of like if you had a bunch of different AI models all running and you're like, okay, I'm going to program, you know, some of them that the primary motivation is to, is to organize people in a hierarchical power structure to gain more power versus ones that are going to be, you know, uh, seeking their primary goal is to, you know, uh, be radical Islamic people or to be socialists or whatever, the people seeking power, that that model is going to one is going to be the one to win power the majority of the time. And that's that's the reason why selective theory is just true. Yeah, I see them sometimes I read these foreign these what what do you call it? Uh these magazines about foreign affairs and stuff like that and it's just it's everywhere in those magazines like i yeah. feel like it's totally been integrated into the foreign affairs apparatus now like and it's what i don't i don't know if it's actually in the clips that i picked out for the jocko thing but jocko actually talks in this talk this talk's really good you should listen to it, the whole thing such but he talks about how there was sort of a learning curve that they had during I Iraq and Afghanistan, mm -hmm. which made me think, okay, well, they don't really understand the power lens quite yet. <clears throat> oh God, I'm dying. My throat, my throat hurts all of a sudden. So here, we'll listen to a little bit of this. Let me get the right window up here. You can react to it. But hearts, minds, and wallets, uh, very important, and I, that's that's where you make true progress in these situations. That's why it's interesting because, as I understand it, the most important thing that happened during the you know campaign against Al Qaeda in Iraq was separating the jihadists from the local population. Uh, the worst critics of Israeli military strategy would say that hasn't happened at all. Uh, if anything, you've seen collective punishment, the denial of water, some of the general treatment, even some of the calls, you know, just generally for making the Palestinians and all of them pay a price. From a military perspective, why is that the wrong thing to do? So you see, he does frame it in terms of separating the power structure from the populace, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the population that's being ruled over, right? which I think is very, very important, right? Those people haven't had an election for 19 years, okay? They elected mm -hmm. Hamas, and they've had no way of removing them from office. Hamas went around and killed all of the competing party members. So even if they did have an election, all those guys that might have competed for in the election against them are dead. Right, right. Just from a conceptual level as, as opposed to tactics. Why is it the wrong thing to do to not try to separate the jihadists from the civilian <laughs> population? Well, it's for what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> it's for what you just said. Uh -huh. If you treat everyone in Gaza as if they're Hamas, then you're gonna end up inflicting harm on people that, as I said earlier, may on the surface support Hamas, but they live with Hamas. Right. That's who they live with, that's who their government is. That's who is going to give them or not give them food, give them or not give them water, give them or not give them medical treatment. That's who's doing it. So if they don't build, if you're a local Palestinian and you live in Gaza and the government is Hamas, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna are you gonna be the one that stands up and stages a rebellion? You can, 
but what's gonna happen to you? You're gonna get killed. So what do you do? You try and keep your family safe, you try and do, do what you can to get by. And part of getting by is showing support to the government. So that's what they're doing. So now if we start treating, or if the Israelis treat everyone there as if they're Hamas, they're gonna inflict harm on people that are not Hamas, and that is going to end up being problematic. Now, there are some people that- And also, if you if you treat everyone like they're Hamas, then they're going to become Hamas. Exactly, um, yeah. Because it's kind of like, you know, we see the same thing kind of here with identity politics with a lot of people where they're like, you know, a lot of more and more white people kind of have jumped on the the uh, bandwagon of white identity politics, you know, bordering, yep. you know, on some level of of that to ending in white nationalism. And it's like, and a lot of times you you listen to people who say like, oh, if I'm being called racist, you know, I might as well be racist. Or if, you know, uh, non-white people are going to basically leverage their race against me, you know, I might as well you know, I need some defense against this, right? And the defense against this is, um, you know, just to do the same tactic, to leverage your racial, you know, group against, you know, the other group, which obviously this is the completely wrong and shitty way to deal with the problem of identity politics, but it's the road that a lot of people will take. Right, yeah. Well, I've I've used this analogy a lot with this situation. Like if the mob shows up at your business and says, you know, we're offering you protection, right? When there's an right. implied threat there that you're gonna you're gonna buy protection from us or you're gonna need protection from us. It's basically like extortion. Mm-hmm. If Hamas is operating that way, I mean, is the support really there for Hamas? Right. Yeah. So, but a lot of people they don't want to. They want this to be very, very black and white so that they can feel good about. You know what's sure, sure. what's going on with the population. Obviously, right. I feel horrible for the Palestinian people because I do feel like they are pawns, they are innocent people. So it's just it's a messed up situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I feel like it's probably one of those situations where you know the people of Gaza, you know, they hate. You know, a lot of them don't like Hamas, um, but they just hate Israel more. <laughs> Well, even if they love Israel, you know, they to death, can they really come out and say that? Sure, sure. I yeah, they, they can't, but I think that's probably very low minority people that are in that game. Really? Yes. Yeah. Well, the part of the problem is there's they're completely separate populations, but there are I think before this happened there was a thousand to fifteen hundred people that had work visas inside of Israel. So there are Gazan people that are going into Israel to work, right? Sure. Do you think those people who are working with Jewish people every day, do you think they hate the Jewish people? No. Well, I don't know. They probably well, first of all, that's very like fifteen hundred out of two million is not a lot, right? Right, right. But I'm just saying, look, the pot once a population is split off like that, you've never yeah, had yes. any re- yeah. interaction with a Jewish person. It's very easy for Hamas to convince you that they're, you know, evil. Right. And to say, like, listen, you're, you know, you're growing up in this uh, place Hellhole that has all these economic them. problems, all these problems. Yeah. It's because of, you know, these Jews, these Israelis over there that you've never interacted with, that they're subjugating you. You know, and we're just also subjugating you to get by to the, like to fight them. You know, we have to subjugate you to fight them. You don't understand. Yeah. Well, they're leaving. I'm sure they're leaving that part out of the equation. 
Sure. Why would you tell them that? Well, no, but they just say it, but they say it in a nicer way. They're like, listen, we have to do this to fight them. You don't understand. This is the only way we can be free is to, you know, quote, subjugate you. (laughs) We'll listen to a little more and then we'll maybe jump forward. That make this reference to, you know, if you kill one innocent person, you've just created five more terrorists. I have not found that to be true. Interesting. I've not found it to be untrue. But it is not completely true. Hmm. There are times that most of the time, the local populace, they recognized the difficulty of the job that was happening. And so when an innocent civilian would be killed, of course, they'd be heartbroken. But there was also the recognition that, oh, we, we know what you guys were trying to do. We know that my son was in the wrong place at the time, wrong time, and that's what happened. And of course, you know, we would pay them money to, you know, apologize for what had happened when civilians got killed. So, and and it would rarely would you see that kind of animosity. In fact, most of the time, the animosity was directed towards the insurgents hmm. and not towards the coalition forces. So, I would my guess is that in Gaza you would find some of that as well. Again, I haven't been to Gaza. But my guess is, if you're a normal Palestinian and you're not a Hamas supporter and one of your family members gets wounded or gets killed, sure, you might be mad at Israel, but I bet you're a lot more angry with Hamas for putting you in this situation in the first place. Hmm. So I, I, I think that Israel's probably aware of that as well. And I, I think that Israel's weighing that to the best of their ability to try and keep the local populace safe. I mean, they're setting up these corridors. You can see people leaving through these corridors. They're doing the best they can. This is a terrible situation. Mm-hmm. This is this is a nightmare. This is a nightmare to try and solve. He brings a very interesting idea that I assume is based off his experience in Iraq, which is that you know there were lots of people which makes sense that we're able to understand, you know, that the Americans were not like trying to just kill innocent civilians. Right. You know, they're trying to, to kill these insurgents. They're trying to take out these insurgents and like a lot of bad stuff goes down there. Um, but so, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's very interesting and it's good that people have that understanding but I don't I wonder how much of that translates to Israel because like I'm sure there's lots of Palestinians in Gaza who view what's going on as Hamas's fault. They they view it as like Hamas basically, you know, uh punched the bees nest and then ran away and then the bees came. Right. Like right. I'm sure a lot of people view it that way. Yeah. But it's a little different because like in Iraq you know, a lot of the people, not all, but a lot of the people that the Americans are fighting were, you know, Saddam's forces were the, uh, you know, the Sunnis, um, you know, against the Shias. And so there was already like, a, like if you're an American force and you're trying to like get rid of some, you know, Saddam Sunni loyalists and you're kind of like protecting a Shia a person. Like I, it makes more sense that they were like they already have like a line that they're not going to like this the insurgent for some like civil war racial religious reason that is already embedded within the culture, where with the Palestinian 
uh, Israel Hamas thing. They don't. That doesn't exist. That div- that division doesn't exist between the Palestinian population, the Sunni yeah, Shia division. Right. The Pals- like the Palestinians are not like they're not. I mean, to my understanding, there's not a bunch of Gazans running around like, oh, Hamas is part of some different, you know, sect that was that is now engaged in a civil war against us. I'm right. sure there are Sunni and Shia in Gaza. I'm not sure what the numbers are, though. But that mm-hmm. does factor into a lot of these Arab countries that are. I think I think Shia is eighty percent of Muslims are Shia, and twenty percent of all Muslims are Sunni. So Shia vastly outnumber Sunni. Right. But there are situations, in, and and in most countries, it's predominantly. Shia or predominantly Sunni, even though there's a dispa- disparity. So Iraq was a, a kind of an outlier in the fact that it had Sunni leadership and a predominantly Shia population. So right. that added to the conflict. But I understand exactly what you're saying. I think, you know, if you're if you're going in, your troops on the ground, okay, so you're engaging the enemy every single day. You're in firefights with these people. I think it becomes obvious to the population, any anyone who's there, if you're not shooting at them, you know, you're taking them into account, you're not taking shots because there's innocent civilians around, things like that. I mean, it would become very obvious if the forces were acting prudently or they were just acting belligerently. And I, they probably take that into account because they're like, look, if we go in there, like a bull in the china shop the populace is going to turn on us in no time at all mm-hmm. but if we are if we are prudent and and only focus on the enemy then we will probably gain continue to gain the public support so right that's right. that's what i'm thinking is happening and once they did what they called the surge in america where they really did start coming out of the green zone and really start trying to police these areas and interact with the local population uh, they did start getting the populace to to turn in their favor cuz look all the people want is security that's what they want <laughs> like if you're in gaza and you own a restaurant or a business or something like that you got a family you got kids to feed the last thing you want is a war rolling through right the people right. who want the war are the people who got nothing to lose. Like they're these unemployed kids who just are full of rage, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So those those two forces are at odds with one another in the entire situation. So, but uh, I think we'll just do a little more and then we'll jump forward. Uh, according There's to it. the CIA, mm-hmm. if you trust them, they say. Uh, ninety to ninety-eight, ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent of uh, Palestinians in the Gaza Bank identify as Muslim, predominantly Sunni. Sunni, okay, interesting. So <laughs> that's hilarious because I was thinking this: like, if the if the Sunnis and the Shia hate each other as much as like everything that I read shows that they're just they don't like each other at all. Um, so a lot of people, if you're in the minority, you might you immigrate to some place where you're going to be in the majority. And I wonder if since Sunnis are outnumbered in a lot of places, they immigrate to Gaza. Wait, did you say the Sunnis are the majority or the minority? S- Sunnis are the minority. 
I think she, I have it backwards. She, what is, look up the population of all Muslims. Sunni Islam is the largest branch of Islam. It, oh, it followed, is? Yeah. So I think you're reversing it. Okay. Yeah. Sunni is the larger one. Shiite is the smaller one. But in Iran, I mean, in Iraq, it was the opposite. Shias were the, the majority and Saddam right. was uh, a Sunni. Okay. So that makes more sense. Then. Right. Okay. Yes. So it's like 80, 20. I got that right. Correct. Something like, yeah, 80, yeah. 85%. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, okay. That makes more sense that the majority of the Gazans are the majority of the Muslim right, right. population. Yeah. 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 All right. We'll go a little more. It is, is a problem that no one is going to come out of unscathed. It's not going to happen. It's getting into a knife fight. When you get into a knife fight, you're going to get stabbed and you're going to bleed and the other person is going to bleed and die. And that's what's going to happen. So thinking that we're going to go into a knife fight and you're somehow going to miraculously not get cut, not get wounded, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So that's that's the situation that Israel's in right now. Uh, it's true. I've described it as a Gordian knot. I think that's... Okay, we'll jump forward here. A Gordian knot. Yeah, I know what that is. I'm educated. What is a Gordian knot, Adam? Tell us with your big brain education. A Gordian knot is some knot from greek mythology that mm -hmm. was had this super intricate sort of tie and some king or god or something like that was offering some prize to anyone who could untie the knot mm -hmm. and some some hero came up maybe hercules i don't know <laughs> maybe how am i Look, no, let me finish and then you can tell me how I did it. Okay, okay. Some 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 badass came up to the Gordian <laughs> knot and he said, I know how to untie this motherfucker. Mm -hmm. And he took his sword out and he cut the knot in half. He said, Fuck you. I don't play by the rules, bitch. There you go. There you go. I like how, that. Is that uh am I close? Uh you're close ish. <laughs> uh it was, was it not was it? It wasn't not Hercules. Hercules. Okay. No, it was Hercules would have just ripped it apart with his hands. Oh, okay. uh, it was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Yes. Yeah. 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 Who took over the entire world before he was 30 years old. How's that and then for died. a badass? Yeah. Yes. I think I remember reading somewhere that Alexander the Great's favorite dish was one of my favorite dishes. Oh, wow. I guess you're the reincarnation, huh? Potatoes and onions. Um, Yes. Potatoes and onions? That's not potatoes a dish. And those are onions. those are two ingredients you put in other dishes, Adam. Look. <laughs> potatoes potatoes and onions like sautéed. Well, I guess yeah, very yeah, tasty. Yeah. Very delicious. But yeah. on their own, you just you just eat potatoes and onions with nothing else. Well, That's I mean, weird. nowadays we have all kinds of great sauces and stuff like that, but okay. I don't know. Yes, I remember reading that about Alexander the Great and I thought this guy is a badass. Mhm. Mm Supposedly Alexander the Great was in the shadow of his father, and that's why he did what he did. They talk about Alexander the Great in that book, The 48 Laws of Power. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever read it. No. They have some good stories about him. Yeah. They talk about him in the the being in the shadow of a great man. Interesting. So let me see here. I think we're about the right spot siege warfare and listen i look at a tunnel I'll, I'll drop a microphone in that tunnel and listen listen to that tunnel for three days hmm. 
Why am I going in there? I'll listen. Oh, put a camera down there. Put dogs down there. Put, um, cut off the cut off the power. I'm gonna do all kinds of things before I send my guys down there. Right. So I think that's where. And what's nice about that is that also provides us more opportunities to help the civilian populace. It gives us a more opportunity for discretion between civilian popul- populace and Hamas fighters. So I think Israel ha- it l- certainly appears that Israel has taken a uh, has shifted their mentality. And they're now into a slower, more methodical phase of the war. Looks more like siege warfare. I think that's good. And I think they're moving in the right direction. Mm. And I also think they recognize that Hamas might have the will, but they don't have the means. And and I I also think they're probably, they're on the ground talking to the locals. So this was four days ago. Um, So I'm assuming what he's saying is that the... He's saying moving away from just the bombing campaign is what yeah, he likes. That's, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Okay. We, um, they are, Israel is kind of losing the optics war with all this heavy bombing. Yeah. A lot of well, civilian casualties going on. I mean, something like what, how many casualties? I don't know um, if there's good numbers or not because well, obviously I know, the, I know. the, the casualties are being pr- reported by. Right, Hamas. There's, I guess, also forty hostages that Hamas isn't even in control of. That some other organizations popped in and stole a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. K- kidnapping for ransom is a way that a lot of these terrorist organizations make money. Right. So something in the realm, you know, because you know, who knows? Something in the realm of like. 1400 I mean 14,000 to 20,000 seems to be the numbers that people cite which is horrifying right I feel horrible for the Palestinian people I do I feel like they're obviously I mean they're as innocent as the people who who the Hamas people went in and murdered I, I just look some of them weren't even alive a lot of them weren't even alive when they had this election 19 years ago. So I don't know how you can, how you can say these people, a lot of people want to say that they want to blame the Palestinian people. They, and they use this train of logic that, well, they voted Hamas in and they're getting what they deserve. Right. Right. So, but I just, I can't do that. Not in this situation, not when the election was 19 years ago and these, these public opinion polls i don't know who's doing these public opinion polls but you know if you're if you're in prison and they're doing a public opinion poll about how you like the aryan brotherhood you know the aryan brotherhood can come along and shank you any freaking minute like how are you going to answer that public opinion poll Mm -hmm. it's just it's not you can't get a a good read of the populace in this situation it's just impossible yeah, preference falsification is going on all over the place. People mm-hmm. are keeping their thoughts to themselves. They're like, rah, rah, Hamas, right? Right. I don't want to get disappeared in the middle of the night. It was, um, the elections were in January of 2006. So it's 17, almost 18 years ago. Right, so yeah. Close enough. And yeah. Su- supposedly half the population is like under 20 or something. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, so I don't know if there were many four-year-olds voting in the in the election right but you know you brought up a good point to me off stream the other day 
where you were talking about, you know, the way that people view, the way that like humans intuitively view morality is through kind of fairness. like by fairness, proportionality, like yep. yeah, proportionality <laughs> and reciprocal fairness. And so it's like, as the number gets higher on the Palestinian side, it just gets higher and higher and higher. That's the intuition that drives people to say like, wow, this is like really, you know, you, this has gone past the point of acceptability because the numbers, you know, too high. It's, it's crazy. Cause this is the intuition that made me bet money on Trump winning the 2016 election because he framed everything in fairness by proportionality. Right, right. Same exact intuition going on here sure. for something completely different. People are going, look, they kill 1400 Israelis and you're, you've killed 10 times that many. How's that fair? Yeah, no, Which, I, I believe, I mean, I agree, but I believe that the intuition for fairness and proportionality is something that is built into human brains. I don't oh, think it's innate. Just, yeah. Yeah. Now, like yes. obviously through a lot of history, people never cared about that, but I think they intuitively understood it. Yeah. I just, they have a, they have a mission to accomplish. So the Israelis are not thinking in terms of, they're like, we're going to kill as many people as we need to kill to, to accomplish the mission. Yeah. I mean, obvious, well, obvious, that's not fair because they're going to try to avoid civilian deaths, right? Sure. Yeah. But what I, what I haven't heard a lot of people, for all the people I hear that are like either criticizing or praising it, I've never heard a good video, and if you have one, send it to me, um, a good video that talks about like the actual bombing campaign and what the strategy, is there a strategy there? What the strategy is there? Um, you know, to either say like, oh, they're doing this stuff to do, to accomplish this military objective, or someone giving a counterpoint where they're saying, oh, is this is proof that Israel is just causing, you know, chaos and harm because they're not following some military objective. Like I've heard people make these statements, but I've never heard someone like who seems to know what they're talking about with military tactics actually break it down and explain it like on a, you know, some kind of factual level. And I don't know if that's just because it's like in the fog of war, maybe that's just too difficult to do. And it's not going to be till like a year afterwards that all the military, you know, nerds are going to get to analyze all this stuff. He, they talk about bombing campaigns and the, and bombing buildings in this talk. I don't think we we're going to listen to the clip, but mm -hmm. just the, he lays it out that in Iraq, they would be dealing with insurgents that would be inside buildings, right? So there's two ways that you can deal with it. You can deal with it with ground troops, or you can deal with it by airstrike. Uh, Jocko says only five times were they forced to call in an airstrike. And most of the time they would be able to mm -hmm. deal with it with ground troops and also win over part of the population, obviously, because they don't want, you know, take out an apartment building that you right. live in. It's going to piss you off pretty badly. Right. 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 But I'm wondering if a lot of these buildings are booby trapped. And so that's why they have to deal with it by heavy artillery. There's two ways that they deal with it. They either deal with it with tanks or they deal with it with airstrikes. But I, I was listening to something else and they were saying, um, they target the, the buildings that actually have in, that they know insurgents are in and they, uh, take out the stairwells. So they basically trap everyone in the top of the building. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a 
this is strategy in, that they use. Was this in Iraq or is this in Gaza? This is in Gaza, yeah. Oh, okay. They were talking about Gaza. Right, right. Because they don't want to send troops in because a lot of the places are booby-trapped. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I, I would imagine there's some different, there's a lot of different uh, considerations to take into account when you're dealing with people in buildings versus people in tunnels underneath buildings. Right. That too. Yeah. So, and also there's just the, I would imagine the political consideration and emotion and animosity from the attack itself, you know, I imagine has, you know, some effect on, on determining the tactics you know, that's that the Israeli government's going to want to use. That's what I worry about. That's yeah. what I worry about. I worry about the fact that all of these people were civilians a month ago and that they're not going in there and being prudent with the population. They're going in there and being belligerent. <laughs> like, well, I don't, I don't mean, I don't think it, like in terms of like that, like Israeli ground troops are doing that. I'm trying to come on in terms of like the leadership um who's making the decisions on what tactics to use in the first place uh yeah i'm saying yeah. all of them from top yeah. to bottom right right but i don't think those people were civilians a month ago oh yeah the leadership wasn't obviously right yeah. right yeah yeah i i don't know and they're they're not going to report that stuff obviously and the people who the detractors israel israel's detractors are going to come out and say of course they're being belligerent they want to do a genocide here what are you thinking but they don't right. have anything to base that on. I mean, you and I want to think that they're being completely humanitarians and, and worried about every human life, right? Well, I don't, I mean, I would like that. I don't think that's the thought process. I think the thought process is um, we need to destroy Hamas at any cost. We're going to try to, you know, not intentionally kill civilians. We're going to tell them where we're bombing we're going to tell them to move, you know, um, but that there's just sort of an attitude of like, we're going to do this. We will tell you to get out of the way, but we're going to do it regardless of who's in the way or not. That'd be my guess as to what the attitude or approach is to the situation. Yeah. So. Should we go? Should we move forward? Yeah. And as they talk to the Palestinians, what do you think those Palestinians are telling them? You think the Palestinians are saying, Oh, we all support Hamas and we hate you. The, you would probably see a different mentality from Israel if that's what they were hearing from the local populace. The local populace is probably saying, yeah, thank, thank you for coming in. Hmm. We hate these people. And look, are, like I said, are there some Hamas supporters? I'm sure there are. Of course there are. But I, I, don't, I don't think that's what's going on. <laughs> like... Like maybe in a theoretical situation. Well, actually, I don't. Here's the thing. I think he's basing this too much off of his experience. Because um, in Iraq, it's just it's just such a wildly different experience. You have, you know, the majority of the population in Iraq is being subjugated by a religious minority with a leader who they hate and they know they hate. And he does all sorts of horrible shit to them directly. And not like the kind of thing that, like with Hamas, I, I think the, the horrible things that they were doing is that they're extracting resources from the population to continue their warfare, right? I think that's the primary bad thing that Hamas was doing. I don't yeah. think that they were doing things like, I, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think they were doing things to the extent of like Saddam Hussein's son going around like raping, you know, women 
on their wedding nights and just kind of like living like this like insane authoritarian regime i just think it so you have that it's like a it's like a different situation and then when america like comes in and like knocks over saddam like the iraqis you know they don't have like an entire history of belief or thought that america is like the great evil thing that that created the bad situation they're in in the first place the way that the palestinians had with israel so i just i don't think that this necessarily applies to the uh, israel gaza situation yeah he could be wrong he and he says over and over again you yeah, know, yeah, this yeah. is my experience. I could right, be wrong. Right. And in the just... very beginning of the talk, he says, "Look, anyone who says they know what's going on in these situations, who's not there, doesn't they don't know." know. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah, no, and that's good. And the most that, yeah. having ha the problem in a lot of these confrontations is every single war is different. Yeah, you have to have some sort of humility going in. The problem arises yeah. when people don't have humility. That's basically like the intro that he gives into this. So I right. should make that clear. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I skipped all of that. That's <laughs> well, fine. That's fine. Now we're in the full blown speculation part. Right. Of it, right, right. And then I'm just, and to be clear, I'm just speculating too. Like I've never been there. So I'm just speculating on what my information about, you know, the attitudes right. of the Look, region I, and how people would react to things like that. I 100% agree with you that that what he just said probably is not happening. Like people might be thinking it, but I've read enough on the situation that it leads me to believe like they would be terrified of being labeled as collaborators with the enemy. So yeah. they're not just going to saddle up with the IDF soldiers and start right. joking around and sharing cigarettes well, look, and stuff. Yeah. I mean, and look yeah. what, you know, there's those two guys in the West Bank who were lynched because they were accused of being quote collaborators. Was that recent? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was recent, yeah. So yeah, no, this is, and from that book, what they were doing in the prison, they were constantly torturing people. So yeah, <laughs> like what they do to collaborators is not pretty. So the idea that they would, they, but I, I'm willing to postulate that they could be thinking that, but how to, how to side with the enemy and, and do it without being blamed as a collaborator. That's, that's a prisoner's dilemma, right? Right. Straight, straight prisoner's dilemma. Yes. But once you're sitting there in a refugee camp and you've got some medical care for your kid and the Israeli soldiers talking to you and the Israeli intelligence officer is sitting down and wanting to know about what you've been going through. And all of a sudden you're saying, wait, these aren't the monsters that we were told they were. Mm. So that's, that's my assessment. I think that Israel was, is probably making adjustments and, I and it certainly seems as if their adjustments are, oh yeah, we can do this in a more methodical way. You know, I got asked, I was on a panel recently and people were talking about war with China and what would you, what would your, what would your mindset be going in if we were going, if China invaded Taiwan and you were, Jocko, you were gonna be leading troops into the, into the battle, what would you be doing? What would, you, what would your strategy be? And you know, there was a couple other people on the panel and they all gave their kind of assessment of the technology and the peer-to-peer -peer or near-peer adversary and how this is different and these kind of things. and. 
And I said, my, my major mindset would be the mindset that I always have, especially when going into combat, and that is keeping an open mind. Hmm. Because we don't know. And anybody that says they know is arrogant. Yes. You don't know what's going to happen when you engage in combat. You don't know what's going to happen when you start it. You don't know what's going to happen 20 minutes into it. You don't know what the enemy, you don't know how the enemy is going to react. You don't know how your troops are going to react. You don't know how the civilian populace are going to react. You don't know these things. And sure, you can have suspicions. But if you are too married to your suspicions, you're going to get caught in a situation where you're doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. So it certainly appears that Israel, their initial assessment was probably like, oh my gosh, we just got caught off guard. God knows what they have in store for us next next three days. We need to get, we need to establish our, we need to reestablish our footing. That's what they did. Then they said, well, it looks like we kind of got this under control, but I'm not sure yet. We need to put more control. Okay, they got that done. Now they're looking around going, okay, we need to isolate we need to isolate, slow this thing down, and it certainly seems that that's what they've been doing. So I think we're going to see continued modification from Israel. I think they're going to continue to adjust. I think that we are all going to learn, and and I think the world will learn about what Hamas is like as a government mm-hmm. and what it's like to live under Hamas. It certainly appears from the outside that that is not a great place to live. And the chances that people, Palestinians that lived in Gaza, who had lived in Israel, who had lived in other parts of the world, who had lived in in Gaza during different times, that remember that, are looking around saying, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't have to be this bad. So I think that will come to light. And So there's an interesting thing that made me think about, which I thought about the other day regarding the numbers, which is... And I, and, I, and I believe this is also shaping a lot of people's opinion on the conflict. We only hear like a gross number of, you know, this many Palestinians died. Right. Um, we don't really hear like, well, how many of those people are civilians? How many of those people are Hamas? Combatants, yeah. Right, or combatants. We don't hear any distinction. So I think people, when you hear that number, you automatically just think like this many innocent civilians died. We don't really hear anything about, um, I mean, I'm sure the information exists to some extent, but we don't hear about it, you know, in America, in American news. It doesn't seem like there's a big focus on like how many Hamas people died, how many Hamas, you know, uh, sites have been destroyed, like has Hamas been weakened? And it's, it kind of creates this whole attitude of like, I think in people's minds unconsciously that, oh, Israel's just blowing stuff up. They're blowing up all these empty tunnels. Um, they're not really killing any Hamas people. They're just causing like destruction to the Gazan people. And that's kind of like the attitude, I think, that our news media is intentionally or unintentionally creating in the minds of people. Um, but I don't think that that's actually true. And the reason I don't think it's actually true is that Hamas seemed pretty desperate to get a ceasefire going. And right. I don't believe that Hamas is operating from some like massive humanitarian position of like caring about the well-being of the Gazan people. And that's why they're so desperate to have a ceasefire. I'm more likely to believe, under selector theory, that Hamas is so was so desperate to have a ceasefire because they are actually getting uh crippled and taking significant 
losses and having significant damage done to them. Yeah, I look, they're looking for where's, how do we turn the lights off in those tunnels? Right? Mm -hmm. How do we travel them down there without power or running water? <laughs> I mean, no, but I'm, what I'm saying is that to me, the fact that Hamas is so desperate for the ceasefire should be evidence that what Israel is doing is, even though it's killing a lot of innocent people, is being is effective at actually uh, causing significant damage to Hamas and organiz the organization. Right. Look, I'm agreeing with you right. in that there there's probably people stuck down there in a tunnel without power or 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 running water. Right. Right. Which is not going to be a comfortable situation for very long. They're probably thinking, look, our hostages are going to die. And we're screwed. Mm -hmm. yeah. Who's thinking that? Hamas. Oh, right. Yeah. Because if those, it's, it's those, those hostages are the only thing keeping them alive. Right? Right. Yeah. Well, the, I, the hostages aren't the only thing keeping them alive. The hostages are the bargaining chip one of the few bargaining chips they have to gain, to, to grant a ceasefire, really. Right, yeah. Um, That's what they offered. They said, look, we have hostages alive here. You want them back or what? Stop bombing right. the shit out of us. Right. For, like, I don't know if Israel's going in there like, okay, we'll just kill everyone. Like, the if they're operating under the principle that the hostages are probably already dead, then they mm -hmm. have no leverage. It's, yeah, did you see, like, there's a lot of um, really gross shit that Hamas Palestinian apologists did regarding the release of the hostages, where, you know, like, there was some video where there was a woman who was, like, waving at the Hamas people. Some old lady was, like, waving at the Hamas people as they let her go. And there's all these, like, really anti-Israeli accounts on Twitter that were all like, oh, we're supposed to believe that the Hamas people treated them so horribly. And yet here they are. Here's this lady. She's waving like at the Hamas people. And then so, and then people were like, well, if you actually turn the volume up really loud and you, you know, you know, understand the language, you can hear the Hamas person telling her to wave. <laughs> like, it's just so wild to me how easy these people fall for like such obvious propaganda. Right. They're telling her to wave because they still got her daughter or her husband or her sister or something. They're yeah, like, wave they're, they're back, making, bitch, or we're going to kill your kid. Yeah. And as as the terrorists who have held you for over a month are letting you go, you know, and they tell you to do whatever to do to get out, you're going to do whatever you do to get out. Yeah. Look, they still got a bunch of them there. It's these people. Oh, God. They fall for every trick. They fall for every trick. It's, it's very easy to trick a person who desperately wants to believe. Oh, yes. And, yeah. And, you know, you have you have a group of people who just desperately want to believe that Hamas are these, like, valiant, freedom-fighting revolutionaries who are on the side of good. And so they're so desperate to believe that, despite all evidence very obviously pointing against that. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day from you know, second thought in his band of people, oh, the people who, the yeah. Band of Mary Hamas simps. The, uh, it, it was, it was one of the most like baffling things I was ever, ever listening to. They had a, a female streamer on, I forget her name, um, who 
you know, I believe that she was Muslim. I don't remember what country she's from. And, you know, basically she was talking about how all these accusations of rape haven't been um, proven. And she was criticizing the fact she did like the very woke thing where she was saying, oh, well, the only reason that they're saying that, you know, Israelis were raped on the seventh or afterwards is because they're racist and they're racist against, you know, Muslims. <laughs> right. Like like that had anything to do with the, the rape accusations or something, you know, which is just wild listening to this. And it was so funny to hear the the people who called October 7th based. OK, the people that praised what Hamas was doing, called them freedom fighters. Then a few weeks later, they were like, oh, yes, of course, they were saying that the Hamas people, you know, raped people um, because they want to view everything in such black and white, simplistic terms. <laughs> but I was like, these are the people who were looking, watching this thing and saying that this was a good action. And they dare, they dare a few weeks later to criticize other people for having a black and white mentality on what was going on there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like insane. And that this is exactly, you know, the, these people who believe this shit, they just so desperate to believe this shit. Yeah, of course they're going to eat up the fact that Oh yeah, Hamas. They tra they treated all these people. They kidnapped and killed their family. They treated them all so well, you know. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. Someone, one of you guys shared another book with me because I talked about the the Son of Hamas book that I read on the Sunday stream. <laughs> it's Tas Sada. The book was, I couldn't get that book because there wasn't an audible, but I got another one of his books. So I'm reading this book, The Mind of Terror, a former Muslim sniper, explores what motivates ISIS and other extremist groups and how to best respond. He was, uh, I, the after September 11th, they investigated this guy because he, his family knew Osama bin Laden. Mm -hmm. And I guess he was a, a in one of the terrorist groups but he goes through the different terrorist groups and i need to go back and listen to it closer i, I believe he said hamas controls one billion dollars in funding from various sources which is i mean that's a lot of money right <laughs> um but he goes through all the different all the different terror organizations how much money they control how where they get the money where the money comes from that kind of thing some of it is like drug trading. Some of it is foreign aid. So, but he also, he, he talks about one group that not only rapes people, like that's part of their thing. They try to impregnate the people. Like that's their goal is to get the, the people that they abduct pregnant. Where was it? I don't, I don't remember which terror group it is, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty despicable. So just the idea that these people have that there's no sexual assault going on. Of I course. Think. Like, yeah. that's, you're dreaming. Yeah, you're, dream no, you're dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, there were people, there were a bunch of journalists that were, like, describing what they saw in the, um, that video that mm -hmm. they were showing the journalists of all, like, the horrible stuff. And they're talking about how, like, you know, there was some you know, uh, there's like a father and two children that were like in some kind of basement or bunker or something. And they like threw a grenade in there 
and killed, killed the dad. Yeah, killed the father, and like one of the kids was like blinded, and then the other kids are like crying, and the guy just like you know walks over nonchalantly while like these kids are just wailing, and he just like starts drinking soda from their refrigerator, you know, as this is all happening, and it's yep. just hilarious to me. People are like, oh yeah, those people would never rape someone. They're freedom fighters. It's like yeah, what fucking world do you live in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, crazy. There, there was like, look, this, this was, was a tweet, twenty nine thousand likes from these like sickos, and they're like, they have a picture, you know, one of these. So this is another thing that like was like insane, and I was looking into this, and I was thinking about doing a video, but I, I guess we're not gonna do it. It's kind of too obnoxious to do the research for, um, because I saw, you know, Jimmy Dore was kind of simping for this, and a lot of people have been simping for this where they talk about how a lot of the uh, prisoners that the Israelis are releasing to switch for hostages, not a lot of them, but like like 20 or 30 of them were under 18. Right. And so there's been this whole thing about, oh, there's, you know, Israel's so evil. You know, you say Hamas is so evil because they kidnapped children and old ladies and babies. But look at all these children that like the Israelis, you know, kidnapped, quote, right? Like, quote, kidnapped. And then if you actually look at, you know, the stories of, of these kids that were in jail, these Palestinian kids are in jail. They're all, you know, like threw a Molotov cocktail at a police officer, you know, tried to stab someone, had a car bomb. Like they all like doing like some kind of like fucked up violent action. Um, and yet they, they dare to try to, to compare them to just random people, you know, living at home somewhere. And one of, one of these accounts, like they have this, they have this picture of, one of these kids that was, uh, you know, accused of doing one of these, you know, violent crimes. And apparently, you know, he had uh, broken arms and they have like a picture of him with like his hands in a cast. And they're like, oh, when, you know, he left Israel, an Israeli prison, he had broken arms. But when this girl left Hamas, she was carrying her dog. Because I don't know if you've seen that picture of one of the hostages, like has her little dog with her or something. They're like, do you guys understand the difference now between Israel and Hamas? This is why Hamas is so much better than Israel. <laughs> these like, these the people fuck? are so such idiots. You know how embarrassing. It's just insane. It's and it's because they just they're so desperate. They're so desperate. This is what like this is what the scary part about propaganda is that the most obviously stupid propaganda will work on people because they want it to work. That right. like that's the real key to um dishonesty propaganda used car salesman like you just have to, like the, the person just has to figure out what it is that the sucker that they're trying to trick wants to be true and as soon as they can figure out what they want to be true that's how they get them it's easier to fool a man than to convince him that he's been fooled yes that's so true yeah. <laughs> that is so true yes yeah, all these people are being played for suckers. Totally. But they'll, they'll never uh, realize insane. it. They'll never admit it. They just hate the West so much. They're just, you know, these, their brains have been wrought on this stuff. They, and they just, they don't, they have zero experience or knowledge of other situations or history. The The whole kid thing. I mean, don't they know about the blood diamonds, the child soldiers in Sierra Leone? I mean, right. they would take these kids all high on cocaine and they would take over a village and murder half the people in the village. Mm -hmm. And these kids are like 10 years old. 
like just because you're 10 years old, like 10 years old in the West means, okay, I don't, you know, if you're raised with Western sensibilities, that's fine. Sure. But you can turn a kid, a 10 year old into a monster. Yeah. And that's exactly what these people try to do. They encourage these kids to throw, throw rocks at settlers, throw rocks at, at, at IDF, throw rocks at anyone in authority. Mm -hmm. That's why they, that's why they're getting shot everywhere. Yeah. Sure. It's sad. I mean, I, obviously I feel bad for the kids. You, if the, a bunch, a bunch of the child soldiers from Sierra Leone were taken over by one of these NGOs and, and basically brought back from just being insane. <laughs> like it's so, it's just, it's so sad how people are manipulated. Mm -hmm. Anyway, do you want to read some super chats or I think I've took it down. I think we're done with Jocko anyway. Okay. So that's pretty much all I wanted to, to, to say about it. Uh, J Mac, our surrogate father. Thanks so much, J Mac, for the 20 yeah. gifted memberships. Thank you. Came in early for that one. Uh, the real Holtonator for $25. Thank you. Says, Hi, Sitchnat. I've been loving the recorded videos. Just a heads up that budget of movies doesn't include marketing, which can be upwards of another $100 million. That's a good point. Uh, S class is the best class. <laughs> also, I hate predictive typing which is why my syntax is always messed up. Yeah, hopefully with um with uh ChatGPT and AI and all that stuff, they'll they'll fix predictive typing to not be so trash. So, that would be awesome. I mean, someone I, left, yeah. Someone left a comment on one of the videos that I was going to bring up. It's uh the Thor director one. Mhm. Mm Taika Waititi? Yeah. What Craig, was the Craig Steven. Mm -hmm. It's a critical comment, but I think it's, I think it's tr true. <laughs> okay. What is it? He says, this is so disingenuous, not a fan of Marvel or, uh, Taki. But if you listen to the podcast, those quotes are from, he's clearly joking. Reminds oh. me of when people were desperate to say Brie Larson co-star, uh, Brie Larson's co-stars hated her citing clips mm -hmm. where they were clearly missing, uh, messing around with her. Like you and I obviously mess around with each other all the time. So, uh, well, it's so petty. So I just look, I, mm -hmm. we should have brought that up in the video. I mean, it, it seemed pretty obvious that he was joking around, but well, okay, we, were, so, we were kind of joking around, but it was kind of unclear. So. Well, no. So I would have guessed if, cause I didn't listen to the podcast, um, and you know you could say that's my fault for not doing that. Um, I would have guessed reading the quote that he was saying it in a funny way. The quote, if you guys, but didn't he see was, it, but he was serious, <laughs> right? If you guys didn't see it, you know we we kind of talked about this um, podcast where uh, where Taika Waititi, the director of both Thor Ragnarok and Thor: Love and Thunder, uh, made a comment about how he didn't really care about Thor or like Thor, and he only did it for the money. Originally, he only did Thor Ragnarok for the money. Um, and I would have guessed, you know, without even listening to it, that, yeah, he said it in a funny voice and he was saying it to be funny. I think I even said that because you said, why would he say this? And I said he said it to be funny. Yeah, you um, did in the end. Definitely. Right. Um, but 
then this is where I get kind of annoyed where people say like, oh, it's a joke. It's like when someone says something is a joke that has a broad range of meaning. Okay. Right. So someone could say it's a joke in terms of they literally don't mean what they say. They mean the opposite of what they say, you know, et cetera, et cetera. When you read the transcript that I saw for that part of the podcast, like he means it and he's saying it kind of a funny way. He's, he's like, you know, he's kind of saying it in a sincere way to be funny. But I don't think what he's saying is, it doesn't read to me as being untrue. I don't think he really was a secret massive Thor fan, um, you know, at least from what I read of that. Right. You know, it seems like, yeah, like, you know, he 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 was being, you know, he was being serious or what he was saying was true, but he was saying it in a hyperbolic way to make it funny. Right. The, the joke was that he was poor because really he was rich, stinking rich. Well, I don't know if that's true. I don't know what his financial situation was before the Marvel but he movies. did it for more money right he's right, like right. look i'm rich already but hey i'm greedy <laughs> right so so yeah i mean i like it's a fair comment and we should have said like yeah you know i'm sure he's joking but i also think it's an unfair comment because i think what he was saying was true i think that's what he actually believed you know when he said that he didn't really care about thor and never was into thor i'm assuming that that is a true statement even if he's saying it in a funny way Right. And we all know everyone was joking around with Brie Larson, but secretly they all meant it. They totally meant it. Well, no, the Brie Larson thing, I think, I think that is fair. And I even said this at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. I I mean, I'd say in a stream, I tweeted it out at some point, I believe, because there were all these videos of people looking at those Brie Larson interviews, you know, saying, oh, this is proof that that all the the cast hates her. And I was like, I don't know. To me, it, it looks very clearly like they're joking. Um, and if they're not joking, I, like you can't tell. It, it, to me, it seemed like a bit, and I thought, it, and I agree that that was unfair for everyone to make that assumption. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, Jacob Lloyd for twenty dollars. Thank you. Says, "Hey, Sitch, sorry if I embarrassed you on Sunday with my super chat. I only meant it in good fun. Well, that's fun. Listen, you didn't embarrass me, Jacob, but thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the money. That's the I'm best glad. way to apologize, right? I'm glad you embarrassed him. <laughs> Adam was happy about it." Also, thank you for your coverage and rebuttal to Breaking Points. I upsubscribed from them for their horrendous Finkelstein video. Yeah, right. I, I listened to part of it. Um, I didn't really get to the meat of it yet. I'm curious to go back and listen to it. I just listened to like the first part where Norman goes on for 20 minutes about like his family. And it was kind of interesting because he talks about how his parents were both uh, Holocaust um concentration camp survivors and after it they became like super or i don't know if it was after it and i wish crystal would have asked this question um he said that when he was growing up with them they were like super duper ultra commie simps they were they were like so commie sympathetic they were huge stalinist norman's parents were huge stalinist which by the way this should come as no shock to anyone right (laughs) yeah i know i was gonna say it must be genetic yeah um but I was wondering, and this is the question I would have asked him, is you, do you know if they were like really commie sympathetic before or did they become commie sympathetic because like, you know, the Soviet, were the Soviet army, the people that like rescued them from the concentration camp? Because if that's the case, I would understand why a person would be so like, you know, Stalin wow. simps at that point, right? Wow. Like they were the ones, they got rescued by the Soviets. Yeah, because it was, you know, uh, there's a lot of American troops, a lot of Soviet troops that were f- freeing a lot of the concentration Interesting. camps. Interesting. And so, yeah, if you were freed by the Soviets, I understand that you would be very 
you know, sympathetic to them, obviously. And he, you know, he said that his parents were so in the camp of Stalin that growing up, they literally in the house, you weren't allowed to insult Stalin or the Soviets. I didn't make it that far. He said concentration camp one too many times. Yeah, you're out. (laughs) Which, though it is a little strange because you're like, okay, if there's such, if there were such Soviet simps, like why are they living in America? Yeah. Why wouldn't you go live in Russia? You're like such a simp for Soviet Russia. I don't know. But Gotta go where so, the opportunity is. Yeah. And so, like, I am, because the thing that does interest me about Norman from, like, because I'm always interested in people's psychology, is what is the psychological scenario that, like, rotted his brain to make him think the way that he does? That <laughs> like, is, that's always the interesting question. Yeah. Like, what is the conflux of psychological variables that made him, like, psycho? you know, the way that he is, though. So. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's got, he did some book where he fact-checked some, some historian of the Holocaust and determined that a lot of it was factually incorrect. hmm This is another thing. He, he, I was listening to some other interview where he was saying, look, I'm a true seeker. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I was thinking, that's just such bullshit. He's not going to admit he's wrong. He's been wrong about so much stuff. Well, he said, um, he said, if he is wrong about something, he'll he'll admit it and like correct. And I'm like, okay, citation needed. <laughs> yeah, is that true? Mo- Mozab yeah. Hassan Yusuf, the guy that wrote "Son of Hamas." Mm-hmm. He would, I followed him on Twitter and he was saying that he's ready to debate anyone on the pro Palestinian side. And I tagged Finkelstein. I saw that. That would be the conversation I would want to see desperately. Yeah. I'm like, here's your shot, buddy, right here. Talk to this guy. He's from Gaza and he was in Hamas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be, that'd be a very fascinating conversation. It would be. Yeah. Cause he can't slink away. Can't slink out of that one. I bet you Norman believes the Newland phone call. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. I bet you. I bet you $1,000 that he believes the Newland phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, fire everything for 60 months of discipline equals freedom. Thank you. Says you guys should go to 45 minutes and 30 seconds. This is the main sticking point for the podcast. Put your kid on and go over there before you start saber rattling. Don't ask for war if you don't know what it involves. We can listen to that. Look, I I totally go over there. I'm uh I'm with him. I'm with him on that. Forty five thirty. Let's see what he says. For sure. All right. Uh, if you had a message, I think, to people who are cavalier uh, in there. So in, in Washington, it's very in vogue to call for war with Iran. It's very in vogue to call really for war with Russia, with anyone. Every, everything starts to become pieces on a chessboard. It's like, oh, well, if they do this, we'll do this. So basically, if you have a message, Jocko, for PSA Sitch, what would it be? <laughs> wait, 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 hold on a second. I've literally never advocated to go to war to any of these groups. Okay. Look, this is this is the this is like the narrative about you and me that we're giant war hawks and that we're we're neocons. We're no, so okay. 
We're, this is what annoys me. We're all like, gun hogue because we un, because we understand the Newland phone call correctly. Right. It's like because I I think that the United States should like give money and weapons to Ukraine. That means I want to send American troops over there. Like I've literally never said that. I've explicitly said the opposite of that. You know, no one cares. This is this is like the whole people want to believe the propaganda that they want to believe. You know, situation. Um, there was like some people that like really wildly were kind of like brain rotted about when we whenever we talk about Iraq, some people's brains just melt. Um, because it's like it doesn't matter that we both say we should not have gone to war in Iraq. Okay, we can say that you can say that like a million times, and then if you say after that, um, you explain like why the conflict happened, how it was really the civil war between the Sunnis and the Shiites. And how it was mostly, you know, America kind of fighting like the former Saddam Hussein uh, army, and and know, that we were trying to establish a democracy. That's not right. a lie. It yeah, wasn't all and just that, for oil, right? And it like when we talk about like, well, we went there for oil. What does it mean? You know, it's not like America's gonna like put a giant vacuum cleaner that says America on it with a with the you know into the oil wells and just suck up the oil and transfer it to America. Because America doesn't even have, you know, publicly run oil companies, you know, it'd be more like the Iraqi government would be paying, uh, you know, oil companies to produce the oil for them. And they would be paying the Iraqis to do this, obviously. And this is what happens all over the world. And that would be beneficial to Iraq, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when I just explain like all these things, it's like, I don't know, people think that that's somehow me saying that it's a good thing that we went to Iraq when I say it was not a good thing that we went to Iraq, you know? So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, there's, there's some people that understand that you can talk about issues um, that are complicated and you can bring truth to issues that are complicated. And there's some people who, if you deviate from any sort of simplistic black and white worldview, they become triggered and the NPC brain takes over and they can no longer understand, you know, reality or the world past that. And they just start shouting thought terminating cliches at you stop you know? running sitch you know you're a neocon warhawk you just want to bomb everything yeah stop uh, running we know what's going on here there you go i'm <laughs> listen it's like some people are like sitch you're too left wing sitch you're too right wing sitch you know you're a neocon now it's like all right whatever this i it doesn't make sense yeah a lot of people were using the argument that we didn't. We shouldn't even talk about Ukraine unless we were willing to put boots on and go over there. I'm like, what? Well, we can't even talk about it. <laughs> we can't even. We well, can't I, even I would, discuss the situation. I would say, if you think that people shouldn't be allowed to talk about or discuss providing material support to Ukraine, uh, without also believe, without also believing that we should send troops to Ukraine or that you personally should be able to go to Ukraine. I would ask you to reevaluate your mental process because there's obviously <laughs> something wrong happening there. That's that is not an opinion that's based in some sort of like honest reflection of reality. You you're you've fallen prey to some form of propaganda if that's your thought process. Now yeah, I don't we, think that is most people's thought process because that's not generally No, it's occurred, just a but, few people. It's yeah, not but, everyone obviously, um, but but that, because that doesn't make any sense at all. But we do, we need to talk this stuff out in case it gets to the situation where people are talking about sending troops over there. We want to I have, don't think we should send, we said this at the beginning, I said, I don't think we should send, that's like one of the first questions people were like, you know, should we send troops over there? And I said, no, I don't think we should send troops over to Ukraine. Yeah. From the beginning. It's, you know, it's like, 
but you can still send them money. You can still send them, you know, weapons. Yes, you're and, clearly articulating a line, but I think it's know, important to get that line out there in conversation before these become a reality. And and so you know, you're you're weighing all the pros and cons. This is how we function as a society. We talk to one another and figure it out. Right. Well, and you know, you had you know, we had that conversation with Kurt, where Kurt was hyper paranoid about uh, World War Three nuclear war. You know, and that was kind of like a common thing that we heard. And I think it's fair for people to be worried about that. Um, but look, that didn't, not only did that not happen, no one is even concerned about that happening at all. That concern, like, they remember there's all this saber rattling and all this fear that if we sent money and weapons to Ukraine, Russia was going to nuke us, right? And start World War Three. Right. That didn't, like, that just, that was so, that didn't happen. And that was so far removed from the table of happening. And the people that, we're afraid of that happening, I think should take the time to reevaluate and say, okay, maybe my perceptions of likelihood of predictions for things that happen in this situation was, was off base. And why was it so far off base? What exactly was, what was I basing that opinion on? Right. So what would your message be to people who are very cavalier in their discussion of the use of force in the U S military? Um, from everybody from the people in Washington, DC that are cheering for war, to the people on the in the streets that are cheering for war on either side, I would say get your shit on, get your gear on, and go go lock and load a weapon and go fight, because you have no idea what you're doing, you have no idea what you're talking about, and you're you're sending young brave people to fight, and you have no idea what it's like. So I'd say if you want war, go get your kid on. Well, uh, I think that's a great place to end it, but I do have one last question for you. Uh, this is as somebody who works up at 4:30 a.m. This may I see. I, I'm worried. I know a bunch of guys who are like, "Yeah, I want war because I am going to get my kid on and go." So I mean, that that doesn't that doesn't make me feel better about some kind of anti-war message. There well, are a I bunch mean, of guys who are in the military who are about going to war. Sure. I mean, yeah. and, and I don't I don't have a problem with the statement. I mean, I think that's fine. I. I I, I agree. If you're going to call for America to go send troops into the ground, <laughs> I think, you know, that's fine to say, you know, are you willing to do it yourself or to send your children to do it? I don't have a problem with that attitude. Cause I yeah, do think, I totally agree. Yeah. Cause I, I think sending in troops, I think getting involved in wars is a, a very serious thing that we should all consider seriously. And I agree that there are too many uh, pundits, especially mainstream pundits, who seem far too flippant about, you know, sending in military forces to cause death and destruction to various places in the world. So, yeah, yeah so I don't have a problem with that. I agree. I agree. It may seem random, but it's a personal pet thing of mine. Are you pro standard time or pro daylight savings time? The moment we've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we pushed forward. Yeah. You hear the question? No, what was the question? Yo, what were you doing? What are you reading? I was reading stuff. He said, are you pro standard time or pro daylight savings time? <laughs> you know, we he, should ask that. He's, ask, should, he's asking should, Jocko. What do you we think? We should Just, add that is Jocko, like list of questions we ask everyone. Is Jocko based and he likes daylight savings time or is he soy? And he likes standard time. Or does he want what we have now where we go back and forth? 
Nobody wants that sitch. <laughs> Nobody. Okay. Nobody. Ready? Yeah. What do you think it is? Sawyer based. Uh, I'm going to say he's pro daylight savings time. Would you rather the sunrise earlier or would you rather have more sunlight? Actually, wait, no, no, no. He's going to be pro standard time. What am I saying? He's going to be pro standard time. He wants the sun to rise earlier. Oh, is that okay? Right. I don't Sunrise know. is earlier on standard time, right? I'm not crazy. Wait, so, back yeah, up. earlier on standard time. Yes. Right. It's brighter later on daylight savings time, but brighter earlier in standard time, right? Yep. Okay. In the afternoon. I would rather have more sunlight sunlight in the afternoon. Wow, I was wrong. Okay. My <laughs> you had it right. Totally. I was right the first time and then and I you, you I doubted up. myself. And I I was wrong. There you Never go. Never doubt the guts, Sitch. I'm telling you. Well, I'm looking at Jocko. He's like a big guy. He seems like a fit guy. I'm like, this is a guy who probably wakes up at the crack of dawn, you know, <laughs> like lifting weights, oh, yeah. drinking protein shakes. Look, as someone who does wake up at the crack of dawn myself, I mm -hmm. like waking up when it's dark. I don't wake up at daylight. Who cares? I when you see... wake up when it's dark, you feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah, you're like, look, I'm out before anyone is. <laughs> before the sun is up. Okay. It's awesome. Seeing the sun come up is way better than seeing the sun go down. There you go. Yeah. Wow. And because wow. and because by the like right now in California it's getting dark like at four thirty eight in at, in the evening so that 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 that's not cool and in the morning I can do the stuff I do in the morning I don't need light for right yeah. I'm in the gym I can go for a run it can be like dark outside it's not that big of a deal but I was right but he doesn't care <laughs> that's hilarious you know you can't surf. <laughs> you can't surf in the afternoon when okay. it's dark outside. So, oh man, surfing when it gets dark, you're like, fuck. <laughs> it's like such a fucking nightmare. I mean, I, I would, you know, night swimming in the ocean is never good. Okay. Yeah. You're like, you're just waiting for the giant shark to come. <laughs> I, the giant reaper. California had some weird thing happen where. Okay. He talks about the California thing, but we can okay. skip it. Right. Yeah, we're supposed to get permanent daylight. See, okay, we want based. permanent Good daylight thing. savings. Maybe it'll happen in my lifetime. Who knows? I mean, I I'm assuming if you were to take a vote, the majority of people would want permanent daylight savings time. That'd be my guess. They should just put it on the ballot. Let the people decide. Well, the thing that's weird is that I. Like, you know, so I think it's a state issue. Like, wouldn't that that'd be a hilarious Supreme Court case? The federal government tries to enact permanent dance saving time for the country, and the state starts suing, like, that's a violation of states' rights. The federal government doesn't have the authority to do that. And they try to argue under like the Commerce Clause or something that they have the authority to to make it permanent dance saving time across the country. He seems to think it it has to be run by the federal. Mm -hmm. By the federal government well obviously it would make more sense that the entire country is one way or the other because the whole point of time zones is they kind of have to be synced up right <laughs> like, yeah 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 if they're kind of everyone's doing different stuff it gets too confusing um, california but, would be on the same time as central time for you know, mountain time and then it's even oh Not yeah central. you're right mountain time but it, it would be even weirder because nevada 
would be on daylight savings time. So you'd have yeah. California here and then Nevada would be on a different time and then it'd be on the same time mountain time, which is yeah, just, no, what? It, it would be horribly obnoxious if a bunch of states were on daylight saving times and a bunch of states were not. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, it's, it would be a legal fight. It would be there some are, weird legal There are fight. states that don't do daylight savings time. I think it's Arizona. Um, well, it's, Hawaii doesn't, but who cares? Because they're so far away from everyone. Um, but I thought that I thought there's only parts of Arizona that don't do it. Is the entire Arizona doesn't do it? Arizona, Hawaii, and that's it. The rest is two states Guam. and several territories don't do daylight savings. Massachusetts is currently campaigning to not do it. Um, yeah, so is California. Yeah, but when they say that they don't do daylight saving time, what they mean is they do permanent daylight saving time, right? They're not doing standard time. I don't know. Uh, most of Arizona know. hasn't observed daylight savings time since 1968 when the state legislator opted out of the 1966 Uniform Time Act. <laughs> He's like, fuck you. That's hilarious. Uh, thanks to location, the state gets plenty of daylight and heat all year round. Ignoring daylight saving time helps keep temperatures down during walking hours and cuts back on energy uses. Oh, so they're on standard time. That's interesting. Wait, interestingly, a bill that circulated in 2015 would have restored daylight saving time. Oh, but they didn't do it. Okay, so so Arizona's on standard time. Hmm. Lame. Okay. I know because there's parts that I think there's parts of the Navajo, Navajo Nation that do uh do down savings time because i remember cgp gray who is on your camp he's in favor of permanent yeah saving time he talked about how stupid it could be because in arizona there's like a swath of like highway that you can drive that if you drive through it you go to like four different time changes in like an hour or something because <laughs> you're like driving through the state versus the navajo na uh, nation area awesome so wait maybe i'm totally wrong about this federal law thing the uniform time act Enacted in 1966 was a law in the United States to promote the adoption and observance of standard time. Uh, okay, well, I guess the law was really written. The law, as originally written, required states that observed out saving time to begin it at 2 a.m. local time. Blah blah blah. Um, oh, I'm t I was totally wrong about this. It says local time of last Sunday in October and exemptively preempted all states and laws related to the savings times per the weights and measures power given to Congress in Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution. Okay, so there you go. The Constitution does have um, the power, I guess, explicitly to, granted to do this. To override a state's time? Or to, to, mandate, um, to mandate time. Fascinating. So then how did, how does Arizona, I mean, they must have, I guess they, they must have written in that states can, can opt out of it if they want to, right? Because how else would Arizona opt out of it? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Who knows? The law does not require that all states observe their saving times. Individual states may exempt themselves. Oh, I was right from daylight savings times and observe standard time year-round by passing a state law provided the state lies entirely within one time zone that the exemption applies statewide or if the state is divided by a time zone boundary, 
the exemption applies statewide or to the entire part of the state on one side of the boundary. And they talk about Arizona. Oh, so we can't, we can't do it because we're in the middle of the time zone. We're not at the edge of the time zone. Wait, oh, no, California? we are, we are at the edge of the time zone. I thought zone. you were all, California. the coast, in... the coast is at the edge of the time. No, well, I mean, obviously there, it goes into the Pacific, right? Parts of California are in mountain time zone? No. Then what are you, then aren't you all in one time zone? I believe that law is saying that the states have the right to change it if they have a boundary that is on the timeline, which switches from one hour to two hours, right? No, no, it Our says, state is in the middle of the time zone. No, it's no, not it, on the boundary. No, no. It says um, states may exempt themselves if, number one, the state lies entirely within one time zone. That we check. We got that one. Right. Or if the state divided by if the state is divided by a time zone boundary, the exemption applies statewide or to the entire part of the state on one side of the boundary. Oh, okay. Okay. Wait, wait, so wait a minute. I got it. Yeah. Okay, what so states have the boundary so, running through the middle of it? I don't know. No, no. So yeah. So they're they're saying every, any state could exempt themselves. They're just saying that if a state is separated by a time zone, whatever part separated by the time zone, like each part has to be uniform. In in terms of uh, what they, you know, whether they follow it or not. So they have so they have a pretty law like large uh, exemption. So it is kind of interesting that only one state, well, Hawaii, but they don't count. Only one, you know, state that's contiguous part of the United States is has chosen to exempt itself. That is kind of interesting. Arizona. Arizona, yeah. Huh. I guess we do. I guess we are part of our state at the bottom is on the time zone, is on the mountain time. Yeah, I brought up a chart. Because when I'm looking at pictures, it looks like the entire state of California is considered Pacific. Like, even oh, it though, is. I'm saying, look, I'm saying the the boundary of the state touches a timeline. Yeah. Well, it's weird because I'm looking at the chart. I don't know if it's the same one that you brought up, um, but I'm looking at a picture of it, and it's like, why does, why is it not just a straight line? Like, why does Idaho, like, why does Oregon have like that little chunk that's on Mountain Time? And why does Idaho have that little chunk that's on Pacific time? Yeah. That's super weird. What was the point of that? They're doing something weird in the Dakotas. They got it running down the middle of the state. Yeah, same thing. Like, look at, like, why does Kansas have that little bit that's, you know, mountain time? Like, I understand, you know, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, like, if that's where the time zone is, if that's that far out, then okay. Virginia, too, runs right down the middle. Virginia. Yeah. We're, no, it doesn't. What are you talking about? That's not Virginia. Where are you looking? I'm looking at Virginia. <laughs> Virginia's all East Coast. What are you talking about? Oh, it's Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Kentucky is in the... Yeah, that's it's weird, too. Split down the middle. Tennessee split down the middle, too. And well, and why does... Florida like, why cuts does off Indi- the panhandle. Why does Indiana have that little, like, little teeny tiny bit of central time? It's got to be because there's cities. Like, if you look at Chicago, mm-hmm. Illinois, it's cut out at the top up there. 
I'm certain because they want the entire city to be on the same time zone. You don't want to go across the city and be like in a different time zone. Um, no, no, but what I'm saying is, or the, you don't want the suburbs to be on a different time. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I get that. But I'm saying like, why wouldn't they just, why isn't Chicago just Eastern time then? Like the whole state, like what's the point of making it mountain time? I mean, I'm central time. I mean, you're yeah. like the, you're probably right. It has something to do with the city. It's just weird to me. I mean, you're trying to draw a line down. The longitude, right? Yeah, but obviously some of these things don't map on directly to the longitude, which makes sense. They wouldn't they don't need to exactly map on the longitude. They probably do map on to state lines and or city lines. The only thing I care about is California. Okay. Well, I mean, you guys are comfortably in well, not comfortably, the little southern edge there, but you're mostly in Pacific, so and Florida is mostly just an Eastern, stuck in the Eastern time. So, you know, whatever. What haves? Actually, I didn't realize Florida is like butts up right against Atlantic time. I never knew that. Technically, the the southern tip of Florida probably should be in Atlantic time, maybe. Right. As soon as you swim out into the ocean, you gain a whole... You gain a whole hour. There you hour, go. yeah. Yeah. Look at Where's that. about Atlantic time? No one's on Atlantic time, but a bunch of frozen Canadians up in Nova Scotia. <laughs> okay. Right. In Newfoundland. Newfoundland. There you go. We, I have something else lined up. Oh, uh, what? Got oh, two. That's a cool picture. My, I drew that. You drew Bender? that Bender? Yeah. That's a great one. Bender's my favorite. I know, look at that. Obviously, Bender's the cool. legal lines mostly follow rivers. Oh, that makes sense. The let's uh, why are time zones dumb? What do you mean? You have to have time zones, you can't not have time zones. That doesn't make any sense. There should just be the international dateline, and everyone should be on the same time zone. Everyone should just be on Eastern time forever. So, it's like, how would that you know, work? That'd be off. Well, it would work. It just everyone's conception of time would be wildly different. Like, it would be, same. wouldn't it? Noon. That's about when it gets dark. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what noon is morning for you? Oh, damn. <laughs> I'm going noon. to sleep at noon. What are you talking about? That's my bedtime. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, is. It is cool how they they try to structure it so everyone's oriented to think of noon as the middle of the day. Yeah, yeah. No matter where you are. Mm -hmm. What time is it? It's noon. Oh, noon. I love noon. Yeah, well, that's the only way that makes sense. Of course, your noon is my midnight, but... China doesn't have time zones? What? Wait a minute. Time zones, China. Is that true? They're gaslighting you. Because China's giant. Like, it has to... In the country of China, one would expect to find several time zones. One, two, three, four, five time zones. Um, in spite of being the same size as the United States, China has only one official time zone. Are you shitting me? <laughs> the communists can't even have time zones? What that's, the hell? That's Come pathetic. on. That's For pathetic. real? Oh, my God. That's a, this is the saddest thing I've ever heard about Are China. Are you shitting me, China? 
China only has one time zone. That's retarded, China. So you literally have that problem. Someone's noon is like, so you could be, it could be noon at like one part in China and it'll be five hours. You know, it'll be like, that'd be like sunrise for someone else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, oh, noon, it's yeah. noon on one side of the country and it's the sun is coming up on the other side. Yeah. It'll be eight o'clock in the morning on the West coast of, you know, China when it's like noon on the East coast of China. Yeah, but it's it'll so, still be the so same stupid. time. 8 a.m. <laughs> right. So that, that's insane. That means it'll be like, so like, it'll be like 8 o'clock at night, okay, on one side. And then it'll be like, you know, like midnight. Four. Yeah, it'll be 4, <laughs> four o'clock at night. And it's like, oh, it's, it's like 8 o'clock at night. It's like dark. It's like, oh, it's 4. What do you mean? It's afternoon. Like, no, no, it's 8 o'clock. It's 8 o'clock and it's like the sun's like still up, right? Like you're in Alaska it, or something. That's so stupid. I guess they make it work. Why? That's the dumbest system ever. That's right. so terrible. What was the what was the th wait? I, I'm we super have, curious about this now. We only have one hour mm -hmm. before eudaimonia. Yeah, asking about on. these time zone questions. Okay, how do you feel about time zones? The decision to have a single time zone in China was made for political and practical reasons. Until 1949, China had multiple time zones. They had they had five, um, though only some were half an hour apart. Well, that's weird. Could you imagine how stupid that would be if we had doubled up the time zones so it was by half hour instead of one hour? That would be so much more confusing. Yes. I mean, how does that even work? That's on the half hour. That's on. Okay, so plus. I can yeah, barely wait. do it now when it's just like add an hour. So does that like mean that like you'd be math. in one place and it'd be three o'clock and then the next time zone it's two thirty when it's three o'clock? That's the that's the worst system I've ever heard. Maybe that's why they went to one time zone. They had a worse system. <laughs> well, and they probably didn't want to go to the American system because they'd be accused of copying. There you go. It'd be like, ah, you copied our time zones. Mm -hmm. Well, this doesn't. It says they changed to one time zone in 1991 hmm interesting okay whatever china's stupid i'm not i shouldn't be surprised by this anyway what was the other thing you want to show we i want to talk about individualism and collectivism again. oh nice we can restart that uh conversation. yeah i want to re i've i've thought more about it and i think i'm amending my position oh that's good okay i think the super chatter convinced me that there are other there are other behaviors mm -hmm. that could be defined as collectivist what was have, the super chat because i don't remember this super chat was something that had like a eugenics vibe to it it was like what if the state mandated you had to get married and have kids with a certain person oh would it be collectivist yeah would, it the be, state would that be collectivist right yes. who you can have children with right yeah so look i was drawing the line at at death like if you're in an in an organization where you literally are obligated to die for that organization i think you can classify that organization as collectivist because your personal needs are subservient to the organizational needs and that's just a clear example right if you're going to die for the group if you're in a military unit mm -hmm. 
that's a collectivist. But then all of a sudden, this super chat said, well, you know, what if the state was doing this eugenics stuff? <laughs> it's like picking who you got to, who you had to marry and mm -hmm. have kids with. Those were the impositions placed on you by the collective. Right. And I was thinking, well, that's not death, but it's a fate as bad as death, isn't it? Right. <laughs> like I mean, you, it's definitely hitting some intuition where you're like, hmm, that's not individualism. You don't get to, you don't even have your own individual reproductive, you don't control your reproductive destiny? What? Mm -hmm. Right. So, but I, I, I don't think, and this is, I don't think the spectrum thing works because it's all it's all a matter of where you draw that line. And we we had kind of conceptualized having a basket of rights that were taken away as you move down the spectrum, but mm -hmm. I do think it's more like a binary. I think there are certain rights that as soon as those rights become subservient to the collective and uh, and taken away from the individual, it's like you tip into collectivism. It's like a binary. Okay, but so, it's, it's a matter of distinguishing what those rights are. Okay, so, so let's be clear. So you have decided that you agree that you're changing your, your definition to encompass more categories than just like, would you die for the group? Yes. Right, okay. So that's changed. So do you have a, do you have a new definition or are you still working on it? Or have you adopted my definition? Well, you're, you have the spectrum thing going, which I just don't yep. think is accurate. Well, yeah, I know, but we can talk about the spectrum thing. Um, okay, so I guess we'll talk about the spectrum thing, which is that, so I still conceptualize it like there's a spectrum, collectivism's on one side, individualism on the other side, and there's, you know, you you pick out where you are somewhere in between there. And you're saying that you think each individual issue exists on an on-off switch of collectivism versus individualism. I think individualism and collectivism are a binary and there are certain behaviors there there are certain situations that mm -hmm. the power goes to the individual or goes to the collective and in certain categories like reproductive rights um anything living or dying situation I think automatically it just it tips into collectivism well I don't okay, think so What's your I don't think paying tax. Well, look, collectivism is when the needs of the group outweigh the needs of the individual. The or needs or when, of the group? No, no, no. Wait. When the when the when the needs, desires of the the needs or desires of the group are always prioritized prioritized over the individual yeah the individual needs and desires are always subservient to the group the so in in any situation where the needs of the individual and the needs of the group are in conflict in collectivism you're going to go with the group in individualism you're going to side with the individual so i i think i i like that definition but i still think it has to exist on a spectrum because I do think you get into the issue of like taxation is some amount of individual sacrifice for the group, but not always in the binary fashion that you're kind of conceptualizing. Yeah. But this is why I was thinking I, we, 
I think you can still have some level of taxation and have an individualist group. I agree. That's why I'm saying it exists on a spectrum as opposed to just a binary. So, yeah, look, I... So what is the... If you have 20% taxation, mm -hmm. are you saying that the society is 20% collectivist? I mean, I, I don't know if you would conceptualize it like exactly like that, but is not... So let's... Okay, let's instead of using taxation, let's use specifically welfare right mm -hmm. uh welfare which is you know part of where your tax money goes is you as an individual paying into a system that you might not actually ever draw from they might not ever need yourself um for the benefit of the collective of the people that will draw from that right so welfare mm -hmm. would be a more collectivist program right yeah of course right but we would both agree that in our highly individualistic society of America and other individual societies, you can have welfare program. That doesn't mean the society becomes a collectivist society. Yeah. It's only 20% collectivism. Right. So that's why I'm saying that it exists, you know, countries and governments exist on a spectrum between individualism and collectivism. Collectivism, the practice or principle of giving a group priority over each individual in it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Your definition, I agree with your definition. It's where that's dictionary.com's definition. Right. But. The group's needs are prioritized over the individual's needs. Right. Yes. Okay. I just, yeah. So I guess the American system is like 40% collectivist. Well, it's probably more than 3%. I mean, I... For, I said 40%. I, oh, okay, right. That's why I said that. The way I was conceptualizing it was, I think liberalism's, you know, a good... Obviously, where the middle point is, is everything is relative. But I mm -hmm. think putting liberalism in the middle is a good... It makes logical sense to say liberalism is kind of the midpoint between individualism and collectivism. And then, obviously, there are different liberal countries that exist more on the collectivist side or more on the individualist side. Here's why I don't like it. Okay, tell me. Because collectivism is cancer. We have to fight. <laughs> we have to fight against it. So it's it's better if we separate it out and we say, look, here are the certain behaviors where you dip into collectivism. Eugenics. Uh, conscription. <laughs> like these various areas. And then you can say, listen, we don't want to involve ourselves in those behaviors because those behaviors are collectivists and collectivism is bad but it's collectivism isn't inherently bad okay oh look okay. at this that's the problem because you said you you like welfare right welfare is a good a good program a good system i hate welfare okay i mean i um, like a social safety net but look. i mean you're talking about ubi that's like the super collectivist right no, that's super individualist. You're no, it's, not. The, it's super capitalism. You're empowering the individual to do whatever they want. Yeah, but people have to understand what in, people have a. I think people have an incorrect assumption in their mind of what individualism is because of it's very often framed in the like liberal versus communist conception. Individual just means that the state 
protects your rights as an individual to basically do whatever you want to do. That like your rights of an individual are the most important thing. Um, and that's why you get into the weird scenario that I put forward where it's like, you know, you have a guy who wants to buy a billboard across from school to put porn on it. Why do you keep, stop bringing that up. No, I bring it up because it's like the it's Jonathan Haidt. It's like the Jonathan Haidt eating your pet. Example. No, it's not. It's, it's it is. pedophilic though. That's the he, point. I have to bring up something to show you to, that you instantly know is wrong. Even even Jonathan Haidt steered away from the pedophilia example. I'm not saying it's, uh, no, wait, pause. I didn't say that the porn was pedophilic. I'm just saying it's, they just want to put some kind of porn. Okay. It's adult porn, but they want to put it across from a school so kids can see it. Okay. <laughs> it's still, it's still pedophilic. Whatever. It doesn't. That's the point is that I'm trying to pick an example that everyone hears and knows is a wrong action. Just okay? pick it, pick the fucking the chicken. Okay. We can keep the pedo pedophilia oh out of it. God, you're so <laughs> sensitive. Okay. It's not across the school. It's, it's just in the middle of uh, the city, okay? In the middle of a city, someone wants to put a billboard that has hardcore pornography on it. Okay. All right? Now, there's still going to be kids walking around because in the middle of the fucking city, but it's not directly across the school, okay? Okay. So we all, most of us, I would feel confident, most of us would say, yes, you as an individual should not be allowed to buy a billboard and put hardcore pornography on it in the middle of a city, right? Sure. That is a violation of your individual rights to do that action. That is a that is leaning on the collectivist side of things, saying yeah, that the it's... that the group's rights, that the group's feeling that we don't want to look at porn supersedes your individual right and the individual right of the person selling the billboard to right. to do that behavior. And by your definition, you'd say okay, this, you'd add all this stuff up and you'd say okay, this society is 30 percent collectivist and right. 70 but here's where i'm gonna break your fucking brain are you ready for this okay let's hear it voting in democracy is collectivist okay well so there you go that's why i'm saying you shouldn't conceptualize collectivism as like the bad thing because well, you're not. making oh okay well you're not that's not making my argument no. my my argument is that you shouldn't conceptualize it as 70-30. You should conceptualize as certain behaviors tip you into collectivism. But they they don't because like... Like well, the like, billboard thing. Yeah. Well, actually the billboard thing doesn't tip you into collectivism. Because I look, I, I think you can per prevent people from putting up billboards with hardcore pornography mm -hmm. in the middle of the city. And it still be an individualist city. Oh. Like I don't think Tell taking me. I don't think taking the right that right away from people tips you into collectivism. When you start saying, "Look, we're going to decide who you can marry and reproduce with," I think, th yeah, then you've tipped give me, into collectivism. Give me the give me the argument of how a city will structure a law that says you can't put porn on a, a billboard in the middle of the city that is individualist. Well, I'm talking just the society in general. As well, just, I'm just saying, just tell me, explain to me, because I don't see how that's true. I don't see how that works. Explain. What do you want me to explain? Go ahead. How how you could create a law or an argument for putting for not allowing people to put pornography on a billboard in a city under an individualist framework? 
because you're impinging on each person's individual rights not to be accosted by pornography. And when you're and when a bunch of people feel like their needs supersede your needs and they get together to voice that, that's the collective of people. Well, it's, it's so it's not, saying that you're in like so if you're the guy who wants to put porn on the billboard, you have some individual desire to do this. Okay. Right. A bunch you of have other more people, people that have an individual desire not to see porn in their neighborhood. Yes, right. Right. Yes. And so those also let's just use numbers and make it simple. So there's one person they wants to put porn on the billboard. There's a thousand people that don't, right? And each mm -hmm. thousand person has an individual opinion that they shouldn't have porn on the billboard. Right. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why does just because there's a thousand individual opinions, why is that greater than one person's individual opinion? Because the thousand individual opinions come together and they say, we don't want that. So that's a, that's the collectivist approach because the group's feelings on the issue supersede the individual person's feeling on the porn uh, billboard issue. A collection of individuals is not necessarily a collective though. No, but I'm saying that weighing those collection of individuals' rights superseding an individual's rights individual is rights. by definition. They're each each individual rights. No, they're not. Because this the reason that I have it on a spectrum, I don't think it is a binary, is because I don't think the issue of individualism versus collectivism is so clean cut as a binary for the exact issue that you've just brought forward, which is that, well, you can conceptualize that a lot of collectivist issues are really individual issues to the individual person if they're on the side of the collective, right? You're looking at, well, what is what are we looking at in terms of the needs of the group? How are we, how are we well, okay. tell me, conceptualizing tell me. the needs of the group? Okay, you you agree that welfare is a collectivist thing, right? Yeah, I mean. Okay. So this, look, I'm I'm just I'm trying to simplify this down to just the the bare bones basics. So mm -hmm. what why why are you conceptualizing welfare as collectivist? Because you, what is going on in the situation is they're saying there's a group of people who mm -hmm. can't provide for themselves. Okay. Right. And so as individuals or as a as a group? Well, each person is an individual, right? So you have a bunch of in there's there exists a bunch of individuals somewhere out there, okay, who cannot provide for themselves. So the government says, Hey, you individuals that can provide for yourselves, we're going to extract money from you and give it to these other individuals. Right. We're gonna your right. your Freedom is going to be impinged on a little bit. Yes. To provide a material to provide benefit to these, these other, other people. Right. Right. That's a collective action because it's saying that you, your individual, like say if you personally, individually, your don't right to want, keep your money is going to be subservient to the right of the people to take your money for welfare. Exactly. Because you could say, like, I, I as an individual, what if I say as an individual, I don't want to pay some you know poor person's welfare, right? The government says, well, too bad, right? And the government says, too bad, because that's the law. And that's the law because we voted in people that created that law. Right. So governments as a function are collectivist organizations. Democracy is a collectivist action. It's a bunch of people 
getting together in a group to collectively decide what the law is and should look like, and then uses the monopoly in force to enforce that. Right. So that's I mean, why we're, I'm... we're still running into my issue. What's that, your issue? Well, I just look, I, I don't think politically it's valuable to cap to conceptualize the social safety net as collectivism. Well, you could be correct in terms of like a metaphorical truth claim that it's not useful because people conceptualize collectivism as socialism. Yeah, I'm just that's talking about like exactly right, what I'm saying. Okay, that might be, but I'm I'm not in the Jordan Peterson realm. I'm talking in the Sam Harris. What is objectively true? What is objectively true? under the conceptualizations and definitions of collectivism that we both seem to be comfortable with is that social programs and democracy itself are forms of collectivism. Well, it just, it depends. Like I said, it all depends upon where you draw the line. And if you draw the line, any infringement on your freedom. So, so all taxation is collectivism then. Yes. I just don't think that's a good way to conceptualize it. Taxation is socialism. I don't well, think no, it's collectivism good, good isn't branding. socialism. This is why I had it on a spectrum where mm -hmm. I said, okay, you have collectivism on one side of the spectrum, individualism on the other side, liberal countries are in the middle. If you go all the way to one end of the spectrum, you get socialism, right? Right. You but get, you're still you're still like 50 50 percent collectivism, 50 yes. percent individualism. I mean Remember our definition. This is the problem. I understand that people have want to conceptualize collectivism and socialism as like synonyms, but that has to be removed from your brain because if it's not, that's what allows bad actors like Richard Wolff to come in and say socialism is when the government does something. Because if that's if if collectivism just means socialism, then he's technically correct. That socialism is when the government does things. Yes. Right? And yeah. so that doesn't make sense. And then also we get into the problem with how how you and I have adopted your definition of morality is collectivist. Morality is is a you know set of rules and principles that binds people together in a cooperative group. So morality itself yeah, that, is a is a collectivist uh thing. That moral system though could be individualist yes but the enforcement mechanism is still always has to be collectivism that's sort of the rub here the irony of the irony of everything is that even if you have a society that has a lot of individualism individualistic philosophies and individualist protections which are hey, you break the does, rules you die <laughs> right but all those rules have to be enforced through a collectivist approach I just look, it's so painful to call it collectivism. I know, but that's the way it is. See, here, look, Sodosh has it correct completely. Or I'm assuming he does. I only read the first sentence. Sodosh for $20 says, our individual society requires that the collective provide justification for infringing individual rights. A collectivist society requires the individual have freedom from the collective. That's the difference. Wait, let me read that again. Our individual society requires that the collective provide justification for infringing on individual rights agree okay i agree that's a that's a agree a collectivist society requires the individual have freedom from the collective that doesn't make any sense that doesn't make any sense i think i think you mistyped there or something i think the i mean what the first part of what your sentence is true it makes sense 
A collectivist society tells the individual what to do. And if the individual doesn't like it, they can fuck off. Yeah, I, I think that's why, that's why, and I think I said this the other day, the way that I conceptualize it is the individual society is a society that errs on the side of the individual. And I think what you said, Soldoge, is a good way of, of saying it. It's the start in an individual society like in America, the starting point is we need to start with individual freedom. Okay. And then whenever you want to infringe on individual freedom, the government and our collective society has to make an argument why. It's kind of like you're innocent until proven guilty. Your individual rights are protected until proven that they need to violate them for some reason. I think that's actually a really good framework. Where in a collective society, it's the opposite. It's the starting point is the group's rights come first, and then maybe they'll make some exceptions for some individual rights after that. Right. Does that make sense? Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, I mean, I I think whether or not the behavior is voluntarily agreed to is important. Because I don't if it's if you as an individual opt into a collectivist system, I think this the overall society is still individualistic. Like obviously inside societies smaller collectives will form as long as it's as long as you're free to join or leave those smaller collectives at will i wouldn't call the society itself collectivist that's fine I'm, but like you don't okay but yeah you can have it like america is a society rooted in individualism okay yes very much but within so. american society there's going to be smaller communities that are rooted in collectivist approaches. For example, you could be part of a very, you know, you could be Amish, right? It's a very yes. collectivist society. Very collectivist. You know, you could be part of some, you know, super socialist group. That's very collectivist. You could just be part of a very religious church that your whole family is part of. And there's a very strict cultural enforcement that like you have to follow the whims and wants of the church and your elders versus your own individual feelings. That's you existing in a collectivist, you know, air like society, even though you live in a broader individual society of America. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. So it was for $5 says it was a typo. Collectivist requires individual collectivist societies require that individuals request freedom from the collective. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, okay. I, I anticipated your typo correctly. But yeah, no, I think that's in a most good collectivist societies, that. you can request all you want. It's you're denied, request denied, request no, no, denied. That's, that, that's fine. His point is the way to conceptualize it is the starting point. Okay. Starting well, most, point of, indiv of individual societies is you start with individual freedom and then they work outward from that starting point to make a determinations about where to infringe on individual freedom. Where in a collectivist society, they start at the collectivist group rights and they maybe work outward from that to infringe on group rights for individual rights. Okay. Right. I think that's a correct way to, I think it's a good way of kind of thinking about this. Right. Yeah, no, that works. Um, wait a minute. 
Ostracy for $10 says, you guys are using a crappy definition of collectivism that's far too broad. Everything I look at always ties collectivism to socialism. I sent you two definitions in the DM switch. I don't see any DMs from you, Ostracy. Yeah, neither do I. Um, Ostrus. I mean, I see you. Last DM I have from you is from last year. So I don't know. Do you have some new account or something? I don't. I don't see whatever you sent me. I don't see it. So, um, but I don't. I don't. I just. I don't think you can. I, I don't think it's correct to just say that collectivism and socialism are synonyms. It's a screenshot I sent with the conservative stuff. I tell you the last. Where where did you send this to me? Just send it again. I don't see whatever you sent me. Yeah. Unless you send it to me. Oh, it's, it's the screenshot you sent to me. Oh, wait, no, wait. What? Oh, it's the screenshot you sent to me a month ago. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. A political or economic theory advocating collective control, especially over production and distribution, a system marked by such control. Yeah, there's multiple definitions of collectivism, obviously. Um, the screenshot you sent to me is so tiny, like the text, it's like blurry. Collectivism, a socialistic theory of the collective ownership or control of all the means of production, and especially the land, by the whole community. Or, yeah, obviously that's... But I just think that definition overlaps with socialism to the point where well that definition obviously has socialism baked into it yeah exactly right <laughs> it's like a lot of people do see collectivism as a synonym for socialism obviously they're using that definition but okay here's why i don't like that definition is because that definition allows people to very dishonestly say we can't do welfare because welfare is socialist yeah no this is why this is why i'm trying to narrow it down to the binary. No, but what I'm saying is they use the binary to say that welfare programs and social programs are socialist. Yeah, because they say anything yes. that infringes on your individual rights is socialism. That's how they do it. But this is why I'm saying, well, can't we can't we narrow it down to certain behaviors that if they infringe on your individual freedom just a little bit, like taxes, we're not necessarily socialists. We're not necessarily collectivist. I don't, we're still okay. individualist. God, okay. but, but when we, Finally but when we understand. cross the line, what, what are you going to say? I was going to say, I finally understand your argument and why you have this argument. Yeah, because um, it allows it allows everything to be categorized as collectivism, even right. even if it's fifty. Like you doing the spectrum thing, even if it's fifteen percent collectivism, well, it's still socialism. No, it's not. Well, how's it not? Because everything has not everything. Most things have some elements of morality itself has an element of collectivism in it. Right. Culture is a collectivist thing. Everything, humans, 
human structures exist because groups of people get together and sacrifice elements of their individuality to participate in a group. Yes. Yeah. That is that is how humans operate. So that's why I'm so. That's why you can't just say collectivism equals socialism. It's like, well, no, take, taking that to an extreme level is socialism, where you say, well, we're not going to afford any rights of the individual. All that matters is the group. That's what socialism is, right? But you can't just say any time your rights as an individual are infringed is, is socialism, because that's not true, because that's all of that's every human grouping that exists. That's morality. That is culture. That is everything, is you as an individual sacrificing some part of your individuality for the group. The fact that you can't walk around outside naked, okay, is you sacrificing some element of your individuality for the collective. I just, I feel like people hide in the, in the wiggle room of the definitions. And that's what I just, I'm like, I want to squeeze that wiggle room out of the definition. Well, no, it's because, right. But I understand that. But, you know, people want to say oh no what i'm saying is i would imagine i haven't read what anyone's saying but i would guess the pushback when i'm saying would be like no 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 individualism you know you're gonna try to relate individualism to like negative rights or something right that you know something to that effect which is like okay that's fine you can have all the negative rights in the world but you still need a collectivist organization to enforce those individual rights of that's course, why i think that yeah. so, that's those why i think Solodoge, rights. right that's why i think Solodoge's framework to me is the best one because it's like well, where is this? The starting point is the answer. And then you kind of work out from there. And I understand that you're kind of trying to create a definition, trying to craft a definition um, to sort of squeeze out that thing. But I don't think you can just, I don't think that works. I don't think we can just like create a definition to to fix a problem, right? To fix a, because like, he, okay, here's the real thing that's going on here that we have to talk about. And I'm going to take something from our good friend, Scott Adams, who says crazy things, but he also says very smart things. Okay. He's like, a, he's like, you know, two sides of the coin. You can flip the Scott Adams coin. Okay. One side says something very smart. One side says something very stupid. All right. Every time Scott Adams says something, God, the gods flip a coin to determine whether it's very smart or very stupid. This is a very smart thing. He, he talks about there's this thing called word thinking. Okay. Word thinking is when you hear the word or name of a category and the word and the association of the word does all the thinking for you and it makes you stupid. Open air right. prison, concentration camp. Exactly, right. Yeah, so it's like, you know, or a good example is when we have these arguments about what defines a man or a woman. This is all word thinking. They're trying to use a word or a label to win an argument and ignore the concept that's underlying the word and what the word represents. Because it's remember, words represent concepts. So you have to talk about the concept, not the word. Most okay? people will never escape word thinking, though. I understand that. That's that's how you know you're not an NPC. If you can escape word thinking, you've freed yourself from the bounds of NPCs. But we still need to manage the NPCs because there's a lot of them as a society. Yeah, but they're we not need to in our keep audience. them in check. Right, they're not. In yeah, our but our, look, our audience is trying to manage the NPCs too. They want helpful tips well, that's to fine. manage Let's, those NPCs in their lives. When we talk about collectivist versus individualist, I understand that there's a lot of NPCs outside our audience that will never be able to understand that conversation that we're having because they're subsumed in word thinking. Of course, right, and that's fine. Look what right. I'm trying to do. You know, mm -hmm. when you go bowling. Right. With with your three year old and you put those things up 
that makes the bumpers. Sure the ball, that makes sure the ball gets down to the end of the lane. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the bumpers. I'm trying to put some bumpers on this fucking definition, Sitch. Help me here. I I just I, I get it. I get what you're doing. I just I don't. I understand what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing. But I don't condone what you're doing. Ninety percent of the people out there, look, we got ten percent of the people in our audience. Yeah, we're the we're the thinkers. We're the ones mm -hmm. that understand what's going on out yes, there we don't Adam community yeah. right we don't we're not word thinkers okay we all have free will around here mm -hmm. but in our lives we're surrounded by mpcs yes we're surrounded by word thinkers yeah but so but you have to understand so to me i think we the need the bumpers <laughs> but here's some i think so we have two options okay we can uh -oh. either try to redefine uh, collectivism and individualism to like trick people, I guess, to trick the word <laughs> trick thinkers. Trick people. Okay. To trick, trick the word thinkers. Yeah. To help people, Sitch. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is like, this is like a conversation that like the supervillain has with the hero. Okay. I'm not tricking anyone, Sitch man. <laughs> I'm just helping them see what is true. Yes. Look. Truth is hard. It's the world is a difficult place. Truth is hard to discern. <laughs> People need help. Listen, <laughs> listen, Adam Nito. Okay, I, Sitchman, believe in truth. You can never win the people over with a lie. No good things will ever come from a lie. It's not a lie. Okay, it's a useful fiction. Aren't Aren't all words at some level a deception? <laughs> Is water really water? You can't drink the word water, Sitch. You know what I'm getting at. Yes, but listen here. Uh, what's your villain name? I went with Adam Nito. Like Skull Crusher, obviously. Okay, listen here, Adam Skull Crusher. <laughs> okay. It's true that you can't drink the word water. <laughs> right? But the word means a concept that has a shared meaning or a shared general map of meaning, which all people have to understand. Because otherwise, when you say, hey, can you hand me the bottle of water? They could hand you a bottle of piss. And you right. could be drinking piss. And not even realize it. And you're like, why did you hand me this bottle of piss? And they're like, that's what you wanted. You said, hand me the water. Is that what you want, Adam? Do you want us a society where people are drinking pee instead of water? But does that definition serve me as an individual? <laughs> oh, there you go. There's the evil plan comes out. <laughs> does it serve me? Does it serve my goals? I see. So, are what you, what you're saying is that like definitions inherently are collectivists? Yes, <laughs> groups of people De have to agree on what the fuck words def mean. Definitions are socialist. <laughs> we need to fix that shit. <laughs> we did it. We definitions to, are socialists. <laughs> we need to fix that. We need to fix it. I Defin have a very individualist approach to definitions. Words mean whatever I want them to mean. Yeah. 
They well, serve me. There you go. I love it. Well, look, I I think we've I think we understand the problem. I think we both understand the problem here. So, mm -hmm. problem? look. Every time you use your spectrum definition, I'm just going to say, oh, taxation is theft. No, because the spectrum definition fights back against the taxation. How? Because it's saying that everything exists on the spectrum. So just because something has some collectivistness uh, in it doesn't mean that it's socialism, doesn't mean that it's theft. That's the word thinking. Okay. Like, or I'll just say, in shorthand, I'll just say that's word thinking. Well, I it's think you can taxation is theft is word thinking. I think you can conceptualize taxation as individualist anyway. You can conceptualize anything to be individualist, and you can conceptualize anything to be collectivist, depending on how you frame it. Yeah. Which is very often that's what the that's what the socialists do is they try to and I think this is what you were gleaning at when you were talking about socialism being individualist is because very often the socialists trying to make arguments to basically trick people to confuse them, say, oh, socialism is really about helping, is really individualist because it's all about helping you, the individual, maximize your freedom, right? And when they say freedom, they mean your positive rights. But those positive rights come at the cost of negative rights of everyone else. Do they? Yes maybe they do but that's but so the idea this is why i i as an enlightened centrist never take the approach of just saying flatly you know negative rights good positive rights bad or positive rights good negative rights bad it's like no there's always this this given push and pull you know uh there's always this push and pull there's always this golden mean kind of somewhere moderate ground that you're kind of trying to look for where you realize you have to balance all these things out because again, at the end of the day, society, society and culture and morality itself is you, the individual, sacrificing elements of your individualism to participate in the group. Yeah, you and right. The so group we have dies, to find you die. You're in the boat. We're all in this yes. boat together. Right. If you want to be the hyper individual, you know, you go live in a forest somewhere off the grid and do whatever the fuck you want all day. You know, you buy some land and you live on that land and you just never interact with anyone you could be the most individualist individual of all time right but mm -hmm. if you live in partaking part of society and culture and morality these are all group things these are all collectivist things let's read some super chats okay i think they're largely in favor of me so i think there you go uh fondue for 20 hours says i think this talk taught me something the reason we start with individuals is to ground the collective perspective on the needs of the people living in it so I think the collective is pretty much going on your imagination. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Well, look, point. I do, and w this is what I was trying to get at when we were talking about how we conceptualize these two groups. Because when people do talk about making changes, and conservatives do this a lot, they are conceptualizing the collective. And they're saying, look, if we make this change to society, society's going to to fall apart. Right. right. Society's going to cease to function. And so that is they're they're saying the needs of the society is that it has to be functional and sustain over time. That's right. what's implied and what they're arguing. So yeah. But um you are kind of 
what it what it takes to make a functional society over time is kind of a you know let your imagination roam right I well mean, what I, what i would add to the what fondue said is that the reason i think that we should and I think this is why liberalism succeeds why the starting point should be on the individual and then you work out from there is because since we operate under democracy democracy makes it very easy for the collective to subjugate the individual oh yeah 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 and so therefore since that's the case since it's very easy for the collective to basically you know 60 percent of the population you know in theory votes 40 percent of the population to be enslaved since that's uh, a weakness inherent within voting and democracy that's why to, to counterbalance that that's why you start with individual freedom and then work out from that the counterbalance well, the, to that effect the bill of rights kind of conceptualizes it my way in that there's a tipping point with certain behaviors like if you limit the individual speech you've crossed the tipping point you know if you right. if you forbid the individual to carry firearms you've crossed the tipping point right? right yeah so i think that's an important thing but like even your crazy example with the hardcore pornographic billboard in the middle of town okay let's say that happens right someone mm -hmm. puts up a billboard with hardcore pornography on it right is society gonna fall apart or i don't know <laughs> no but people are gonna be really fucking pissed about it yeah, but maybe they get over. Maybe they just acclimate to it. Oh yeah. Well, no, it's... actually, because then, because here's the argument you say, like having the individual billboard will not lead to society falling apart, but having a society that permits the billboard could lead to society falling apart. Maybe, because you'd say like the society that permits hardcore pornography on a billboard in a city. What else does that society permit, right? right so yeah i don't know you're you're going kind of on the broken windows theory right well no it's kind of like a well maybe it's kind of like a broken window slash slippery slope like well if your you know, intuition is like it's going to make rape go through the roof or whatever right well no no I, I'm but not you put the that. hardcore billboard up and then all of a sudden I'm sexual not assault saying, goes down <laughs> you're like oh man maybe we should have put these billboard up no, no 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 i'm not saying that the the hardcore pornography billboard makes rape go up i'm just saying mm -hmm. the the society that either can't stop that action from taking place if everyone hates it or doesn't care is going to have other problems with it that, that says something about the society yes right and so I mean, I think, yeah, you're going off your gut intuition, though. Of course I am. But the whole yeah. conversation is what's going on. <laughs> of course. Look, right. all of these rules. I, I mean, I have the same kind of gut intuition as you. Like, yeah, don't put the billboard up. It's going to make people uncomfortable. It's going to make people unhappy. And why do it? Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I, uh, I think a lot of times our moral intuitions are completely wrong. <laughs> and incorrect yes. yeah of course of course but that's yeah. and that's kind of the danger of our moral intuitions is that yes it is our gut is our intuition they can that's the whole point they lead us astray yeah. they can lead us astray right yeah um, one time the moral intuition was we can't free all the slaves because who's going to do all the work and society will fall apart and then we realized oh society's far more productive when people work on their own accord right
like, yeah, of course, there's a theoretical society that could have different conceptions of like sex mm-hmm. where you could put hardcore pornography on a billboard and it wouldn't it would be fine, right? But I'm looking at it from our like from our society standpoint, from our cultural standpoint, and people feel about sex. If you could put hardcore porn on a billboard in a, in in our country, and mm-hmm. no one could stop it, okay. Even though everyone hates it, if everyone hates something but no one can stop it, I don't think that's a. <laughs> I think that's there's something there. There's something happening there that I think is going to lead to tension and problems down the road. What about attractive women in superhero movies? Mm-hmm. Is society going to fall apart if we have attractive women in superhero movies? No, but a lot. Movies? But why is like everyone it? putting a stop to it? Then? Well, that's the problem. But that's that's the opposite. Most people want attractive women in superhero movies, and yet there's a small vocal minority of woke a holes who want to put a stop to it, and they're listened to because they get hired to write all these crappy movies. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Fondue. Uh, Nolan Gams for one month says the graduation of such societies are based on rights and policies that are either collectivist or individualist binary A team. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There you go. I agree with Nolan. Uh, e- Ethan Rogers for five hours says, are you all going to hold Yuda over his bizarre anti dog takes from the other night? Because you all should. Those were cringe. He doesn't like dogs. Wow. What's his I don't know what his anti what's his anti dogs take. Yeah. He I wasn't like listening. doggos. He was I wasn't where was he talking about this? Did he do a live I stream assume or on something? Twitter? I'll look. I'll look it up, listen. Did you watch his video on why Destiny is a conservative? Uh yes. Oh, I watched it. I didn't watch it yesterday, but I watched it when it came out. Oh, okay. Good. I don't remember it super clearly. So. You're up to speed. Where did he talk figured, about dogs? I, I figured we talked to him about that. Okay, we can talk about that. We can talk about dogs. I don't see wherever the dog stuff. I was. love dogs. Dogs are great. Why you would like anyone... dags? Dags? Of course. Everyone <laughs> likes dags. Um, thanks so much, Steel Wrath, for the one gifted membership. Yes. Thank you. Ostracy for five dollars says Adam's best take: remove all time zones. As a software developer, I have a deep hatred of time zones. Right. There you go. It wasn't really my take, but I'll take it anyway. I mean, you said something about removing time zones. All time zones around the world. I mean, you I made. Mean, I you said it. I said it in jest. But... Right. Right. You're like, listen. If it gets me a team, you know. I think Ostracy is pretty solidly a team anyway. Okay. Um, is Streamlabs on Sitch and Adam show or Sitch and Friended? I always forget. And I click the wrong I one. don't know. It's got to be Sitch and Friended because otherwise I don't know why this account would exist. This weird thing. See, was I yeah. right? Was I correct? It signed me out. I was wrong. Oh, no, I was right. My intuitions were correct. Good, good on me. Okay. Uh, 
Kai Kuz shuttle service for five hours says on Jocko's Twitter, he posts a picture of him starting his day at 4.30 a.m. every morning. Oh, I totally called it. It's wow. hilarious. I totally called it. Uh, Cameraman of how would you for five hours says, I just wish people would stop evaluating every foreign policy through the lens of the Iraq war. They never accurately describe it in just isolationist BS. Ooh. I completely agree. And that's what Sitch and I have done that have talked about that and it's gotten us a bunch of criticism because it's the word thinking comes out the NPCs yeah come out. okay gotta fight it guys uh poots for seven months says gentlemen i just want to say i appreciate these streams and love listening to your discussion on politics and culture thank you for being amazing well thank you poots yeah thanks for being a subscriber thanks for being a member uh the chat follow for 10 hours says adam during your last IL discussion? I don't know what that means. You complained about the bias of low expectations towards, oh, Israel. You complained about the bias of low expectations towards Palestinians, then proceeded to practice it within 10 seconds. S class is consistently the best class. Well, I wish you'd let me know what happened there. Yeah. So I don't we could address that. it. Yeah, I don't remember the specifics there. Coming out, I do, first of all, I thank you for the $10. That's super generous of you. Yes. The, going you contradicted yourself the other day like the immediate <laughs> the immediate question i have is oh really when what did yeah, i what, say what did i do what did I do yeah right okay look um i'm not i'm not perfect obviously so it's possible i mean you could be sometimes it happens um option for 16 months says howdy pumpkins so then no risque yet tasteful such an Adam billboards and I-95 listen. If it's such an Adam, Majin, you can go nuts. Go wild right. with with you can buy all the Sitchin Adam billboards that you want. All right. We Just are make sure Sitchin Adam Jan. is like art. Okay. Mm -hmm. It exceeds pornography. Or not exceeds it. It's just it goes above pornography. Uh Beckett for $20 says Sitch is right. Well, thank you. What's that? Adam agrees with Sitch. Well, Sitch is still correct, and Adam is still wrong. <laughs> S class is best class. Boo. Well, thank you, Beckett. That's a good. That's a good uh, super chat. Uh, Death by sloth for twenty months. Thank you. Says some people are deeply credulous when given the right incentives. Hassan, for example, begs to be lied to so he can retain his emotional high. True. That is very true. Libertarian Sasquatch for $5 says the problem with Jocko's view is just like the Hamas civilians is just like with Hamas, the civilians were telling Americans what they wanted to hear so we would leave them alone. Oh, okay. Interesting. No, I, I suspected that might be the case as well. Obviously, they look at us just like they look at Hamas. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll tell whoever's in power whatever they want to hear just to get them out of their house right mm -hmm. right um let's see Blind escape corner for five dollars says in the words of brand new quote i just want to believe i just want to believe i just want to believe glad to be back in uh pnw and catching you live cool you yeah welcome back welcome back 
Uh, Christoph Keating for 11 months says from the river to the sea is clearly a reference to Peter Paul and Mary song river of Jordan. There you go. There you is, go. is it now? Uh, Soto for two hours says dumb tube won't allow super chat. So I sent a DM. Oh, let me see. What this thing? is, you sent me a podcast. This is by John Spencer, one if, if not the foremost experts on urban warfare. He's made multiple episodes covering this conflict, including on the laws of war. Having worked with him, he does a great job of breaking things down in layman terms. He does a lot of public appearances, so I can see if he'll come on if you want, of course. Awesome. Well, thanks for sending it to me. I'll check it out. I'm really curious to hear an expert kind of explain the uh, situa the situation. So I feel like that's, I feel like that's, um, completely missing from the conversation whenever I hear people talk about whether Israel is doing the right thing or the wrong thing. What's missing from the conversation? Uh, this amazing thing where you like zoom in on the chat. <laughs> what? <laughs> there you go. Look at that. Adam is very happy. Are you guys happy about this? Adam was very excited to unveil this. He has a, a new button he can press where it zooms in on the chat, blows it up. So you can really see what you degenerates are speaking about i mean what you nice people are speaking of. <laughs> adam broke youtube there you go look at that look break at that. anything what are you talking about i mm -hmm. fixed it youtube was broken before this mm -hmm. yeah see i i don't know it's I, I don't trust if sammy g for april fools wants to make a sitch and adam billboard i wouldn't trust that <laughs> oh yeah that would be bad that but would be something. Uh, look, if society good. doesn't have the power to prevent Sammy G from all her degeneracy, <laughs> does that mean we're individualist? <laughs> it does. That's what it means. Okay. Well, look, it means individualism has gone too far. Okay. We've passed. We passed the test. If we can't stop Sammy G degeneracy, what are we going to do? Look at this. I got another trick. Yeah. What's the other trick? I did I did one with my painting. Oh, nice. I think the all-seeing eye is funner, but... Right. There was a Majin fan art that I haven't shown yet. Let's go find it. Yeah, we should... I should put... Well, I don't know how to do that. How to make a fan art... I guess you could do it in a in a video file, so it just cycles through all the fan art. Yeah, that's what you'd have to do. And then I could click on a button, and it would just be fan art in the chat. Mm -hmm. That'd be pretty cool, right? That would be very cool. You should do that. I like it. That's a good. It's a good idea. Where's your degenerate art, Mark? Woo! Look, I'm back. Oh wait, I was gonna try to catch a super chat. I missed it. Damn it. For shame. That's what I was going to try to catch. Next time. I'll get the next okay. one. Okay, I sent you the two pieces of artwork. Okay. Uh, fire everything for 16 months. Thank you so much. For discipline equals freedom for 16 months. Says You guys, oh, uh, that was the one about going to 4530. Thank you. Uh, lives oh, yeah. in Dev's balls specifically. Dev never responded, by the way, to me pointing I out saw that. that you lived yeah. in his balls. Very sad. He was, he's afraid. He's he is like, afraid. Oh my God. Do I yeah. go to the doctor? Right. Oh my gosh. 
How do I how do I repair this? How do I get this guy out of my? There pocket? you go. Uh, it says uh, date day ten of my stay in Dev's Twin Pendulums. The <laughs> company <laughs> so far is favorable, although some of these guys can be sore losers. Eight out of ten Yelp review. <laughs> Wow. There you go. I'm gonna send that one to Dev. You know, I'll get him to respond. Okay. He has to respond to this. He has to know Got you're to. there inside of his, you know. This testes. is old. This is an old Majin piece. What do you Did we ever about? I don't think we ever showed it, did we? Make sure there's no hidden penises in it. That I don't believe there's a hidden penis in there. Maj is trying to get a penis into the show, just so you know. <laughs> Is that really? Is that a thing? He's trying to catch us slipping so he can get the stream taken down. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, Adam, you're on fire. Look at that. Hell yeah. Of course I'm on fire. Uh, just be 1005 for three months of discipline equals freedom. Thank you. Says, I think there's a slight flaw in how you both are defining collectivism and framing it as individual versus collective. As people in collective societies see, seem to view themselves as part of the collective yeah they do yes yeah but i still think the only way to conceptualize it is uh you know the starting point of you know where the focus is on the protection of the individual from the group or the group from the individual you know whatever the the primary attribute is primary focal point so who did this this is awesome uh which one Oh, so Sammy was a little, was a little embarrassed the other day. <laughs> right. Oh, Sammy did this? Yes. That, Sammy um, G's messy doodle she draws as so response this, to messages because she's... Let me, let me give the context here because oh, you're okay. just reading it off without explaining the context. Okay. okay. Give the backstory. Yeah. So the backstory was on Sunday, you know, we showed a bunch of, of Sammy pictures that were like, had this very convoluted uh, backstory to understand what the hell she was drawing and my my counter is listen you can't draw these awesome pictures if you don't want me to show the world okay and so here's the is this a butterfly meme or is this a bird meme so here's Stitch going is this fan art and then it's sammy g's messy doodle she draws as responses to messages because she's a weirdo who hates normal text messaging and they don't make sense without the context of the actual message thread listen that could all be true but we all can just still appreciate your artwork Okay. Are you are you sharing DMs? Are these are these drawings secret I'm drawings? Leaking, from... I'm leaking the DMs. Okay. Look at this. Look at this. Sitch. I know. I'm a bad Look. person. I'm a bad boy here. How are you Look. ever going to get nudes if you keep leaking DMs? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Look at this great Sitch meme. Like this. This is the template for this. You. It's like the perfect Sitch meme template. Okay. This. This has to be shared with the world. It can't be hidden in DMs. Look at it. It's so beautiful. It is, it is amazing. It is beautiful. Right. This should be in a museum. It should be in a museum. It should be in a meme museum. Okay. Meme museum would be great. There you go. Get all Don't... this. Van Gogh, get this. Jackson, get this Pollock out of here. <laughs> Give me that fucking meme. There yeah, that one. There <laughs> the one go. with the soy jack. All pissed off. Yeah. Bring, <laughs> bring that there one over here. 
There you go. Don't be embarrassed, Sammy. Be proud of your beautiful art. Okay. Yeah, watch out what you send Sammy. Or watch out what you send Sitch, Sammy. Because he's like a... You got no no sense of boundaries here. <laughs> you might be on a billboard in the middle of town. I feel like I feel like the reverse of that is more likely to be true. <laughs> Sammy was already talking about trying to make a Sitch and Adam billboard. She's okay. gonna leak she's gonna leak your DMs? No, she's gonna she's gonna draw some like uh Sitch and Adam lewd, you know, borderline naked picture of us like making out. She's gonna try to get it on a billboard somewhere in Florida. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, right, right in front of your house. So when you leave your house, you gotta see it. No, it'll be it'll be right outside of like an anime convention or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, speaking of, so we so speaking of not beautiful art, speaking of horrible art. Oh yeah, Majin. So we have Majin here, our uh, who is who I think has taken the crown of uh, such an Adam degenerate drew this horrible disgusting picture right of uh here he is his little alien character and he's like so excited he's like sweating like a degenerate mm-hmm. and he pulls out the yiffinator and he shoots me with a yiffinator and there mm-hmm. i am yiffing away yiffing away and there i am turning into a wolf boy look at that look at that and there's look, there's an excited Sammy G in the corner. Oh no! Saying Teresa Paledo. I assume you don't say it that way, but you know whatever. <laughs> Which what does that mean? What does that mean, Majin? In Spanish, something like it's "I am the terrible. furry now." So thank you, Majin, for this horrible, horrible art. I mean, the art is acceptable. I mean, it's, yeah, I like it pushes boundaries ct's working as a really cool looking piece i sent eudaimonia nice eudaimonia he's working as a really cool piece of us look at that look at us there oh ct's got one here i'll bring it up bring it up paludo means furry there you go Oh, yeah. Uh, a swimmy 64 for $20 says, Hey, guys, loving the stream. I mentioned a few streams ago that you guys should check out Pilgrim Pass. I'm wondering if you guys checked them out yet. Also, A-Team Living the Dream. Yes. Did you check out Pilgrim Pass? No. You got to do that. Listen, as the guy, since he's A-Team, you have to go check that out. I'll check it out right now. Look at that. Okay. Well, how about this? How about you use some super chats? I'm going to go to the bathroom. Okay. I'm going to wait for our guest to get here as I look up Pilgrim Pass. Let's see. Super chats. Sitch always does this to me when I have the wrong tabs open so I don't necessarily know where I am. Let me see. Super Chats. What tab is that in? Live streams. Here we go. I think we already... Oh, yeah, we did do Ethan Rogers for $5. 
I think we already did that. Look, I think we're already caught up on Super Chat. Said she left at a very inappropriate time. Let me see. Go back up to the top. Ostracy for $10 says, Be me, such an Adam super fan. Click show right as it comes up. Forget join a work meeting in the middle of me talking uh, in the meeting. Hey, now. Oh, no. With harmonica noises. Mute second computer. <laughs> Did we get in your Zoom meeting, Ostracy? That's hilarious. Well, look, maybe they could be Sitch and Adam fans. Maybe it's not such a bad thing after all. What's up? Hey there, can you hear me? I can. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. This is uh, this is fun. This is good. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. I figure we just talk about whatever. Yeah, happy to talk about really whatever. Uh, I know that I've been following along a little bit in the past hour or so. Oh, happily. Uh, yeah, just a little bit sitting here having it on in the background. The uh, individualism, collectivism talk. Uh, well, you can weigh in on that then. Oh, well, happy to, um, you know, happy to do it now or whenever, um, you know, and you guys well, first schedule, I guess. I want you to weigh in on Adam's big head. How do you feel about that? Hmm. His big. Uh... I think he looks fine. Really? <laughs> okay. He looks nice. Okay. Not I mean, that's how I envision up. Adam whenever he disagrees with me. This is the, the mental image I have going on. That here. one? Yes. Okay. Well, I'll look. Bear it's it in mind. it's I'll good if you if you punch me in the face. Look here. <laughs> you have a lot of room to go for. Oh, you lost it. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I can still see you. There you go. See right around your fist. So okay. So yeah. What's what's your take on the individual versus well, collectives? So I am. There's a book written by a sociologist, twentieth uh, century sociologist um, named Robert Nisbet. I don't know if you're familiar. He wrote a book called Quest for Community. Mm -hmm. Basically, his thesis is that individualism and collectivism, uh, it's, it's sort of a dogma or narrative that is very much advanced by American, he, he writes in the American context, um, very much advanced and admired by the American powers that be because individualism and collectivism, the narrative is that these things are opposed. These are opposites. And he posits, and I'm inclined to agree with him, that these are actually mutually reinforcing. Um, because basically by champion, he, he sort of says that one American party faction, you know, the American right and the American left, one champions individualism while the other champions things that lean more towards collectivism. And really it's, it's in so doing, they mutually reinforce each other because by enhancing or promoting um, individualism and, and policies and goals that heighten or augment individualism, what you do is you deprive people of any sense of belonging. Um, you, you sort of uh, atomize them in a way that then, with when you combine that with people's natural desire or proclivity to want to be a part of something, any kind of community, but if you enhance their individuals and there is no such community, increasingly the only form of community they have is that of the state and so what you actually start to have is a individualist society or people who conceive of themselves as individuals who actually 
begin to conceive themselves as only members of the state. You kill local forms of association. And so state-endorsed collectivism, again, this is not to the level of anything that you would say in a more uh, collectivist state that you and I would think of in the colloquial sense, but collectivist endeavors. Uh, you have people who champion both of them while thinking that they are ardent uh, adherence to one or the other. Mm-hmm. Sounds like this guy's a big conservative. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly part of my own formation there. So mm-hmm. uh, w- wouldn't be surprised if uh, if there was some overlap. But no, I mean, that, that was sort of my take and my impression throughout it. I mean, I, I wasn't here for the whole conversation, so I wouldn't pretend or presume to uh, to butt mm-hmm. in. But that was that my that was immediately what came to my mind when I heard you guys talking well, about it. I think what he's saying, I think what he's saying is true. I think it's definitely a possibility. Part of the difficulty is that is trying to separate the way that our government works should not necessarily be the way that like our culture or our communities work. So I think our government should err on the side of, you know, individualism and individual freedom. But I agree that as a community, it's definitely better if people you know, have a stronger sense of community, you know, whether it be their church or their neighborhood or their family or, or whatever, it shouldn't necessarily like people I think are too quick to want to map on, you know, like there's like a one fit all lens or worldview that should apply to your family and your government. When Obviously, these are very, these things are structured very differently and should operate very differently. My, my question oh. is, I feel like some people have that desire that he talks about to, to become a part of a collective. And I think in our society, the people that do have that desire, there's plenty of collectives that they can join, plenty of groups that they can join. My question is, is there enough, is there a substantial number of people who just don't want to be a part of a group and want to be in this atomized state, but it's not really good for them. It's like the equivalent of just being a crackhead or something. And you kind of <laughs> got to force them into being a part of a collective for their own good. Well, right. It's it's not it to my mind. It's not good for them, and it's not good for us. It's not good for any of us. I mean, the the purely private person. It was God. I, I don't. I am not the type of person. At least I don't usually like to do it in conversations. At least this quick to just throw out names of of authors or all that. But mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is what what Plato. This called is a place idiot. for that, though. <laughs> well, okay, all all the better. I mean, this this is what Plato called the the idiot, right? The the idiot was someone who was purely private. That right. was that was what the term was was um, was used to describe in, in really? the ancient Greek is it was idiot. It was it didn't really? mean you were wow. stupid or low IQ. What it meant was you were purely concerned with, with private affairs, uh, your own. You know, I got mine right. You go to work, you come home, you you don't you don't sort of contemplate matters of of community, uh, <laughs> state, uh, and and so the purely private person, the purely atomized person is as Plato would call them the uh, an, an idiot and I think that that's um something that we could really uh, draw from today because I think a lot of people I think in a certain sense both the American left and the American right at least and, and I think this is probably true in other contexts too but I'm familiar with the American context you know it, it really does in in both senses on the American right and left um emphasize both sides emphasize uh this kind of political idiocy it's just whether it's in the realm of sort of social relations or whether it's in the realm of uh, economic activity. But in a certain sense, both are concerned with atomizing people, just whether it's on the social or the economic axis. So you're saying that Plato said that all libertarians are idiots. 
Plato says it, and I think a lot of people, myself included, perhaps, might echo. <laughs> oh, him. okay, okay. That's Plato said it. That you the... agree with it? Me? I look. I like libertarians. Okay. Look and sitch. Look, we have a word for this. It's called misanthrope. That's what we call it in uh, the English language, right? Mm. Sitch, I think, is a bit of a misanthrope. I really do. Well, okay. I, I'm listen. I'm being hyperbolic here. I think I'm, I'm like looking this up because I'm I'm always interested in the origin and etymology of words and saying according to plato idiot meant someone so self-centered and absorbed with private matters that they neglected the duties of citizenship to discuss vote and participate in matters of public interest so i'm kind of joking when i say libertarians because obviously libertarians tend to be more interested in politics than people that right. are not libertarians so right the, the the real libertarians are perhaps the ones who say they're apolitical you know, those, mm. those people almost live the libertarian ideal better than the libertarians themselves, maybe, because they don't, uh, they, ju they just attend to their own garden. Well, I would imagine most libertarians, as not a libertarian, I imagine most libertarians' response is that they have to be very politically uh, involved to protect themselves from all of us dirty, dirty collectivists. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, maybe so. They, they're a chronically defensive. That's sort mm -hmm. of my, my observation anyway. So regarding the individual collectivist thing, it sounds like, I mean, I'm assuming you would agree that it's problematic. And it sounds like that guy that you're quoting agrees is problematic to hitch socialism to collectivism because he's really saying is that conservatism has a lot of collectivist elements to it and a bunch of, uh, you know, neoliberal conservatives or neoliberal Republicans are kind of using the individual's approach for their own business interests and they're accidentally or intentionally shattering all like the social conservative elements that people like. I think that's, I think that's largely correct. I guess, I mean, I don't know if Robert Nisbet himself, I don't, in certain respects he was and others, he wasn't a champion of social conservatism. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if he makes a prescriptive sort of judgment on that or a value right. judgment as to whether it's good or bad, other than the fact that, Yes, I, I think that that the formulation is correct. That American conservatives, you know, classical liberal, neoliberal, anyone not conservative in the throne and altar sense, European mm -hmm. conservative style, right, right, right. Um, but but American conservative sense, I think that um, right. They in pursuing and in championing their individualism, the the rugged individualism bootstraps theory. You know, it, you see it at the more extreme ends, from the Ayn Rand acolytes to people who still quote Reagan. There's sort of this implied, sometimes implied, sometimes explicit um, uh, championing of individualism that, yeah, works in concert with actually enhancing state interests because what you do is you you reduce man to an idiot in the platonic sense. And then without any other form of association, all that's left is is the state. And so mm – -hmm. and you see that, right? This is like Robert Putnam's bowling alone, right? Like the, the same amount of people are bowling now as they were 50 years ago, but they're not bowling uh, in bowling leagues. Hmm. And uh, like rates of local associate church attendance is obviously an easy one. But, you know, the amount of people who send their kids to scouts or have uh, older people who have bingo night, right? Like these things, people are still doing these things, but they don't do them as part of a group as much anymore. And as, it, you also see it, you know, when you look to whenever there's a national tragedy, right? Like all of these things uh, sort of occur in concert because whenever there's national tragedy, uh, such as a shooting or something, the first response of most people, left and right, they have different prescriptions, but is to look to Washington. 
And very seldom are there ever many endeavors that you hear about at the uh, municipal level, state level, community level. People immediately look to the highest form of association. Combine that with the with Robert Putnam's findings in his book, and I think that the proof is right there, is that people yearn for a kind of involvement and a kind of um, place to gather, but they don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. So they they turn to the state as a form of association. Well, I mean, it's an interesting idea. Um, like there's a, yeah, the fear that we'll turn to, you know, we'll, we'll have the state become more collective. I don't know if that's, I don't know if I've seen this what's going on in America. I seems more like the sort of online communities or the woke communities have sort of become the communities that people are kind of reaching for instead. Oh, I think so. Of, yeah. I, th- I think so. And I think that that is a natural outgrowth of, um, of, of perhaps the liberal and I mean that, you know, in the classical sense, the liberal right. ideal. I think that uh, in the absence of any other communities, people will make their own. And I think that they turn to sort of these, what you would call woke, socially progressive, whatever you want to call it. They turn to these forms of association as a way of uh, securing that and as a way of uh, of seeking belonging. I think that's mm-hmm. certainly true. So I think it's, I think there's two things going on, which is that I think a lot of community in America was destroyed not because of a sense of individualism, though that probably, ha- I mean, I think that plays into it. Um, and a lot of these changes occurred in the 60s and 70s when people kind of, the young generation basically lost f- uh, faith in the older generation. But also a lot of it started in like the 80s and 90s of the crime wave when parents became so paranoid of letting their children, you know, go outside and play because, sure. you know, the news would like hyperfixate on kidnappings. And so everyone was so afraid that their child would be kidnapped, even though obviously like the rate of children being kidnapped or, or killed or attacked in America was still very low. And that completely, you know, I think changed and atomized a lot of children and in their interaction in the world. And then as soon as you kind of invent this technology that allows people to self-segregate to the most extreme levels of interest... I mean, I think people are just naturally drawn to that, and there's going to be consequences to that. I I think that's that's absolutely right. I think that too. You know, this is this is more anecdotal, but it's it's pretty funny. There's um there are some like conservative publications, uh, things like called like Front Porch Republic and things like that, and and they sort of draw from this observation that throughout the 20th century there was a real shift in how American homes were built. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at homes that were built in the first half of the 20th century. They had much larger front porches than back patios. Mm-hmm. And by the later 1900s, they had larger back patios than front porches. And so that's sort of an it just sort of an, a, a, an interesting example right. of how this happens in real time. Uh, you can see the priorities shift. And, and you see now that most homes built in the 60s and on uh, have emphasis on back patios over front porches. Again, it's sort of just a, a like a one off observation. Right. But I think it illustrates the point um, nicely. That is interesting. That's interesting. Adam, do you have anything cool. to say about all this? Yeah. Look, I don't, I don't know. I'm skeptical of the meaning crisis. So. Oh, really? Just because I'm not really, I don't have a meaning crisis and I kind of like being a loner and a rebel. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not really a joiner, but I Does do. Does it match I up mean, with your personal experience? <laughs> I understand people wanting to join who are joiners, I just, I don't know the breakdown. Like you guys make excellent points on, on 
especially the point about the technology just mm -hmm. making it possible for people to join groups that are just completely tailored to the their interests regardless of the local feasibility of that like sitch and i have so much in common but we're literally a whole united states away from each other so yeah yeah well i mean so, I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean, I think that it, you deal with, you, you deal with what you have, right? So we're not going to go back to any kind of 1950s return with a V, you know, social ideal uh, right. of, of these forms of association and technology is certainly not going away. So I don't, and, and the internet can be a great way to cultivate some of these things. I think that it won't replace, well, I'll never say never, right? With the rate at which it's uh, changing and developing, but it, to my mind, it can't and won't replace what we lost. Um, but I think that this might be as good as we have for now. Because, the, you know, people always go to the social progressivism, woke, left, whatever you want to call it. But there are certainly good examples of um, of people in, in other... This Your show is a perfect example of people finding those communities more generally. So I think that the right will sometimes doom about how the internet's being used and sort of, you you know, they, what do they say? All the crazies used to be in their basements and you never knew they existed 50 years ago and now they can talk. And that's true, uh, perhaps, but, but <laughs> so by world of Warcraft, wow. right? Not right. <laughs> but so too, can I, can, <laughs> is that, um, is that a hobby of someone here? It, it was a former hobby of someone here. Well, mine, mine too. I played throughout high school. Wow. Um, <laughs> look at this. Wait, what, uh, what class what race oh god what was i okay so i had a troll warlock that i leveled only to this was in the early 2010s so i i don't even know how it works anymore but i leveled him to the sufficient point where i could make a worgen death knight and then i max leveled him so i sort of abandoned my troll as soon as i got I the see. death knight. so you wait so you when you first started playing it was wrath it was cataclysm oh okay wow so you were late in the game I, I was I was late, and then the panda stuff started coming out. I thought it was too goofy. College started, and I was like, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. Listen, but I played from right. early kata to to mid panda. Okay, it's like kind of so not that long in the grand scheme. Well, I mean that's a couple of years probably. <laughs> like, yeah, no, a couple of years, yeah. not as long as some people I know. Unreal. Sure, you're talking to one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you played a Worgen Death Knight. Yes. Wait, so you wait, you leveled a troll just to play an alliance character? What the fuck? The wolf guy was cool. Didn't so like oh I, I don't think God. I had the wolf guy war worgen when um when I got it. And then I got the expansion. I think that's right. I don't remember. Um yeah, I switched. I look at my, this I was playing traitor. With my buddy. I know. I was playing with my buddy, he only played Alliance, and I convinced him to level with me on Horde. He made an undead, mm -hmm. and we would um always play together to level me up. And then as soon as I got to, the, I think that that's what it was. We had a deal that as soon as I got to the level, I would go back to Alliance because he liked Night Elves, I think. Ew, what a loser. <laughs> you should not be friends with that guy anymore. God. Yeah, I'll let him know. I'll hit him up. I'll tell him. Worgen Death Knight. God. Listen, I, I like a true Chad, played an Orca Death Knight. In okay. Okay. Classic okay. Orc Death Knight. So, you know, depending on who you ask, that's not all that classic. I know I got a lot of hate when I still played for playing Death Knight at all. People didn't like how they started at what was it, 55 at the time? Yeah. Um, yeah. Pe people hated that. People, some people were real purists and they're like, you should start from one Death Knights. It's cheap. 
and uh, they they weren't happy about it. So well, they weren't happy. Well, that's why for people that don't know what I'm talking about, you had to level up a character to 55 to play a Deathlight in the first place, which is what you did with your troll, right? Uh, Warlock. Um, but the people don't like Death Knights because, and this was very true, when Death Knights first came out, they were so overpowered. It was preposterous mm-hmm. how overpowered they were. And I loved it. <laughs> okay. I love playing my overpowered Death Knight. People try to gank you. You're like, what are you doing? I'm a Death Knight. You're crazy. <laughs> okay. Oh, so over a decade ago now. Yes. Unreal. I know, right? God, so long ago. Anyways, I forget what we were about talking the, about. Tell us about the about Death them. Knight. The Death Knight? You don't care about the Death Knight, Adam. <laughs> I do. That's the class, Adam. See, I'm, I'm, I want Adam to play. No, no, very, look. Very funny. How do Adam I be stream. a Death Knight? That's what I'm, I'm well, thinking. You, well, no, I, heard so death, I, will... I heard Death Knight insanely powerful, and I was like, huh? I exactly. worked up a little bit. <laughs> I want Adam to stream playing. Uh, they have, they've released vanilla hardcore mode, which is so vanilla that. WoW, and you your character dies forever if you die once. Wait, I didn't what know if that. I'm a death knight? Yes. You can't be a death knight in vanilla hardcore. Mode. What? Because there were no death knights Lame. in vanilla. Death knights were three expansions down the road. So I I just wanted Adam to stream this and play it because I know he'll die like a fuck ton and it'll be hilarious. <laughs> That'd be really frustrating. Oh, I couldn't. I so you're, you're perma dead. Like it's just, it's done. You're you perma be, dead. Be, yes. I wouldn't like to play. I, I'd have anxiety. I would never leave the city. I, I know it's terrible and it's like it is vanilla too i was like listen permadeath if i could be a death knight like all right listen i could probably i could probably swing that okay but you gotta, vanilla, oh god you gotta eat and stuff like yeah. is that well you have so to eat well to boring. regain health i mean you don't have like a, a health bar but like you don't have like a hunger health. meter right no, it's no, not no, like no, skyrim no. hardcore no, mode or no, anything no, no, okay no no okay. no it's just the only difference is it's just vanilla uh, and do I have die... to cook my food? Do I have to like no, make no, my no, stuff? There's no, there's no cooking. Okay, good. You just buy a little food and drink to to eat. Nice to get your health back. Yeah, right. cool. Or you find some mage to make it for you if you're cheap. Is there Taco Bell? There is no Taco Bell. Oh damn it! Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Anyway, I don't remember what we were talking about before we got off. We were the... talking wow. about just general conservatism stuff, the meaning crisis, whether or not the meaning. Did crisis... you find meaning in World of Warcraft? Uh, you're right. Oh, wait, I'm so mistaken. Obviously, is correct. Cooking is a whole profession. Well, yeah, but at, do, there's no way I'm gonna level cooking, guys. Okay, he's not gonna participate in the cooking. I'm not gonna participate in it's cooking true. in WoW. The do do you think the meaning crisis is real? Do I mean what? What? Do we, so this might completely expose my my uh, ignorance. The meaning crisis being people not having a sense of meaning in life. People on youtube making mm-hmm. videos about how there's a meaning crisis <laughs> i don't but there's a it, bunch there's a bunch of people on youtube that constantly talk about a meaning crisis that's going on and i think the the what they mean by it is that there are a lot of people that feel like they don't have meaning in their lives and they're depressed about it i think that's what they mean by it oh, okay well, I mean, firstly, and I this is probably going to be very ironic given my presence here and my personal mm-hmm. life, but I, I don't watch YouTube really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, so I, if there's like sort of a term of art or a sort of phenomenon that's occurring largely in like social or political YouTube spheres, that's, that's why I guess I could intuit what the meaning crisis means, but that's why I guess I needed you to break it down for me. Well, there's, so I'm this, not... there's this philosopher that was friends with Jordan Peterson called, 
I think he's Vivek. I don't know his Vivek. No, no Verveki, I think is his name. I don't know his last hmm. name. If you can get me the name or the spelling, I'll I'll look him up. I was like, I don't think it's Vivek. I think that's the guy running for president. Yeah, Vivek <laughs> is the guy running for president. It's Vivek E. Okay. And he is he did an entire series on the meaning crisis. And I watched some of them, mm -hmm. but he basically has this idea that's kind of like the the bowling alone. Who who's the bowling alone guy again? Robert Putnam. Putnam, yeah. So he's kind of in that Putnam camp where people are becoming atomized and getting depressed and downtrodden and and uh looking for meaning in their lives i guess i'm just not one of those people so it doesn't really ring as true to me but i i mean obviously i've had points in my life where i've been depressed and felt alone right so, well, who hasn't yeah. i think yeah exactly well, and that's the other thing that I think the right, well, both, but I think everyone will do this. I think it's a human tendency, but the right has this tendency to, it's it's just rose-tinted glasses, nostalgia, right? To say, well, as if no one had these these dreads 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 3,000 years ago. I mean, part of this is, this is sort of the downside of leisure, right? This comes with oh, yes. idleness. Yes. So, I think that part of this, it's a double-edged sword with the comforts we enjoy because you're granted more idleness, which is uh, can be used for great things or can be uh, can lead to this kind of despair. I think that now, now that's not to say that it hasn't gotten worse and there aren't compounding factors that have made it worse in the past however many decades or centuries. Uh, I think reasonable minds might be able to differ on that. But I think that it's it's demonstrably true. I just don't know how novel it is. I think that this is sort of one of those um situations are one of these phenomenons that that have always been somewhat true for anyone who isn't forced to labor from from you know waking moment to going to bed and so part of it's just forging i mean this this is what all the mid mid-century existentialism was about i mean this this is not a novel phenomenon in a certain sense it might be i think that if anything however it's it's certainly exacerbated by economic crunch I think that people, I mean, I think that's really what it is, is that there's been a lie or it's not a lie, but it's a scam that to advance oneself, you have to undertake this sort of path that, that causes you to be straddled with debt. I think that you combine this with the social alienation that people like Putnam talk about. And you have people that are functionally, uh, you know, prisoners. And so outside of, outside of a prison. And so I think that might, that might exacerbate it for sure. His series is called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Okay. So he's got like this, I mean, it might be like 50 parts. I see it uh, goes all the way up to 50. So, and I, I mean, hmm. I think he did some talk recently that really just rubbed me the wrong way, but now I can't remember what the talk was. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was like. It just seemed, it seemed like everything he was saying seemed like just complete bullshit to me. Wow. <laughs> well, maybe. I, I mean, I, I, I won't just, speak to it yet. Yeah, I, I do wish, think you I, wish to... I could remember what it was because I was like, oh, this is such garbage. It was, he was talking about politics or something. I yeah. think that you do have to, I mean, again, I haven't seen it, so I won't speak to it specifically, but I do think, like I said, you have to handle those conversations delicately and thoughtfully because it's very easy to say everything got worse after, I mean, people do it at different stages, right? Some say the Magna Carta, some say John Locke, some say Henry VIII, Martin Luther, 
Some say Woodrow Wilson. All those are super important. I mean, you can't really, they all seem indispensable. Magna Carta and Martin Luther for sure. Well, certainly uh, important. Um, Yeah. I, I think that, but I think it's very easy to just always pick a sort of moment in history, moment in time, or a certain man of history and say, this is when things, everything's, everything's shit because of what he did, or everything's shit because of this particular event. And I think that really we have to acknowledge that this is part of what being an adult is and the things that you think are novel aren't all that novel um because this is something that people i mean the most the most tight-knit idyllic you know catholic village in europe 800 years ago whatever the the adults in that community you know they they had to they had to uh, address these issues too to the extent that they were able and so i just think that um to suggest that it's something new as a result of of America or Protestantism or whatever, you know, my sort of circle of folks do. Uh, maybe there's some kernels of truth here and there, but at the same time, we shouldn't pretend that it's entirely novel and that things were perfect all but a couple hundred years ago. Yeah. I can't remember the, the, the author. It's like the, the rat, the rational optimist. I'm sure. Rational you, optimist. Yeah. Have you heard of this book? The rational optimist. Everything you're saying, you might have heard he, of the title. He pretty much lays out in that book how people are just Pollyanna about the past. They romanticize everything sure. the way it was, and it's really just uh, they've got a they've got a very wrong picture of where we are, where we're going, and and where we've been. To kind of just humans by nature kind of have a dour outlook if you if left to their own devices for evolutionary reasons right obviously we should be more aware of the dangers around us than the good stuff so i'll look into it i found yeah it's a great book ridley's what's his name i don't know here i'll look it up but i found the i found the verveke thing so it was when it was when everyone was talking about ai and there were a bunch of like kind of in the the collective consciousness was the idea that ai was going to destroy us or take us over or we were on the verge of being subjugated by ai and he did this talk ai the coming threshold and the path we must take uh internationally acclaimed cognitive scientist john verveke and this i mean it was it, it was so it felt so self-aggrandizing about how like philosophers have to be very essential to the development of AI. (laughs) And I was just like going, it's, it's just nonsense. And he, he did, he did slip into like the meaning crisis stuff. And we have to like, make sure that the AI is imbued with meaning and, that sounds like a terrible idea i know i was just look we should listen to this sometime i i kind of cataloged it in my mind like this is some crazy shit we should react to (laughs) i'd have to read it i or or you said it's a book right it's not a oh no this is this is a talk by john verveke um the rational optimist is the book that i was talking about gotcha sorry i should have like separated those i'm kind of no 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 all good i'll have to watch it i mean I, i i'm inclined based on you know, the spark notes we just, you just gave, I think that there should be a greater role actually. Um, I don't know if I, to, to use the word philosopher always seems inappropriate. It's like, it's like how mm-hmm. modern musicians get like knighted and they're technically right. knights. 
but it's like inappropriate. Like no one living should be called like a Sting is a knight, right? Exactly. <laughs> like what the like Elton John or something like right. is a knight. Like okay, but um, but philosophers, theorists, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, I think there actually could be a greater place for them, and we need a greater care for those considerations when it comes to developing AI or any other. Um, it was something I saw. Not not to completely go on a different topic, and we won't. We don't have to stay. You, with you that. can't look. Just Matt Ridley is a guy who did the Rational Optimist. Just for if people are want to know, but go ahead, go on your tangent. Well, I was just. It was just with respect to um, to COVID. Actually, you know, I remember. I remember when the uh, the lockdowns began and all that, and the I saw a lot of governors abdicate a lot of their decision making to what they called experts or technocrats. Yes. You know, um, yeah. And there was no real care from, and this is not even a novel point. It's just one that I saw a lot of people, myself included, making early on that there was no real care for broader considerations of what makes a good governance. What is a good state? How ought a state ought to run when there is this kind of um, disaster, catastrophe? There was purely a narrow focus on what one narrow band of experts were saying. Whereas, of course, the the good ruler, the just ruler is meant to weigh these things. And I think that's where the the political theorist, the moral philosopher, has a place um, in in society more broadly than just the ivory tower of academia, because we had these governors who, uh, who you know, ostensibly are meant to weigh what the epidemiologist and the doctors say against what the economists say against what the political theorist would say. Well, what is a good ruler? Does he simply follow what the epidemiologist says about cases and spread? getting weighs the costs and the benefits and so i saw a real abdication of duty um and i as we all did i think i won't speak for you guys but that's what i saw and so i think analogously there is sort of a vacuum there when it comes to how we develop our technology how we develop i mean how our whole society runs and i think that there actually should be a little bit of a greater care to um to balance those interests because right now we're sort of blind if we simply um because without that we're simply guided by what we can do and not what we ought to do and i think that that's um without that sort of cabining or with that yeah without that sort of guardrails uh without those guardrails we we risk um more disasters like that abdication of duties really yeah no i love what you're saying and i i agree to some extent now we're really getting to the good stuff the stuff that we like to talk <laughs> to talk about obviously but um yeah i I see what you're saying. And I always have to say philosophy, you know, I have the utmost respect for philosophy. I feel like I have to give like the, the, please no, do don't. not, do not hate no, on me. You don't. I have the, uh, look, philosophy, no. philosophy is super, super important. I believe like, what is the thing that people often say that people are behaving in the, under the under some dead philosophers ideology so, something to that effect like some some philosophers animating any particular society i believe that i, I mm -hmm. totally think these philosophy you know they call it philosophy when they like it and ideology when they don't like it but it's kind of the same thing so we do need to structure ourselves as a society on how we think, how we do things, how we institutionalize things. So I do, I have the utmost respect for philosophy. I just, I sometimes feel philosophy is used in places where it's not necessary. It becomes kind of like the, the spelling of thinking 
where I want to get to the narrative, to the story, to the meat of what we're talking about, right? I don't want to worry about the punctuation of the spelling. So, well, that's, that's, that's an interesting perspective because to my mind, the meat is the philosophy. I think that mm -hmm. it, it, it indicates your entire approach and view of philosophy to think of it as the mere punctuation when mm -hmm. to my mind, it should be the guiding principle. It should be why we're even doing what we're doing. Uh, so it should be in the background at all times. So to even suggest that it is mere punctuation rather than the meat or whatever you said, the content, the substance, uh, or rather the form versus the substance. But I think that that indicates your view of philosophy more generally. And it's one I don't agree with respectfully. Um, but right. but I, because I, I think that the, that the philosophy, the intent behind it has to always be at the center from which everything branches out um, rather than sort of window dressing or attenuated comments. So, so what is, what is the meat? What is the foundation of philosophy that's essential? Well, I think that for example, in the context of, I don't know, AI, we could say the development of AI, right? It's kind of how we, mm -hmm. we, we got springboarded onto this in the case of AI why are, I mean, it's more of just the broader questions of why or how should it, how ought it be used? Why should it even be used? Questions like that, questions that that are sort of you could sleepwalk through life without even thinking about why we're even asking those questions or why we're doing what we're doing. We're just on a treadmill of, of developing these things. What to make things easier, more convenient, quicker? Why? Why should things necessarily always be more convenient? Uh, is convenience always an inherent good yes. or is it rather, is it, is it an inherent good? You think it is? I'm lazy. Well, look, but you can have this, this <laughs> conversation out, completely outside of the realm of philosophy. Like when I'm talking about philosophy, I'm, I'm like you, you're making some sort of claim or doing some sort of thought experiment and someone will come along and say, oh, that's consequentialist or that's functional fictionalism. Like they are definitely categorizing just patterns of thought in a way that is kind of just punctuation and spelling to me. Oh, I agree. That, that's I, what, I, that's I what I'm saying. I certainly agree that a lot of academic philosophy operates that way. Right. You see this a lot. Um, I almost, I almost did a PhD in philosophy instead of, um, instead of going the route I did, which was law school. But you, you see this a lot. The, the academy especially doesn't create, it's not generative. It, yes, it, it's, it's, it's just classifying things, right? It's it's classifying things. It's just, I'm an like I'm an Aristotle scholar, okay? Right. I mean, they don't they don't produce. No, there is no Aristotle of today. Uh, there there is there is no one writing. There are there are a handful of folks who I think are compelling theorists, but everyone is engaged in the study of someone else. The like, like yeah, academia exists now. Philosoph philosophy, at least, and, and I think political theory. Uh, Theology a little less so, I think, in my observation, but they exist to just systematize and categorize. I agree with you that that's certainly happening in the academy and is and is very dangerous. Okay, and, so uh, maybe maybe we have more agreement than than we we first suspected. Because like if we're having a conversation about epistemology, I'm like, okay, that's essential. Like we got to understand how you're coming to your truth claims, right? But if we're just categorizing some sort of thought experiment that you developed. It's like, do we really need to do that in this particular case? Or sure. can we just dive into the thought experiment? No, I, I very much agree with you then. In that case, yeah. 
what you describe it, it to my mind is more you know what what we see in the ivory tower i think and i and i i think that's certainly helpful at a certain level within the ivory tower but i think that and and you see this in the in people and i think you even alluded to this people will just throw out these terms they learned right it's not really yes. helpful it's not that and to my mind that's not even philosophy that's regurgitation of stuff that you learned you memorized that's no different than a middle school history class where you're memorizing these schools of thought and applying them to other people's thoughts hence the spelling example <laughs> sure yes okay yeah, yeah you're just memorizing these things like that's the way that word is spelled right and it's it to my i believe that rather that that's that's not even really interesting philosophy i don't know i'd call it philosophy at all that's history that's yes. that's that's history of thought which is valuable but it's not applicable to what i think and you should you should study it as one studies history of of global affairs but you shouldn't allow that to replace your own judgments philosophy is, is to my is in my view it's the act of finding your own judgments it's making judgments it's what is good what is right those things more broad i mean again i'm speaking very broadly but those that's philosophy and sort of distilling that um and applying it to current events to problems you face on a daily basis either interpersonally politically that's philosophy not right. not scholarly narrow categorization right okay so look i feel like we do have a lot of agreement and so if we're dipping into the right and wrong realm we're definitely talking about morality right mm -hmm. so do you think of morality as like a type of philosophy do i think of morality as a type of philosophy i guess you could yeah i mean moral philosophy ethics not not you know ethics as it's taught at the undergraduate level where it's like corpo jargon rather right. um but actual actual ethics you know like aristotle's politics and ethics for example right i think that that's that's certainly moral philosophy i also think that to actually adhere to any of these things is to take a position on is to take a position on what you think is true and right so it's okay to adhere to these things as fact rather than mere opinion you think something ought to be run this way you know it to be a moral fact rather than that's just my opinion i think yeah. that uh it, it involves real dedication to what you believe rather than just subordinating it or or yeah you do subordinate it by rendering it no different than your favorite ice cream flavor and i think that we see this a lot and how people talk about moral issues more generally we see that well that's just your opinion sure to your mind but maybe you're wrong maybe there can be such a thing as moral fact now of course i think that that's that i don't think it requires theological undergirding but i think that most people who believe that will have a kind of theological undergirding um or at least a philosophical one yeah i believe in moral facts i do yeah as, as do i um and so, I, and I, but I think moral that fact. it's wrong to kill someone. <laughs> uh, according to what? According to, well, there's, so, I mean, so it's just like, what? <laughs> according, I mean, there's, how, how do you even explain? That's I'm trying to think of how to, art, I'm trying to, think of how to articulate it okay. in, a, in a sort of, it, it, you have to start with, there are certain prior, that's what I guess certain like burke and and maestre called um prejudices not prejudice in the modern sense of the term mm -hmm. 
but what the term actually means is, is prejudgments, um, prior judgments, judgments you hold. You have to commit to certain judgments about how things ought to be, what makes thing, what makes for a better life, what helps people to achieve kind of uh, human flourishing. Does the state uh, assist in that, or is the state in fact counterproductive to that? And so, you have to sort of adhere. You have to state your claim to how you think that ought to be. And when you do that, I think the rest flows. You you say, well, okay, if you think that the state ought to, the, a good state, a just state, is one that allows people to achieve human flourishing, and that's actually true, mm-hmm. that's not just subjectively true, then what acts good or bad, or what, rather, what acts are good and which acts are bad? Um, because there can be good or bad acts if you think of that as the goal. And and so then you sort of have to work backwards from there. Yeah, I agree with all that. You have a problem with the goal thing, right, Sitch? Well, I don't have a problem with it. My whole point is that, um, you know, when, when we talk about like objective moral facts, it's all hinges on what the goal is. So if there is a goal, then yeah, obviously once you once you have a goal, your presuppositional goal, then yes, there's a moral fact I would imagine, even if we don't know what it is, that will lead you to that goal in the best way possible. My only contention is that without a goal, there isn't really such a thing as a quote moral fact, unless you know, you know, some truth claim about like God or the existence of the universe or something. Does does evolution have a goal? Yes. What is it? To uh, reproduce. Yeah, sustain itself over time, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't. You don't want to create uh, a moral system on evolution because that's going to take you to some pretty dark places. So. Maybe. Well, I mean, I don't know. If that's a maybe. I think it. I think that's definitive. I mean, it could. Okay. I mean, because like, like if you want to create a moral system based off of evolution, then you get into kind of the example of collectivism that made you uncomfortable about like the state makes determinations about who you should be having children with. Right. Like, yeah. You're, yeah. You're gonna have like for the greater good of your lineage and species you know, you have to make sure you have like the best genetic offspring or something every, as opposed every, to like who you love. Every time somebody puts forward one of these thought experiments about this completely dystopian type situation, every mm-hmm. time I, the key question that I have is, would this system be sustainable over time? Usually they're so despicable that it makes me think, okay, well, this is not sustainable over time, Right. It seems like certain certain social systems have to fall into an equilibrium that is sustainable over time. And I just I don't think you can get to this dystopian shit and be sustainable over time. Um I mean, I don't know. A lot of people would consider living, you know, as a feudal peasant for hundreds of years as a dystopian system, right? And that existed for a long time. <laughs> Well, by our standards, it's dystopian, but I'm not right. sure why they so, Look, slavery is dystopian by our exactly. standards. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you've seen the movie Gattaca. I could definitely conceptualize that something like that existing. That's not dystopian. That's utopian. It kind of what is. What are you talking about? What do you mean? It kind of is. Anyway. Where you have like your genetic score that you walk around with and that has a complete determination about the kind of jobs you can be in and the kind of relationships you can have. Yeah. The, it's kind of dystopian, right? 
I mean, it, it's it's an open question. I don't think you can put your foot down and say, if 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 I am correct that you can't really get to the the truly dystopian stuff is not sustainable over time because people mm -hmm. are so they hate it so much that they rebel against it and form a system that's somewhat there is some sort of equilibrium between the people involved then i think you can say there's moral facts because whatever it is whatever social system is going to to whatever components are going to create that kind of equilibrium again and again and again i don't see why you wouldn't call those moral facts like uh the one eudaimonia do you do you go by your name or just eudaimonia eudaimonia yuda whatever okay. one of those Eudaman. two eudaimonia is actually kind of interesting to say but um it's actually it's the internet that's got me started saying it that way because when i was learning i i studied philosophy in college and aristotle was really the way i choose to go chose to go with a lot of um my cloud you know obviously talking a lot about him my professors it was always eudaimonia and that's oh, how really? my professors called it but everyone colloquially, like online, they say eudaimonia, and some people do pronounce it that way in the academic context, though none that I learned under. Um, but now it's sort of just I'm not, I, I'm done. It's like when everyone pronounces it that way, I'm just going to run with that. Um, yeah. But it was hard. Every I always had to fight the urge to say, well, I've always heard it was eudaimonia because now it's like I mean, you know what I mean. I know what I mean. Right. But yeah, well, it's like you demand exactly. Yeah. So it's real. It's like you just make a little branch in your brain. You got Udeman in there already. And you're like, just right next to it. You put Eudaimonia. Truly. <laughs> right. Exactly. The other one, I'm like, there's nothing similar to that in my brain. It's like already gone. I got to build a whole new structure. Yeah. But so you brought up like killing people indiscriminately, right? That's, that does appear again and again in brief periods, right? genocide stuff like that but then right. if there's an equilibrium that's formed where all of a sudden there's a prohibition on indiscriminately killing people right we got rid of all the people we wanted to indiscriminately kill and that that society becomes stable over time it just it feels like a natural rule that you can't kill indiscriminately like a moral fact and and build a society that's sustainable over time right i think that i think that you you need only look to history and you need to see that there is generally with exceptions although again in this context we can say the exceptions are incorrect there is a general consensus again we'll run with this example because it's easier to sort of break down that that indiscriminately killing people is is wrong we all again, minus those exceptions, recognize that. Why? What makes us recognize that? What is written, not to be romantic about it, what is written on the human heart that tells us it's wrong? There's clearly something. And even if you want, even if you are a pure secularist, um, you know, new atheist type, you, you would, you could maybe hearken to evolution, right? There's sort of an evolutionary benefit to not killing people who are members of your community. Uh, people being alive is better than people being dead generally, as long as they're not trying to hurt you. And so even th there are these sort of laws or intuitions written in the human mind, human heart, in our genes, however you want to put it, that inform our judgments. And I think that to recognize that 
and not require a kind of post 1700s empirical proof for it or a kind of rational defense um is it's necessary because to do otherwise is to completely neglect a whole way of knowing right so i i have a unique way of looking at morality i look at morality like a technology how do you how do you define morality or how do you conceptualize morality gosh <laughs> How do I conceptualize morality? Is that, I mean, you were talking about, you brought the philosophy up, come on. Well, I think it's a very, well, I was going to say it's a very practical consideration. Morality should inform, it's, it's what we use to inform our judgments. That's what morality is. It informs our judgments about what to do. This is on an individual level. Um, and it even applies to little things. It might be why you choose to not smoke cigarettes so that you have more time with children when your children are adults. It's It could be your decision to not eat a cheeseburger because over the course of time, that could have an adverse effect. I mean, if you, it, it's how we judge. It's how we make judgments in our in daily lives. And it's how we make judgments politically. And I think that to separate the two, to say that our political judgments can be separate from these questions uh is in error and i think that to have a, a good state is to is is one that helps people achieve the the personal morality and reciprocally to have reciprocally i think that a certain sort of um core of moral virtue is required for a good state that's uh it's interesting aristotle's politics and ethics both end the same way they basically there are these long probably lecture notes of aristotle's about what makes a good state and what makes a good person right that's the politics and the ethics respectively and yet at the at the end of both like at the end of the politics aristotle says but all of this aside a good state can only exist if it is comprised of good people which is really funny because in the ethics at the very end of aristotle's ethics he says but all of this aside the only way a man can be good is if he is a member of a good state and so they bookend each other. Wow. So I think that yeah. the I think morality is is really intended to it's it's just a way it's a way of not just just it implies that it's not important. It's it's a way to inform judgments. And whether that and so I guess in that sense it's a tool not unlike your supposition maybe that it's like a technology um but but I think that it's it's a tool. That's sort of how I would you at least at least in the context of you know daily living and politics. I think that of course there's there's theological components, there's there's sort of inner moral um state of the soul, if you want to get into that. But but really I think for the purposes of our discussion, I think it's a, a tool. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like a a big divide for a lot of people is like moral realist, moral subjectivist, whether or not you you believe um, like moral relativists, whether or not you believe there's one universal moral system or whether or not there's competing moral systems. Do you have a take on any of that? Well, it, interestingly, right when you said more relativists, it got me thinking to sort of tie this back to what we were talking about almost an hour ago now is um, the more relativist in my view, is not all that different from plato's idiot to think that you know um 
man is the measure of all things. To think that uh, uh, morality is entirely subjective is to reduce everything to individual judgment, to be private in your judgments. And I think that it naturally follows then that he who is a moral relativist will be that sort of private citizen as um, as Plato sort of put it, the, the platonic idiot is, is the moral relativist. So I think that I do have a, I do have an opinion on all that, and I think that it's it's um, the moral relativism in particular is is very dangerous. Not even just um, intrinsically or that it's philosophically wrong; it's that it's politically dangerous. It's politically dangerous because it allows for a kind of um, the subjectivity, and I guess and I guess that is a relatively new a new phenomenon in the American and Western context in the grand scheme of things. Recent. Uh, I think that it allows for this um, non-judgmentalism. It allows for a kind of uh, lack of social cohesion where if, if, because I think more people are more relativist than we think, or than they think most people probably are in fact, especially now. And so I think that that also coincides with what we were talking about a while ago too: the private life, the back patio over the front porch. I think that all of these things actually coalesce together and there's, there's no real, coincidences i think that the rise of moral relativism philosophically and in just day-to-day lives of most people coincides perfectly with the increasing private um bowling alone phenomenon yeah i don't think you can this is what i mean when i say morality is like a technology because i think morality i i define morality as a set of rules that binds individuals into a cooperative community so i don't think you can have a personal morality because the whole purpose of morality is to bind people together to accomplish things in the world. So the idea that I have just a personal morality, I mean, that's not, a it, depending, like if your personal morality just so happens to be the same morality as everybody else within your vicinity, like you don't really have a personal morality, right? Your morality is what everyone else's morality is around you. Right. And you're just trying to basically say, you know, well, I, I don't know, maybe you've got some weird sexual fetish or something that's, <laughs> that you're, that you're adding on to this that other people would be disgusted by, but usually people are pretty open in our society and that's part of the moral system. So yeah, more, more relativism, I, I usually categorizes like the idea that you can cobble together any sort of moral system any sort of uh, group of behaviors and that will form a society a functioning society and that's just like completely that doesn't make any sense to me at all because it goes against what morality actually sets out to do yeah i i agree i mean again this is all sort of the political context the more practical side of it um I'm a poor theologian, so I would not attempt to even wade in, into those waters. Yeah, but, uh, are you mm-hmm. are you religious at all? I am. I'm I'm Catholic. I converted as many people apparently. I didn't so here's the thing. You converted uh, people, I converted from nothing. I was non-religious, atheist, grew up in a, you know, I always call it like an American household. You know, we did Christmas mm-hmm. and Easter, but there right. wasn't really there was no deep theological commitments. Um, and by later in my childhood and early teen years, there was nothing really um religious at all other than maybe church on christmas and easter etc uh, i converted uh what six years ago 
um, in my first year of law school uh, as a result of, of sort of my studies at the mostly at the undergrad level, but but also in my first year of law school, um, sort of history of law and stuff like that. Uh, and so, yeah, I converted to Catholicism from nothing. So I don't know if you can even say convert because it seems like multiplying by zero, right? So I, I don't mm. know. I became Catholic. You found Catholic. Right. Or it found me right. one way or the other. Um, yes. I. So I, I, I am Catholic uh, and I hold those theological commitments. But again, I to speak to them with any sort of authority as a theologian or a priest or whatever would do would be would be beyond arrogant. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but no, yeah, I converted about six years ago. Someone uh, asked Pepe Lag asked, how would Eudaimonia describe himself politically? Has he ever taken a political compass test or a, <laughs> or a morals test? And has he got you to convert to Catholicism yet? Okay, two part question. <laughs> She's been Catholic uh, her whole life. Oh, uh, she beat you to it. She beat me to it by a couple decades. Yeah. Um, she doesn't know, seem she, like she's a believer. Though. You know, we're we're working on it. Uh, <laughs> you can fix her. I can fix her. No, You're nice, um, nice. You know, we 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 go to mass. Um, and and she, you know, she certainly, if nothing else, I think sees. And I won't put words in her mouth or or thoughts in her head, but. I think she certainly sees the um benefits at a community perspective mm-hmm. i think that um i think that the theological commitments i mean i th- there's also the fact that i i it took me a lot to come to these theological commitments so to have the arrogance that i could in any short amount of time or year single-handedly or anything mm-hmm. move that needle for someone else's conscience would be again arrogant and misguided um, I think that it has to be organic, and that's why we're endowed with free will. Is because we're not we're not forced at the end of a gun or tip of a sword to come to these beliefs. So, I think that uh, time and reflection are powerful things, though. That's what I'll say. I think um, to the other question politically, I have taken political compass tests. I think that they're very the the, the main one is obviously, I guess, literally two dimensional in a sense. But I think that it's um, it's unhelpful. I, I do usually land. Where do I usually land on those? Really, on the left-right axis, dead center. Sometimes a little left, sometimes a little right. It depends on the mood that I, I'm in when I take it. Mm-hmm. And pretty high up the middle, though. <laughs> um, Look at you, enlightened centrist here. Well, ex- well, exactly. That's the problem, is that it doesn't really take into account other... It, it's, it's a very much, you know, American or Western-centric test, I think. Well, who cares? That's all that matters, right? <laughs> right, right. Sure. Um, I, I just don't think it encapsulates uh, other other elements of, of like how you think a th- like the state ought to function. Going back to what we talked about at the beginning, I think that the, it sort of presumes that you have a sort of Lockean liberal approach mm-hmm. and that you you exist within that spectrum. Yeah, you, that's it, the middle it, point. Yes. Right. It, it doesn't categorize you out. It can't because there's not a, a third dimension to um to it so but but to answer the actual question yeah it's usually within i don't even remember how it measures it but usually within one or even 0.5 of the middle left right and then uh up pretty high um on the uh authoritarian libertarian axis not, oh, so not you're so on high. the authoritarian side oh yes oh yes you're not, an authoritarian I'm... center you're like a nazi you're an authoritarian centrist <laughs> well i i will uh I will disavow that claim, but, okay. uh, but you know, I think that, and that's, that, that's also the problem. See, that's exactly my point is that the, the test does not contemplate 
it, it puts it puts the Nazis there in the left. It doesn't. Right. I, I'm joking. Well, people. No, do I that. know. I, I know. I disagree. I think Nazis are pretty far right wing, but that's a whole conversation. I, I I'm inclined to agree with you. I think that that's a weird cope I see online. People say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I think there is room for nuance. Again, that's sort of what I'm saying with there should be a third dimension to this axis. But I think that to suggest that they were left wing in any sense that I understand left wing or leftism, I think that that's um, cope. Um, mm-hmm. What's it? What would the third dimension be? It'd be the purpose of the state. So and this is why, for example, you could have someone who who is like far right in those sort of nastier identitarian movements uh appears so close to me and it's why people online will sort of take the the political camp that i identify with sort of catholic post-liberalism i don't identify as an integralist um i i think i'm adjacent to those people maybe but i i'm not quite ready to take that leap but um it, it's how people like that can appear so close uh, uh to people of those sort of nastier movements because there's there's no other um, there's there's no question of what the state actually ought to do. It's all procedural, not substantive. So you could say, well, the state ought to regulate X, Y, Z, or people ought to behave in this way. But there's no why question. Right? There's no or or to, to what end is another way to think of it. So it only it only analyzes your procedural commitments, how things ought to op- operate, and not deeper uh, substantive commitments why they ought to operate that way. So what would the spectrum be? What's on the right and what's on the left for the purpose of the state? If you, well, I see that's the thing. I guess if I have to operate in those confines, if I have to operate in the left, right, as at the, the formulation that you just offer, well, if I have, look, you can do it up down too. <laughs> like, well, sure, sure, but any any sort of uh, axis that way, left, right, up, right. down. I guess the the constraint is that there's only two positions, and you could have like there could be five different purposes of the state, right? Well, right, exactly. It's it's what ought the state do? Why does right. the state exist? To my mind, the state exists to help and aid people in sort of um, achieving virtue, rational activity in accordance with virtue, which is literally what eudaimonia means. Um, I think that the state ought to have a role in the moral formation of the people who live in the state. Uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that you do it at the end of a gun. Again, we are endowed with free will. But I think that the state ought not be agnostic about these questions. Is it agnostic? I mean, I I feel like, I mean, we have laws against fraud and things like that. I mean, yeah, no state can be truly agnostic to these questions. But in America, we do try to separate, you know, a lot of you know, strong moral claims from, you have more of like a kind of a, like try to let live and let right attitude about things. It sounds like right. you're saying you want like less of that and more of like a specific virtue. In right. The, the the, yeah. I guess what is a virtue? The Lockean, the Lockean tradition sort of supposes its own dogma of neutrality. The idea that the state ought not or cannot have a stake in these questions and that the state only exists to, protect a certain minimum uh, or, or rather to guarantee a certain minimum of, of social behavior for the purpose so that everyone can then live their own lives. In a sense, the Lockean tradition empowers us all to be platonic idiots because it, it wants the state to sort of take that that referee role and, and nothing else. But of course, that is, that is very much a substantive position of what of how a state ought to be. 
liberalism pretends to a kind of neutrality, right? It pretends to a kind of um, neutral, neut yeah, neutrality. But but it's not, of course. It it has its own set of substantive commitments about how the state ought to function, about what it ought to guarantee, what it ought not touch, what it um, what it should regulate, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I think that the disagreement comes from people who break with that Lockean tradition. Uh, sort of, sort of step away from it or step beyond it. Sort of what the post-liberal camp does. They, it, they, they that we ought to move beyond liberalism in its Lockean sense um, to reconsider the goal and the purpose of the state. So I think that the political compass test should be reoriented. Not, not that test specifically, but if we mm. wanted to, if we wanted to improve a test like that, we would dedicate a a, a portion of it. And, and I, you almost can't even do this with multiple choice questions unless you have like hundreds of them. But sort of to to distill what what a state ought to do. What if you think a state ought to regulate these uh, social behaviors? Why? Just well, to have control over people's lives, or purely instrumental ends? That is mm -hmm. to say, well, things just run more smoothly. Or is it because you actually care about the state of those people's souls, um, moral character, etc.? Well. I mean, uh, well, going back to the individual, the liberalism thing, I don't think liberalism pretends to be neutral. I think liberalism is kind of like, it's, it's like, I can see why people say it's neutral because it's more set up to basically protect the rules of the game, but to allow people to create games within the, that f acceptable framework. So it's kind of right. saying like, well, we're neutral in terms of like, as long as you're not fucking with other people, you know, you have a lot of leeway to kind of do what you want and find what you want. So it's kind of perceived as neutral, but obviously as a philosophy, no philosophy or, or really culture can be neutral because they all have to self-perpetuate. Otherwise they don't exist um, right. and self and defend themselves. Um, so, so I think that it's, it's procedurally not neutral. And it's substance. It doesn't even pretend to neutrality procedurally. That is yeah. to say, yeah. how how the game is played, um, and what the sort of ground rules are. But I think substantively, it pretends to neutrality. Uh, well, to where, an extent, compared to like past, because obviously, like the, like it's not neutral in terms of substantively, because you have to have a belief that you should let people, you know, right. find the way in life. Like that's a belief system, right? Um, and it, yeah, I guess it's not neutral. It's just it's more quote free versus restrictive or more individualistic versus collective or you know whatever framework we want to put on it um, that's interesting i because I, I don't think of it as free i think of it as as very much the opposite mm. um when when you allow people that kind of choice to that extent they very quickly and very easily can become uh you know slaves to their appetites Right. It's sort of the classical sense of freedom is not to merely be free from external authority, but instead to be free from that which makes you a beast. Right. That's that's what that's what freedom was. That was that's what freedom was thought of until Locke, the Enlightenment. You know, freedom was it, you, of course, couldn't have abusive external authority uh, by way of a king or dictator or whatever. Right. But at the same time, you needed that mastery of your passions, your appetites, or else you were no different from a beast. So this is sort of the classical Christian understanding of freedom. And now what we have in, under liberalism in America is, is this idea of freedom is, is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And that makes you the most free. 
But what we see is, is people, when they exercise this quote-unquote freedom, is they often enslave themselves uh, to food, to drugs, to sex, pornography, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what you have with that then is is a is a I mean what it's it's the city of pigs right you you, you have a a culture where people are just enslaved to appetites thinking themselves free so it's it's a freedom is slavery type thing really yeah um, like I agree if if all you concern yourself with when it comes to freedom is the external forces pushing upon you that's all you care about then it's going to lead you down that pathway of just doing nothing but possibly seeking out you know your baser instincts and then i agree with you are you really free if you're just doing whatever your animal mind you know wants you to do in that uh moment and i do agree that american society has fixated too much on that form of freedom and there is truth that i believe as an enlightened centrist mm. that you know the true freedom is not just freedom from external forces but freedom from the the elephants in your brain the animal instincts in your brain that kind of want to dictate you to do a lot of stupid shit and you have to kind of you know learn to rise above all that stuff um my only problem with sort of and i and i and i think that culture should be pressing for that and if i was the divine ruler of america i would trust myself to embody that in law and in culture i'm not sure i would trust anyone else (laughs) to embody uh, those moral attitudes in in law, uh, judging by how it seems like people do imbibe virtue in law. Like as someone who's not Catholic, I wouldn't want you know a, a Catholic view of the world embedded in our legal system. Like I wouldn't trust that to to make me truly free or to bring about something good necessarily. Well, I think that then. It, that what what would you i mean beyond yourself i mean so you you sort of um would would not accept a a catholic view mm-hmm. because you're not catholic which that checks out um yeah, right. but uh but then if if that's true i mean what why then to your in your view mm-hmm. why is um why is it better that people ought to you know overcome those sort of appetites or elephant in their brain as you put it which i like well, I, th- I think it's better. I think people will be happier and I think society will function better if those things, people do those things. You think people will be happier if they sort of resist the appetites? Yeah, well, I shouldn't use the term happiness. I, I think I think going after happiness is a mistake because you can take a bunch of heroin and be happy in the moment. Um, I think what humans want is to be... Um, uh, in a sense of like peace or contentment um, and to have, you know, you know, like true happiness, you know, it's cliche, but I think it's true. True happiness is, you know, accomplishments to look back on and goals to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And I think the human animal is sort of wired to that effect. And I think if people are generally in a better mental state in a healthier mental state in a happier mental state, that's going to lead to a healthier, happier, productive society overall. And so that's why I would say it would be the benefit of just not giving into your elephant brain. So to parse this more, and I don't mean to sound like I'm interrogating, but I'm interested because in the sort of conclusion right there, you said it will lead to, and again, you use the word happy. Right. 
So in in the in the sort of definition or explanation, you're again using the word happy, and I'm j- I'm just trying to. I agree with you. Like everything you say, I agree with. Mm-hmm. But are are you religious? Yes. Well, no. You are religious. I'm not religious at all, but I am theistic. What do I? What do you mean? I believe in God. Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. I don't believe in any organized religion. So. And so, but you think that 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 sort of is God is the author of that blueprint for happiness. Uh, I guess theoretically, I guess technically, yes. But I, I mean, I think it comes from nature, and nature comes from God. So I guess you could say, yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. And so you think that people are? I mean, yeah. In a certain sense, then I, I don't know how much we disagree, other than I guess some of the the prescriptions. I mean, again, I I used to be. I think when I was a more recent convert, and I sort of had the fervor of um, you know. The, I guess there's no zealot like the convert, right? And so mm-hmm, right. I think um, I, I was a little more sympathetic to the integralists, uh, the the people who want like a one Catholic government. I don't know, even if it's purely a prudential judgment, I don't think that's necessarily a good, a good call. Um, I used to be more in that camp. I used to have a little more of a theological dogmatism uh, in that regard. And so, but now I think that I, I, I don't, I oscillate on that on that question now of how much this should actually have a role in the state's acts or whether the state mm-hmm. should instead just take a more um, productive role in facilitating these kinds of developments rather than being agnostic to them. For example, you don't need to have a a, a Catholic state right. to to attend to these real concerns of human flourishing and human happiness, but you do need to have you do need to have a certain kind of theistic disposition i i don't even know if you can have a and i and i'm welcome to talk to someone or be proven wrong on this point but i don't even know if you can have a philosophically atheist but consistent position that could lead to this because you need that blueprint and that blueprint has to come from somewhere which is again that kind of goes back to what we we're talking about moral facts in the first instance i think that you need to have that blueprint uh written somewhere on the human heart to then instantiate it politically uh, and I think that America just America and the West and and the left or uh, not like I guess the left more so, but there there's sort of this um, aversion to doing so. Well, I, I I think you're correct that I think that blueprint exists. I think the aversion to do so is based on humans' inability to do it correctly. And so it's kind of like, you know, we've had thousands of years to try to do it correctly and we keep fucking it up. Um, Truly, so yeah. let's just let, you know, the only way to kind of get along here is to let people kind of figure it out for themselves to some capacity. Like, for example, I know you're not advocating for this, but like, you know, with the integralism, you know, with embodying, you know, Catholicism and law, like, you know, I don't believe, you know, in, you know, original sin. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in hell. I mean, there's lots of concepts of, of Christianity and Catholicism that I don't believe with and would actually go completely against my view of morality and the way that the universe works. Um, so I couldn't find, you know, I would feel like if I lived in that society, I would feel repressed. I wouldn't be able to find, you know, the happiness or meaning that I would feel would, you know, bring me down a successful life path. And I think that's sort of where the danger arises from is sort of like, yeah, I mean, you know, if we had perfect knowledge, you know, then I would be all for, and we had people that could implement perfect knowledge, then I would all be for people to implement kind of virtue into governance to the extent that you're kind of talking about. 
but I don't really have faith that we have that or the ability to implement that currently. Sure. And I guess the, the integralist me, the former me, the me who was sort of a little, I, I never identified as such, but I was more sympathetic right. to them. I guess the response to that would be, okay, understood, but you're just like, because you're theologically incorrect, you're just like it, you're you're incorrect, and the state ought to guide you, right? Exactly, toward, yeah. right? And so, <laughs> right? And so, and and so, I think that, and and you're sort of at a brick wall at that point. You, but that's no... that's the problem because then I say, no, you're the one that's theologically correct, and then it's like, well, how do you solve this? Well, the only option is violence, and that's why I think that's where liberalism comes in, and it says, well, no, you don't have to solve this question. You can just go do your Catholic thing over there, and Sitch could go do his whack-a-doodle thing over there and you guys can just leave each other alone but then is the state being the state is sort of taking an agnostic position yes yeah and it's a matter of of how agnostic if at all ought the state be right uh because i and and this is sort of the tension that i have as someone who's sort of on this post-liberal right but is is a little squeamish um about some of the more I guess integralist. Um, you know, I don't even feel associated with aspects of the online right or the alt right. Like I, I guess strictly speaking, it's alternative right, but it's you know not alt right as the term is used. Um, so I don't even feel a relation with them. But I do feel a kind of tension when it comes to the integralist right, the the politically Catholic right, um, and sort of balancing those interests with the concerns like of of, of someone like like how pluralism. I mean. Mm-hmm. Because, because you have to respect that that uh, free will, and you can't enforce belief. I guess the response to that would be, well, yeah, of course you can't actually make one believe, but if you make them go through the motions, that's good enough culturally and for society. I've seen people, some people in that camp, I think I proposed a, a tax system based upon religious affiliation. You can be whatever religion you want, but um, but but you know, Catholics pay the lowest tax, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen a lot of very interesting proposals. Um, right. Which are, you know, I guess it also depends. It's just a, it's just a practical judgment. Like, uh, ought people be? Is it enough to have them go through the motions? Because you can't get them to actually believe. Right. And so I think that the the integralist right, the real, I mean, the real hardliners at least would say, you know, and again, I I, I should probably interrogate them a little more about it, but is is that to get to get people to go through the motions is sufficient because if if more people are going through the motions, then at least that will be a good example for children for other people and uh and it's fine that people like sitch are alienated they would i guess we get to a point where they just say that's fine yeah they would say yeah it's for the the betterment and then i would say you know my view would be you know i don't think you're gonna build a better future like you know under that framework um and uh, i guess what i would say to sort of the question of you know permissibility of views is that, you know, there's there's kind of like a cultural permissibility and then there's like the state permissibility. And obviously the state is, and in my opinion, should be far more permissive. Like, I mean, you can be, you know, a fucking Nazi and it's not illegal to just be like super fucking racist. But culturally, it's not acceptable to, you know, put on a swastika and, you know, go out there and, you know, do the whole you will not replace us shit, right? <laughs> the culture, right. society is like, nah, you shouldn't be doing that stuff. Um, and yet it's, it's a continual conversation and it's always a continual evolution of sort of 
society and the government figuring out where the line is or should be. And it always is going to be swift shifting in one direction or the other. And it's always going to go too far in one direction or the other. And we kind of just over time bring it back to try to find out like where the where the sweet spot exactly is. So, you know, right now we're in sort of a situation where it seems like I would agree that we've gone too far in the direction of atomization um, and too far in the direction of people losing meaning in their lives. But I don't think that the response to just kind of pull it like way too far in the other direction to me seems like just the mistake to just go, mm-hmm. you know, charging off in the direction, especially when I do strongly wonder how like it's weird because people feel atomized and yet people have never been more connected than they ever have in the entirety of human existence. Right. And it's like, so what's going on there? Is it the type of connection that's kind of making people atomized. It's the fact that maybe people are too connected, which is making them feel atomized. Maybe it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with connectivity. Maybe it's entirely economical, or maybe it's because the connectivity is not face to face and we're not wired to that. And as soon as we all have our metaverse VR goggles, everyone's going to feel way too connected because they're going to be interacting with people all the fucking time in a way that their brain can't determine is different from human, like a normal physical human interaction. Right. So I'm always a little bit more, incremental um cautious this is one the conservative part of me is right, always yeah. more incremental cautious about you know trying to it, before we kind of do these like wide scale uh, social changes no and i think that there's a humility with that there's sort of a, a conservative sense of yes of humility that you cannot bring paradise to this earth it's it's like what the ancient greek utopia uh means good place but it also means no place because the whole point is that it, it cannot exist Right. Um, that utopos is, is derived. It means no place. Um, and so I think that you can't you can't endeavor to instantiate that kind of project or that kind of um, utopia and bring it to bring it to earth, because that's not where the kingdom is. That's a very Christian Catholic perspective. Um, and, and I think that when you try to do that, you go down a very dark path pretty quickly. And so I think that the 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 answer is is somewhere in that incremental adjustment i think that we were i think i'm i'm worried however that the dogmatism is so strong now in an insidiously sort of it's nefarious right it's 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 it like i like i said previously and and i think you might agree to some extent although perhaps not mm-hmm. um that like i said it pretends to neutrality and that's why the dogma is so powerful now of this um do no harm live let live all sort of approaches are equally correct because there's there's a sort of element where that's necessary because you have to you can't instantiate utopia you have to allow these disagreements even if you think you even if ideally you would say you ought not to mm-hmm. so but at the same time i worry that culturally and politically to even propose maybe even a modest proposal like what you might endorse would be seen as authoritarian now it's seen as to to have any kind of substantive view of the good is to is is wrong now because you have to only have a sort of procedural fidelity well you're talking about from a state perspective or you're talking about from just a general moral perspective both i suppose um but particularly the state yeah i mean i think from the state definitely i think from them i mean we everyone seems like they're running rampant with their own moral perspective of the good um 
I mean, that's, you know, so a lot of wokeness is like their insane version of what is morally good is just so detached from most other people's uh, conception. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the, yeah, the cult, it's, it's hard to, to separate culture and governance entirely because that's not, that's not something that's possible. It's not something that's entirely possible. Right. Um, you know, politics is downstream of culture. So obviously whatever the cultural attitudes are will be reflective in governance. Um, and we see governance is in, is putting, you know, a lot of moral prescriptions about like diversity and equity and woke shit into it now in passing right. into legislation. So, I mean, the government, the government isn't even abiding by a sort of neutral liberal referee stance of the situation. And I mean, right. to be fair, it never really truly has. It's right. just compared to everywhere else in the world that has been more <laughs> neutral, really. Sure. Um, but I, you know, and part of the bias of it is because it's the system that I live in and Americans live in. And so we assume it's the best part of the biases. I think the American system seems to have produced, you know, the greatest country on this earth. So obviously we're doing something right here. Sure. Um, but you know, that never, doesn't mean that we haven't gone too far in one direction or the other. And doesn't mean that we can't, you know, pull back in one direction or the other. But it just seems to me that the direction that we've pulled away from, that we've lost our way, is is sort of the the referee live and let live attitude. It seems like that's kind of what's drove us down this pathway that we're currently in with like people going for woke shit, people going for white nationalist shit, mm -hmm. um, combined with it's 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 difficult because there's a lot of different things happening at the same time. Because it's like okay, so is the fact that people feel atomized and is the fact that people maybe have a meaning crisis, is that because we live in a liberal society where, you know, the culture is becoming more neutral? Well, no, the culture isn't really becoming more neutral. The culture is becoming more woke. It has its own moral prescription. I mean, maybe the meaning crisis has more to do with, you know, people having a lot of economic problems, people not being able to you know, people having uh, there is an issue, and I say this as someone who who is heavily involved in nerd shit. There definitely is an issue where you know people are, are more childlike, older mm -hmm. and older. You know, I yeah. you know, my father at my age would not talk about cartoons or video games right. or, or nerd shit, and now it's just socially acceptable. So there's like a lot of like weird shit that's going on where it's like, okay, people are not starting families, people are not kind of going along these traditional tracks, and some of this is cultural some of it is economic there's like a million different little factors kind of going on here and i guess i'm not willing to me it's not so clear that it's like well liberalism is the reason that this is all going down this pathway it doesn't seem to be a clear one-to-one -one, uh thing going on there well this gets at an interesting question that i now want to ask you and and maybe it's one you've contemplated before so i'm sorry if you have and, and have already answered this elsewhere no, of course um do you think that what we have, that the sort of, um, let's say, American consensus of today or the progressivism, uh, American leftism, not leftism, maybe in the more you know Marxist sense, but but American left wing and, and, and sort of this uh, progressivism. Do you think that something went off the rails with the liberalism of our forefathers? Or rather, do you think that there was a kind of hard break and this is something entirely different? Is that rather, or, or what I'm, put another way, 
is this the logical extension of enlightenment era liberalism lockean liberalism the the philosophy of the founders or rather did something go horribly wrong a hundred years ago i don't know how many years ago well i i would say if you subscribe to this most people i know say the wilsonian era but in any mm -hmm. event do you which do you believe between those two so it, or, or something else right so i mean we've had this debate with carl a lot yeah, because mm -hmm. he definitely subscribes. I don't know where he points the the era to. Um, he's never mentioned the uh, the Wilson era, but um, I disagree that that liberalism that this is the end point of liberalism automatically. Because to me, it seems very clearly what happened in kind of like the seeds of what we're living in now seem to be very clearly to me all planted in um, the sixties and seventies. Mm -hmm. And and specifically because of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. because, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because I th I think people that weren't alive in that those days, they can't really appreciate the psychic emotional damage. Like, imagine that you're in high school. Okay. I mean, we all remember. Well, maybe we don't. Depending on how old you are, but you remember how you were in high school? You were pretty fucking stupid, um, but you thought you knew everything. Right. <laughs> in the world, and you had very strong opinions about stuff. And you're in high school and suddenly your parents in the adult generation is telling you, hey, you have to go uh, on an airplane and fly to the other side of the world to go in a jungle where you're going to like fucking probably lose your limbs and you might die and your friends are going to die. And you're going to have to go kill a bunch of innocent people and spray napalm on children and do a bunch of horrific shit. Mm -hmm. okay? This is what like high schoolers were told, you know, or this is how they conceptualize it, obviously, in the Vietnam era. And they're like, why the fuck? I'm, I don't want to do this. And then when they complained about that, a lot of the adults who all served in the military, either in World War II or in Korea, who all viewed those as like the right side, you know, being on the like the right side of things. Mm -hmm. Unlike Vietnam, where it was kind of more, you know, mixed, um, we're like, well, you need to stop complaining and stop whining. You know, you have to serve your country the way that I served your country. And this kind of attitude about things, and then the eventual realization or shift in cultural attitudes that Vietnam actually was not a war that we should be involved in, that broke. I think an entire the boomer generation. I think that broke their entire worldview of belief in the american dream and belief in tradition and belief in all these sorts of things that our society was based upon and that planted the seeds for a lot of the socialist leftist stuff to come in to say well they were wrong about this fundamental part about society so they're probably wrong about everything else and you know one of the one of the big slogans of that era not just for leftists, but for for a lot of kids, was don't trust anyone over 30. They literally mm -hmm. are saying you cannot trust any person, any American that's over 30. You cannot trust their judgment. They are wrong. And to me, when we talk about like the ultra breaking down of everything in society, when we talk about um, tearing all of a tradition away and, and people like, like they don't have meaning anymore because all these traditional aspects of life have turned away. This all stems from sort of the Vietnam era mentality. Uh -huh. And then obviously, you know, that that had a good effect, which is I think that it led to civil rights because people were saying, oh, you know, we shouldn't be as racist as our parents or whatever. But it has the bad effect 
of allowing all the leftist socialist gobbledygook to basically get infiltrated in our society that kind of gets subsumed in the 80s because of you know the inflation crisis and then it kind of rears up again in the 90s and it goes back down again and then it comes now it's come back with a vengeance and the reason i don't blame liberalism is for this is because to me it's very clearly that this was leftism this was socialism that is causing all the problems that's where all the shit stirring seems to be. Well, actually, it seems to be two things. It seems to be a combination of socialism and a combination of neoliberal economic policies, which is the rights, you know, baby. And that's a recent thing. We had, you know, hundreds of years of liberalism in American society before we had neoliberal economic policies, which basically screwed over, you know, the millennials and the Generation Z uh, generation so that they couldn't, you know, buy houses and have jobs the way that their boomer parents could. And I just, so to me, that you can't point the finger at liberalism and say that's liberalism's fault. It's like, well, we've had liberalism as a, as a system for hundreds of years and you have socialism and you know neoliberal economic policies. That doesn't mean that you throw liberalism out. It means you throw out socialism and neoliberal economic policies. Well, what, what birthed neoliberal economic policies? The, well, a bunch of uh, right-wing people. <laughs> Who were right, right wing in the American context. Right wing in the American sense, yes. Right. Who, who? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously, you so you had inflation was kind of going crazy, and so people felt like we need to stamp down inflation. And one of the right. ways to stamp down inflation is to get price stability. And one of the ways to do that is to basically lower labor's ability to ask for raises. So, right. So you have that kind of combined with globalization, and people want to make a fuck ton of money. And so they say, oh, well, we want to make a fuck ton of money. How do we sell this idea that we're going to make a fuck ton of money to people? I know we're going to be, we're going to use freedom because everyone in America likes freedom. That's the lens at which we like to promote things. Like everyone has to, con like whatever the current, and I think when people blame liberalism, this is kind of the problem. It's kind of like when you, when I read like CRT literature, they say liberalism is the framework that everything exists in, in America. So we have to intentionally hide our power level. We have to intentionally argue from that framework because that's the only way people will accept it, accept it. And it's kind of like, that's what happened with a lot of the neoliberal economic policies was they're like, well, we need to justify making a shit ton of money. So we're going to argue it from this like extreme libertarian perspective. And essentially that's what they did. So they were, they took advantage of yeah. the average Americans liberal sensibilities. Yes. So then how could one not blame liberalism? If because, liberalism doesn't have a structure to defend itself against right. those who would sort of wear it like a skin suit, then is it not liberalism's inability to actually de defend itself or stand for any substantive positions that led to this in the first instance? So the problem with that way of thinking, um, let me harken back. Let me pull out an MLK quote. Okay. okay. He has a very MLK super fucking smart guy that I don't think people realize because, you know, we just kind of think of him as like the guy that fought against racism. And when you actually like read like a lot of his other works, like he's a super fucking sharp guy. And he had a point that was kind of about liberalism and socialism where he was saying every philosophy has buried within it the seeds of its own destruction. Mm -hmm. And so it's true that yes, if you live in a liberal society, you can try to put on a liberal skin suit to sneak in to be like the wolf and the hen house, right? But it's like, okay, so what's the alternative to that? Well, the alternative to that is that you're so authoritarian that, that that's not allowed. It's like, well, okay, well, if you're authoritarian, number one, 
you can still have someone sneak into the authoritarian uh, framework, the authoritarian philosophy. They just pretend to advocate for whatever the authoritarian thing is to gain power. Or the authoritarian regime is so restrictive that that makes people uh, rebel and tear everything everything down and destroy it from within. So it's like, yeah, people took advantage of some level of liberal permissiveness, but all systems have that flaw baked within them that people can take advantage of. And you just have to be eternally vigilant. And I think the reason they succeeded wasn't because of liberal permissiveness, it was because people didn't really understand what liberalism was or is. Is is that not liberalism's failing to properly rear its citizens in its tradition? No, I think that's just the failings of the human average human mind doesn't understand what any philosophy <laughs> or system well, is. That 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 certainly is, I, I think, true. Um, but I I don't. I guess I'm having a hard time understanding how you're not blaming liberalism. You're saying that any that this would happen in in any in most or or even all yeah. um, sort of philosophical traditions. But that doesn't negate the fact that this was something endemic to liberalism that was taken advantage of and sort of subsumed. But it's not because, so if, if we look at the countries, and I'd actually be curious to see all the countries that did this, all the countries that became communist, I believe that the overwhelming majority of them were not liberal countries. They were not liberal democracies. They were you know, monarchies or some kind of authoritarian country, and there was a revolution that created the communist country. Mm-hmm. And that's one of that was one of Marx's main predictions that were completely wrong. He thought kind of he was making this kind of similar argument that oh, countries will become liberal, liberal countries will become communist. And I was like, no, all the liberal countries were basically able to enact uh, social welf- welfare programs that acted as gatekeeping to kind of prevent the revolutionary energy from growing out of control, while the authoritarian countries were not able to do that. Sure. I'm I'm still <laughs> I don't mean to uh to, to sound like I, I'm stuck here, but it still just sounds like you you ultimately do admit of the fact that it was a, a failure of liberalism. Now, you just say that any society or any culture would have its weaknesses that could be exploited. That's certainly true. But that would be like if someone were to, to uh, die of an overdose and I were to say, well, he died of an overdose, but I mean, everyone will die. Okay, sure. But the overdose is what killed him. Right. Well, I mean, no, 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 no. Still... Because you're you're saying because what you're doing when you ask this question is whenever so it's like okay if we live in a monarchy and then it gets overthrown and taken and, and become communist you say well I guess that was a failure of the monarchy and monarchical systems because it became communist right right and it's like okay so if we don't like where our society is at this moment this exact time space moment in time. You know, is that the fault of our, is that the fault of our society, of our way of living? And obviously, to some extent, it has to be, right, just by the nature of the question. But the element, the other element to it, and and the reason, like the other side of this question is, well, okay, yeah, there is some issue in American society, obviously, whether it's the fault of liberalism, or I would argue it's the fault of many different factors that created the situation that we're in that we don't like, that's fine. But what is the alternative that anyone is suggesting that would prevent what's going on now from going on now? And if you can't provide the alternative, the question is is pointless. Well, and okay. So first point, I think that 
to the discussion of the alternative, I, well, I, I don't think that a discussion of the alternative negates the diagnosis, right? I mean, I think you can have a diagnosis without what, separate from the prescription or the prescription comes after the diagnosis. And I think that just because there's a lack, the lack of a prescription does not render the diagnosis non-existent or without any value. I think that what what you described the Vietnam War, uh, economic neoliberalism. I mean, what was the, what was the Vietnam War? What was that? I don't know what you're asking me. What, uh, you what mean? I mean to say, what I'm sorry, what what I mean to say is the Vietnam War, to my mind, was also an attempt by liberalism to entrench itself elsewhere, right? To yeah, defend against the spread of communism, yes. To stop the spread of communism. Right. To preserve what? To preserve the world order of liberalism. Right. But that but wouldn't your that completely goes against what you're saying liberalism is. How do you because mean? that's liberalism not having a live and let lit attitude? That's liberalism saying we have a specific virtue embed within our society that is better than your virtue and we should make sure people are living according to that virtue oh absolutely i i think that that's congruent with what i have said or at least what i've tried to say in that in that it it only pretends to that neutrality and of right, course but, it has substance but commitments. but that action that action of liberalism not having a live and live attitude but saying we need to go across the seas and enforce our virtue on other people if that's what leads to the 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 problem, if that's what leads to the schism, mm -hmm. then that's not really an, a point in favor of well, the neutrality of liberalism and the permissive of liberalism is the the problem, because it was when liberalism wasn't being permissive, wasn't being neutral that created the problem in the first place. But liberalism has never been neutral in that respect. It has always sought to strengthen itself, to spread itself, to to grow to defend against competing ideologies. That's what the American Revolution well, was. No, and, and maybe the, the problem with the conversation is that we can't, we're conflating liberalism with American foreign policy. Because like, yes, if America is living as the virtue of liberalism, we wouldn't be going across the seas and spreading our ideology. But that's not the way in which foreign policy for a country works. Right. Like, yeah, there's a liberal a lens of liberalism that our foreign policy operates according to, but America operates on it on its a different level of just, well, we are a country. We want to control as much as, as we can. We want to influence as much as we can. So therefore, we want to have a lot of allies across the world. So America is not really operating under necessarily a principle of liberalism when it goes into Vietnam or Korea or anywhere else. Hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair distinction. I think it's fair to distinguish the form because any country, regardless of its sort of internal structure or philosophy, would probably act and, and demonstrably do yes, act when, right. when they have the power. It, yes, right. So I, I think that's fair. I think I think that's fair. I I still am am sort of I, I still am made to think well, that to go I, back to your question, I don't think it's the permissiveness of liberalism, whether it exists or not, or the facade of the permissiveness, isn't what allowed the breakdown of everything in the 60s, isn't what allowed neoliberal economic policies. It was that people didn't understand what 
what the policies of the philosophy of the country are in the first place. And that can exist in any system. And that's something that that no system can necessarily has an answer to. Right. And but then at at that point, I think we are once again sort of coming and we don't have to keep going in circles on it. Well, no, but the, the problem is it's it's like, okay, we could have this we could have had this exact conversation in 1810 mm-hmm. about slavery. Right. Mm-hmm. You could say, well, wait a minute. America is not really a liberal country because we have a bunch of black people running around who have no individual rights, no free, no free rights in the South right. at the time period. You know, is that a fault of liberalism? And then I'd say, well, no, it means that the country is not living up to its liberal values. There's a selection of a group of people who are not living up to the liberal values. And then you'd say, well, well, does that mean that liberalism is a failed experiment? Does that mean the permissiveness of liberalism has allowed that into being? I'm like, no, that's just there's other constraints that that affect a country that go far beyond the philosophical considerations. There's always material constraints, economic constraints that are at play here. And people at the end of the day will always bend and choose and break the rules and shift the philosophy or the religion to suit whatever their their desires are, whatever their needs are. Because that's unfortunately the truth of human nature is that you can never construct the philosophy or a system that people won't try to post hoc bend to do whatever they want to do anyway. Right. And that's why there's a million different sects of the same religion. That's why there's a million different versions of every philosophy. And so I think when we have the conversation in this way, it sort of presumes that there is a perfect, we could construct some perfect ideology, some perfect governments, some perfect system that is immune to all these shocks. When in reality, I think the reason liberalism works is that liberalism is very pliable. It's very bendable. So yeah, there are people that will bend liberalism in bad directions, but it's bendable. It doesn't break. So you can bend it back. Or if you have something stricter, maybe something where you have Catholicism embedded in it, or you have something a little bit more authoritarian, it doesn't bend. It just breaks. And so when it breaks, it's broken and shattered, and you can't really put the pieces back together. But you would posit based on the initial prompting question that there was a hard break in the liberal system after Vietnam. No, I would say there was a, that's where the, that's where the bending towards sort of a lot of the leftist shit originated from was from that, in my opinion. And we're still on that bend. You would, you would say, well, yeah, but it goes, it's not like, it's not a straight line because there was, it it peaked and then it valid and it peaked and it valid again and it peaked again. When did it when did it revert under Reagan? Yeah. And Reagan kind of went in the opposite direction. It went the complete opposite direction. You had all the, you know, the neoliberal shit kind of took over. I mean, there was a time period where people were afraid to call each other liberal because it meant it was like associated with being socialist. Right. I I guess I, I see Reagan as carrying that torch. Um in sort of um especially the myth of reagan perhaps even more than the man himself the sort of zombie reaganism mm-hmm. of um of of what he's done for the american right and maybe this was a sort of natural response to the soviet union maybe it was a practical prudential judgment on his part and maybe i'm too hard on him i don't know but uh but i i'm made to think that reagan carries that tradition he just helps the economic sphere carry or catch up to the social one uh and sort of helped the economic um i would say 
liberalization catch up to the social one that we had seen in decades prior. Uh, and, and that's why the, the sort of the American rights economic um, approach it, to me mirrors the American left social one. And I think they're, they're just two sides of the same well, coin. So the thing that people, a lot of people on the right don't want to like, or people on the left don't like, don't like to think about either is that kind of the golden age that people think of as like in America, you know, that post-World War II boom was right. a, a a country where you had a, what we would consider by today's standards, the conservatives had control of the culture and the liberals had control of the, econ- the economic policy. That was like the golden age that everyone points to. Whether it's really a golden age or not, you know, people argue about that. But that's what everyone's talking about. You know, you had very, you know, Keynes- you know Keynesian, you know, left-wing kind of economics and, and far more conservative social policy. And then, mm-hmm. so you have Reagan comes in and he's like, well, I want to change it to libertarian conservative economic policy. Right. And I'm going to, but I'm going to use the guise of, so of, because the, the cultural policy after the World War II with the, with the Vietnam and all the civil rights era, the culture shifted to the left. And so, so he says, okay, well, I'm going to shift the, economics to the to the right libertarian right and i'm going to use kind of social right-wingness as like the mask to kind of bring it in you know the guys to kind of like bring that into american policy that's what he did mm-hmm. um now you could say it was a continuation of the break in terms of if you're against neoliberal economic policies and you think that that's you know led to part of the mean crisis that we have right now or some of the problems we have not right now then yeah it's it has continued us down that pathway i would agree but in terms of like the bind the the direction that we're going if we're going more to the left or more to the right it's it is the complete opposite direction opposite of the left now no from the 60s and 70s oh under reagan okay yeah, I, yeah, okay. yeah. sorry I, I thought we were fast yeah forwarding. yeah um, no 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 yeah so yeah and we've been stuck we've been stuck in the neoliberal economic policies ever since and that's part of the problem is that Usually, when there's some massive shock, uh, America changes economic policy drastically. So we change the, dra- the economic policy drastically after Great Depression. Uh, we changed economic policy drastically under the inflation crisis with Reagan, and then we had the housing crisis, and the economic policy didn't change at all. And so I think that's kind of what's led to everyone being so unhappy. There was a big problem. There's a big shock. There's a big crisis, and then nothing ever really changed. Mm-hmm. No, well, that I've I've never, I shouldn't say never, but to to I I've seldom heard because I guess one book. No, sorry. Um, I've I've never thought of Vietnam. I guess as the catalyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, most you know I, I usually hear the sexual revolution. Uh, you know, free love, the birth control pill. Uh, all all arise. Well, it's never just one thing. It's a conflux sure, of things of that happen at the same time. Of course, um, but to consider the, the Vietnam leading to a kind of disillusionment with the prior consensus, um, which is which is really funny because now the same people are being rebelled against by folks closer to our age, um, who say don't trust the boomers, right? Those don't trust yes, anyone exactly. over thirty. <laughs> right. Now it's don't trust the boomers, yes. and it's it's almost a perpetual cycle of of hating your elders, which is. It is a perpetual cycle of hating. Yes, that's the human. Uh, that's that is the human <laughs> conflict that we are always stuck in forever. Is the generational conflict of the generation not liking the previous one, the older one not liking the younger one. Right. 
Well, no, that's that's I'll, I'll have to think about that more uh, and and Vietnam's role in it because um, I think it's very easy, especially in in socially conservative circles, to although criticize the Vietnam War to not see that as much of the catalyst or at least to not even really think I don't even really see it brought up as a factor all that often compared against the social liberalization we saw after the fifties. Um, right, but see, my argument to that is. Like, yeah, there was social liberalization happening before Vietnam, but the way that I think society goes is that there's always forces that are always trying to pull society in some direction. And so there's always going to be people who want to pull the society more towards the left or more towards liberalization or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But there has to be some, some environmental shift that occurs that allows the majority of people or enough people to buy into that pulling to get society to actually be pulled in that direction. And so Vietnam to me was that big factor that really like set people, you know, it was, it was kind of like there was civil rights was happening at first. And that was kind of like the real beginning part. Cause people were like, yeah, you know, it is kind of fucked up that we're, you know, doing this to black people. That's a super fucked up thing. And that mm -hmm. was kind of like, Oh, you know, maybe America isn't so, great if we're allowing our country to subjugate you know people based on the race right and then you get that hit first and then you get the double hit right after that of the vietnam war and that kind of shatters the illusion i think in a lot of people's mind that then allows further you know degradation of or allowing things to get pulled further in one direction or the other no i i think broadly i agree with you I, I think uh, as to where you place it, I tend to place it a few decades prior. Mm -hmm. um, I think really Wilson, the First World War. Uh, Herb, do you know who Herbert Crowley is? No. He wrote a book. He he was a sort of progressive of the early 1900s. Wrote a book called The Promise of American Life, I think it was. Um, basically came up with the idea of effective freedom rather than mere political freedom. Which is sort of what we see, to my mind, as the roots of social progressivism today. Mm -hmm. That that one that we must do more than merely ensure that one is um, sort of politically free. We must ensure that they are effectively free. Now that sound, and what he means by that is uh, freedom of self actualization. Yeah, freedom, he's, yeah, right. And and that sounds, uh, you know, when when you put it that way and sort of deal in vagaries. That sounds attractive. I think that a lot of people would agree with that. But I think that what you see now is is social progressivism, woke movement, what have you, has sort of taken that conception of effective freedom. It's 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 necessary to have political freedom in the more classical sense, but it's not sufficient. You must have more than mere political freedom. And so I think that you sort of see the seeds of of the destruction. Um, to my because to my mind, it's more of a destruction than mm -hmm. a sort of than sort of a bend. I think I don't know how you you close Pandora's box or put the genie back in the bottle after the proliferation of this effective freedom. I, I think that now what we see with the rising tides of all the of the social progressivism, I don't know how you go back. I don't know how you go back to a pre sort of more classical consensus. And I think it went off the rails probably about a hundred years ago. Um, I think good things happened after that. I think that obviously I think, but I, but those are more. Those aren't quite in response to the effect of freedom. That's more of a conception of uh, human of, of human dignity, in the civil rights movement, for example. I think that's that's. I don't know if that's a outgrowth of 
Crowleyism, or if that's if that was a sort of rare win in a post Crowley era. Well, with Crowley, was what he was preaching did that like really catch on in the? 1920s, he was an advisor. He was uh, he was an advisor to Wilson. Um, and uh, right, but I mean, like culturally, where people are like, oh yeah, like this effective freedom stuff is like where it's at. I, as to broader cultural implications outside of Paul, I don't know if it was winning the hearts and minds of the American people. I think they were right. preoccupied with the Depression, yeah, and the Second World War. But I think that uh, I, I think that regardless of whether it was winning the hearts and minds of the American people, mm-hmm. is uh, I think that that the political sort of it, it, it shifted the gears of the goal of the state uh, much more, and I think that that sort of led to. I mean, because a lot of the right blames FDR, but I mean, I think Wilson was 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 the one who really um, was really to blame in that regard. So I hmm. think, but regardless, regardless, all of this aside, it, it's to my mind, it was a hard, it was, it was a hard break, but it was never going to go off the rails. Um, it was always going to, rather, it was never not going to go off the rails. I think, uh, to my mind, liberalism was always going to lead to where we are now. Um, and effect, I think that that things like Crowley's effective freedom as sort of a pro, proto woke movement um, were always going to come about because that's that's what liberalism is. Liberalism seeks to liberalism seeks to undergird and secure the the private freedoms against sort of hostile or unsympathetic um, environments or, or or the public. And so I think that I don't know how you could have a liberalism in its classical sense that um that that couldn't lead to where we are now yeah but can't you make that same argument for theocracy or anything anything that predates liberalism that turns into liberalism you say well that was the end goal of theocracy was to become <laughs> liberalism and then you say well the end goal of liberalism is to become wokeism or socialism so therefore vis-a-vis ergo you know the end goal of theocracy is to become socialism. Well, I guess it. I guess it depends then on on sort of the initial question is whether you think whether you think that the tradition can be restored or whether it can't, and that's sort of just because if you think that right, if you think it's all just sort of one long arc of history, and that we were all like feudalism would always lead to today through various sort of political and theological develop religious developments from liberalization of the church to liberalization of the government to liberalization of the market mm-hmm. then then maybe not i mean and and so then it's sort of this fatalistic um determinism right. like it doesn't matter we we ride the tiger and we just grin and bear it or do we think that perhaps there was something that actually went wrong and could be restored i i i i'm inclined to to maybe and this is very doomerish but i mean th- there are not many examples of what i would call culturally or socially conservative um it's sort of right-wing cope to say that the pendulum swings back i think looking to history it very seldom if ever does and the few times it does of those times it often gets ugly because then that pendulum swing back is appropriated by people who have much more nefarious ends and so i think that it's possible that that riding the tiger but then, then you know, you sort of sound like you're taking the Benedict option, hunkering mm-hmm. down in your little in your little platoons off in the woods with 15 kids. So I, I think that it's it's a 
it's just a prudential judgment on whether on what you think can be preserved or conserved against the arc of history maybe i don't know i, I think that that's a less satisfying answer i think that's a less satisfying possibility but yeah, I mean, if that, it's sort of like, well, that's the way it developed and that's the way it is. There couldn't have been an alternative. It was always going to happen. Um, and so, and, and maybe you're right. Well, I mean, I don't believe it's deterministic. I'm just bringing that up in terms of if if we can, you know, or, or if a person's arguing that we can go back to something, you know, to, to tradition. I mean, they are, are, you know, it's like, well, why do you have to go that far back? Why can't you just go back to classical liberalism? You know, why do we have to go back to pre-liberalism, um, which I don't even think would work because, I mean, my conception of things is that I think the left-right broadly does break down into tradition versus change. And I do think that tradition versus change mentality is an evolved tendency that humans evolved to have because you need both someone who has a, you know, you need both the mindset of like, okay, we need to conserve the things that work for us. You know, when you're the hunter gatherer caveman, you need to conserve, you know, the hunting techniques and the gathering techniques that provide you food. But mm -hmm. then if there's a flood or the arrival tribe comes or some unexpected thing happens, then you do need to have the people and you do need to have the mentality of like, okay, we need to change and adapt to this new situation. We can't just be stuck in our traditions because if you're just stuck in your traditions, you die essentially, right. if something changes. And so I do think that these change versus tradition is a thing that basically humans have evolved to have. Um, and I think part of the reason that a lot of people, you know, there's sort of the Manchester small bug, uh, Cthulhu Slim's left kind of idea. It's like, well, mm -hmm. for thousands and 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 thousands of years of human history, there wasn't really a lot of left-wing swimming, Okay. People were stuck, you know, as hunter-gatherers for most of our existence, and then we were stuck in various forms of, you know, monarchical systems, you know, for thousands and thousands and thousands of more years. It's only seeming that things are kind of shifting left now, and I think that's mostly because of technology. Technology and the advancement of technology makes the world change constantly, and it makes the world change at an astounding rate. And so you do sort of for humans to continue to evolve and adapt, you do have to keep changing how society functions. I mean, look, you know, right, you know, when I grew up, okay, I don't think I would have had conceptualized the idea that I would have had a magic box in my pocket that could tell me all of human knowledge was stored there, you know, in my pocket. And I could get any answer to any question, basically, as long as I have a fucking internet connection in my pocket. Mm -hmm. that's just not a thing that people thought about existing in like the eighties and even in the nineties. Right. And, but that having that technology completely changes the way, and this is what we're talking about, completely changes the way that we interact with each other completely. And so the, the answer to me is, okay, well, we need to change. We need to figure out how to deal with this. And if we had a more like, well, we're going to be hard set stuck in tradition. Well, what is the traditional answer to all these things? Well, some people say it's, well, we need to go back to traditional values of house and family and blah, blah, blah. And that's all good and fine and great. But the problem is you see how those kids act when you hand them a fucking smartphone. They get, they get sucked into it. They get obsessed with it. And so it's like, okay, well, you want to implement a traditional culture that's going against every 
biological will will and neuron in a little kid's brain that makes it addicted to this technology. And right. so what's the real traditional solution? Well, the real traditional solution is to take a hammer and to smash the smartphone and to smash huh. all the smartphones and to smash all the new technologies. Because I think the dark truth is that, yeah, it's much easier to have the traditional things work when, you know, when the when you force the environment to match the times where the tradition did work. And I don't think we're going to live in a society where we can all be Luddites. If we do, we're all going to be speaking Chinese in 20 years. So I think we do have to just keep moving forward as the technology increases, uh, not throw away our traditions, obviously, because that leads to the road of disaster, but we have to figure out some way to move forward. I don't, I don't think moving backwards is the answer here. And I, and I, I agree with you. I think that, and that's why I think that, uh, although at the end of the day, I would still say we need to move beyond liberalism. Mm -hmm. I think that, that, that even that entails a kind of looking forward rather than a kind of looking backwards. I think that that you have to work within the confines of the system you have and continue forward and realize that you're not going to be able to smash the smartphones or you're not going to be able to recreate what once was you there is no going back to it i think that a lot of the right makes that kind of mistake mm -hmm. it makes it, it 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 gets it's 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 no different it's like the architecture posting right the men used to build beautiful things right, right. They, right. they're right in a certain sense but merely lamenting the the loss of, of that era or the loss of those customs and if we were to return to that it would simply lead back to where we are the con you know there is no such thing as returning to a prior consensus because the conditions that led to the disruption of that consensus were already in place when that consensus was formed right exactly yeah and so i think that you there there is a necessity to move beyond it and to be careful too that um of the fact that there were other alternatives to liberalism along the way that we should learn to avoid right. and learn from in that regard particularly in the 20th century while still acknowledging in in my mind that liberalism has failed, that it that it has led to an illiberal uh, system that we have now. It was unable to defend itself. It was unable to protect its values and presumed a kind of permanent public virtue that could sustain it for quite some time, but couldn't any longer. That's my view. And um, and so I think that I, I agree with you that we that we continue on. We don't look to the past beyond sort of the as anyone would to learn and to mm -hmm. but 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 nothing beyond that i think that that's a fool's errand i just think it's what that future looks like uh whether we continue to bend or whether we break um because i i don't know how much more well i guess i would say the system has already broken um but let's even say it has and i don't know how much more it can bend i, I think that we, we get to the point where the difference of degree becomes so great that it really is just a difference of in kind um I don't know how much what we have now, technology aside, just politically, culturally, mirrors the um, mi mirrors the the sort of the founding mm -hmm. intent, or even the intent of of the eighteen hundreds or mm -hmm. even early nineteen hundreds. Can I ask you a question about the the breaking thing? Like, are you saying society's broken because illiberal players have like taken over the field? Is this a question for me or for Sitch? For you, I think that. I think that it, it's broken, that liberalism has failed because it has it has been too effective 
it, it's it's like what uh, Patrick Deneen writes. He writes, liberalism has failed because it has succeeded. The view being that liberalism has allowed the proliferation of so many of what Mill calls uh, experiments in living or something like that. Right, but these are these are, I mean, the things that liberals are worried about are the illiberal players that are on the field. So like wokeism is an example of illiberalism. Right. It's antithetical to liberalism. So mm -hmm. I just, I don't understand from the conservative perspective is it's like, there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it. Society needs like change well, and tradition as such laid out to function. And the problem is there are these, these third players that are coming into to being that are illiberal actors. And there's like a conservatives well, and liberals can team up to against the illiberals or well, conservatives going, are actually, a, a, they are themselves illiberals and are just jealous that other illiberal actors are taken over the field. Well, going, going back to the, the very formulation of the question mm -hmm. uh, again, I think that the social progressive wokeism social leftism i don't again we call it a bunch of different things but it, you, you know what i mean um illiberal I, leftism illiberal leftism right i think is and this is what sitch and i i think have, have sort of been discussing is it's it is not it, it is the child it is the natural outgrowth of liberalism i don't think they're opposed i think it was always going to follow from an abuse of or distortion of liberal tenets I don't think it's opposed, but it's it's antithetical to liberalism. It is. In what ways do you think it's antithetical? Well, they want to put speech prohibitions on people. They want to they want people to to basically be put into caste according to their race or or gender or or ethnicity. I mean. John Locke wanted prohibitions on people's speech. He wanted prohibitions on people's practice of religion. So did the American founders. So that's also liberalism? No, but that was, wait, wait. The, those were things under the, the idea of to live and let live, where the woke idea is the opposite. It's you must, you must do what I say. There will be no living and let live. Well, and, and just because a liberal, you know, was for some particular behavior doesn't mean it's a property of liberalism. Well, no, but I think that Locke recognized that for liberalism to function, you had to disallow certain groups from participating in society. That's why it was yeah, the, illiberal the essay. Groups. Yeah. Right. That's the paradox so, of tolerance. Yeah. You can't allow right. the illiberal people to use liberalism to destroy it. The the argument that I can see though is is like liberals are not strong enough to force the illiberals off the field which I think there is an argument to be made there, but I don't. Well, right. It, it doesn't have the internal defense. It doesn't have an immune system in a sense. It, it, it can't defend against uh, alternative sort of proposals. But, but at the same time though, I think that, that the you know, illiberal leftism, wokeism, I think that it particularly is an outgrowth of what, because li liberalism anthropologically assumes what, I mean, it assumes that the state exists to guard against, um, it, to, rather to protect certain fundamental freedoms it conceives of man as sort of a a state of nature um the state of nature is the sort of anthropological assumption of liberalism and that that's how man is and that's his natural state i think that from there if you think that the state exists to sort of preserve as much freedom as is possible that man enjoyed in his natural state while also curtailing certain impulses that allow man to actually live and not be killed by his neighbor 
I think that it tracks that going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with, with effective freedom, the idea that, okay, once we, if liberalism seeks to secure man's freedom, then it will eventually seek to secure freedom beyond mere uh, political persecution from a king or a tyrant. It will instead seek then to augment effective freedom, kind of daily life, daily living. Um, what makes one effectively free? How do we uh, allocate for certain discrepancies in people's lives that make them unfree or less free than others? That's sort of, and that was often applied economically for, for Wilson and Franklin Roosevelt. But what we see now is, is that sort of applied socially. And so I think that from there, you say, well, okay, if, if it's all been about sort of the securing of freedom, then, then uh, to my mind, it's, it's yeah, a individual effort. freedom. Yeah, sure. Well, the, 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 I, I just see like these third players on the field that are not liberals. And they, basically I see a lot of conservatives blaming liberals for their existence when I really, I think they're antithetical to liberalism. So go well, ahead. Look, I don't want a two V one here. So let go me, ahead, Sitch. well, and I mean, you could be either. You can answer this question. Why do you guys think Marxism is sticky? And by sticky, I mean, persuasive. Why do people keep getting stuck into this ideology that this asshole came up with, you know, a few hundred years ago? It appeals to people's moral intuitions. It's, what do you, what do you it's well, in a certain sense, it's because Marxism is correct. I, I think that I think that it's 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 absolutely correct in terms of how it criticizes man's relation to his labor. I think that people are completely untethered from fruits of their labor. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 almost uh, leads to the kind of crisis of meaning. People right. have no sense of of um, pride to their work. They're untethered from what they do. Most people who go to college now sit in front of Microsoft Excel for a big four accounting firm and have no connection to what they do. And and so I think that there's there's sort of a a loss of sense of craft. And I think that people intuit that kind of. Um, that, that, that alienation, it alienates you. And I think that the Marxist diagnoses, I, I, I take very little issue with a lot of the Marxist diagnoses. It's more the prescriptions that, um, that lose me. Well, it's interesting that you're saying what you're saying, because I don't like that makes sense, I guess, to an extent, if you're sitting in front of a Microsoft Excel sheet. But when Marx wrote what he wrote, he obviously wasn't talking about that. He was talking about farmers mm-hmm. and craftsmen and people that were doing exactly the thing that they were doing maybe they weren't getting the capital for their labor from the fruits of labor directly but they were doing some physical thing and seeing the physical products created before their eyes i think it's entirely analogous to a modern job of microsoft excel i mean to, to well to be alienated um what's what's that uh consider the pencil or something like that and all the different things that go into making the pencil mm-hmm uh, you never actually like you you create one small element or have one right. small step in that process. Right. You never see the pencil, right? You you helped with with the timber. You helped mm-hmm. create the eraser. I don't remember, but but right. you're alienated from. And, and similarly, when you just are increasing shareholder value for whomever or whatever, um, you're you're alienated from the fruits of the labor. So I although it's it's not identical, I think it's analogous. Yeah, but so okay, so like with the pencil thing. Mm-hmm. reality has a bias towards efficiency so it'll always be more efficient to have someone go get the labor someone you know 
send the labor to a place to be refined, someone to make the various, you know, someone get the metal, someone get the rubber to like, to like kind of do all these things in little piecemeal as opposed to mm-hmm. one person getting all those things. Mm-hmm. It will always be more efficient to do it that way. Yeah. There's no way around that. Um, but I think you're right. I, right. I, I don't, I don't disagree. So, with but that. that has to be accounted for. And I, I think, I mean, obviously my position, and I agree with Adam here is that the stickiness of Marxism is that I think it hits on a moral intuition, which kind of relates to what you're talking about, where you have a guy, and I don't think it necessarily matters whether they're farming, whether they're creating a physical work. I think the moral intuition that that makes people persuade with Marxism is they're sitting there, mm-hmm. they don't own the business, and they're making the pencil, they're serving the food, they're making a cabinet out of wood, they're installing a toilet. They're sitting there and they're like, why does this asshole who's not here doing this physical thing, why does my boss get more money for my labor when I don't see him physically doing this thing? So you think it taps into resentment? Yeah, it's, well, it's, uh, it's, there's a sense of unfairness that people don't understand because they never run a business that taps into, yes, unfairness and that, that creates resentment. Yes. And I think that's the stickiness of Marxism. I, I take no issue with that. I think that, I think that there, it certainly is the politicization of resentment. I think that's that's leftism more generally, right? Um, and and so I think that there are narrow ways in which a lot of the the Marxist diagnoses I even to say I agree with kind of still I guess I've got a little bit of that nineteen sixties boomer I don't know like it sends a shiver <laughs> down my spine to even say that. Sure, I think that it very quickly does devolve or evolve rather into that that politics of resentment i think that's why you they they, we now see the application of marxist lenses lenses and theories and and structures to non-economic relations sure sure. power structures etc i agree yeah and so okay so if it's like this sense of resentment which is bred from a sense of unfairness that seems to be like why people fall into the marxist trap um but i assume that you would agree that this sort of hierarchical structure of business and manufacturing and all this other stuff, even if we disagree upon like wealth, you know, how much the wealth should be redistributed and blah, 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 blah. I assume that you would agree that having this hierarchical structure is the best, most efficient way to organize labor. Best. Yes. I, I, I think right. I would agree with that. Okay. And so I guess my, the, where I take issue with sort of laying this at the feet of liberalism is that to me, Marxism is really not a rebellion against liberalism or something that liberalism permits. Marxism is a rebellion against reality itself. Marxism is sort of the child who's mad at their parents that they have to exist because by existing, they have to work. And that's a that's a thing that we've all felt or people do feel you know, whether it's for right or wrong, and you just kind of have to deal with it as being a, a human, sort mm-hmm. of the unfairness of existence within itself. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really perceive how, if this is what Marxism is, the unfairness of reality itself and how resource acquisition works and production works, I don't really perceive how someone can create a system that's going to be immune to the Marxist pressures pushing on it trying to always subsume it and take it over. And the second that system doesn't produce economic results that people aren't happy with, 
then that's where Marxism starts weaseling his way in. Sure. I, I, I agree with all of that. I think, however, the fact that it's been able to remain sticky, like you say, mm-hmm. and, and, and now more so even in, in liberal countries, rather, you know, um, after the fall of the Soviet Union and now, you know, young, uneducated or poorly educated people, um, find find a lot of merit in Marx Marxism, either applied to economic relations or social relations, both. To me, again, it's it's you, you put it as an out as a um what a rebellion against reality, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. And I think that that's absolutely right. But I think that it's an outgrowth of a system that always was re- a rebellion against reality. That is liberalism. I think that both both are rebellions against reality. Both are rooted in false anthropology. I think that Marxism is, although not although developed as sort of as a, as a philosophy, um, perhaps independent of liberalism or not reliant upon it, it was always going to take hold and remain sticky in a liberal society because they are both at at base analogously, similarly rebelling against um the actual state of nature and presupposing a different one what what is the element of liberalism that's rebelling against reality it's it's very fundamental notion of of how man is in a state of nature what what man is or ought to be um in the absence of restraint the idea that you know um that man I, i mean it's really the the atomization of man is the in in liberalism's view the natural state of man and that he only enters into these covenants these social constructs these social constructs to guard sort of a, a certain bare minimum uh, standard and so the it's really comes down to social contract theory and the state of nature these things are these things are not how man actually is they're completely they're they're fictions and they might be necessary fictions in the liberals view but they're fictions to and and so when you start with a springboard of the state of nature as how man is and you say well okay that that's that's man's actual way of being and now we work around that so that they don't all kill each other from the start it's a rebellion against nature because that's not how man is well i mean we had a we had a very long debate with carl about this a while ago i imagine you did yeah um and i unfortunately subjected myself to reading Locke to have the conversation Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, second treaties, which is one of the most boring fucking things you can read in human history. But to me, you know, the kind of like, yes, Locke kind of throws down the whole state of nature and he's completely wrong. And all the liberal thinkers or most liberal thinkers were completely wrong about the state of nature and how they conceptualize that. Um, but a lot of that state of nature stuff existed really to my understanding, only existed and was only conceptualized because the liberal thinkers had to argue against the monarchical theologians who were making, they were making a state of nature argument in order to basically protect the divine right of the king. And so you had a bunch of liberal thinkers come along and they have to argue within whatever the framework of the time is. And they say, oh, well, actually, according to your argument, according to the theological argument, you know, if we look at the state of nature through like a biblical lens, you know, Adam in the garden and all that nonsense, you know, it actually promotes like liberal values, blah, 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 blah. Where if we were to move, remove the incorrect parts of the state of nature and say, okay, 
let's look at liberalism as a philosophy and say, okay, we're throwing out the, you know, the wrong thoughts about natural humans and we implement in it, we, we substitute it with something that's correct, that humans existed as hunter gatherers for most of their existence. And there's all these evolutionary pressures about, you know, community and existing as community, but also existing as individual and kind of this like convoluted balance of balancing these two things together. And this is how humans existed, blah, 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 blah. If we put that into the liberal framework, I don't really see what part of liberalism as a philosophy actually changes. That and that's that's the that's the sort of connection that I'm. So so I I, I want to make sure I understand your your position. I mean, uh, fundamentally, are you just saying not just? Are you saying that regard like liberalism's assumptions about man's actual state of being are irrelevant? Yeah, I'm saying if we were to take out the incorrect assumptions about the state of nature that the classical liberals made, and we were to put in what's actually more likely to be true, um, I don't see what part of liberalism suddenly doesn't work or changes. Well, I think that all, I mean, if liberalism had a proper or more correct or more proper anthropology, uh, as to man's state of nature, as to the way man actually is, uh, not not sort of this fictitious state of nature, then it would completely change the way that it that the it, it would conceptualize the state ought to function, ought to preserve. If you think of man as a comparatively communitarian animal, mm -hmm. think of man as as a as not one who isolates and atomizes and and sort of in the nasty brutish and short formulation of Hobbes. If you, I know that it's a different proposal there, but um. If you think of man as a sort of a more um, communitarian animal, then I think that it would it would have to, everything would be downstream from that. It would it would radically change all of the prescriptions of liberalism because what liberalism seeks to do is it seeks to guard or protect as much as is politically practicable that state of nature. Let man be as he ought as he wants to be except for xyz you can't let him do these few things but otherwise let him exist as he ought or wants to exist and that is sort of pay, um attempting to replicate the state of nature within a society and that leads to a kind of moral relativism all its own and that's what that's what the state of nature purportedly under liberalism is um it is more is just more relativism or platonic idiots and so mm -hmm. oh go on sorry well, I was going to say, I don't think, like, if you went back and looked at, like, the Founding Fathers' writing, I don't believe that they viewed humans or Americans through this lens of extreme atomization. They, I believe they looked at it through, we would consider a very highly social conservative lens of, of communities and that you have to have, you know, strong communities and all these different, you know, wherever you live and local communities that people will kind of find meaning from. And bind themselves to and yet these were our classical liberal fathers and they didn't believe that they just thought that those communities shouldn't be overseen by the state that's the only difference they thought they, political right, life they separated it, political life from religious it, life it seems to me that the real critique that the sort of post-liberal uh, right has for liberalism it's not so much that the liberals get the state of nature wrong it's that what they got what, what they're saying the liberals got wrong was that I think 
the founding fathers, as you said, Adam, believed that you could draw a distinction between how the government runs itself and how local communities and local families run itself. Right. And that they were saying that these things didn't have to mirror each other. They should operate differently, different rules accordingly. And it the political like, realm should operate under some universal principles. Yeah, a universal the personal principle realm that, can be as communitarian as you want. Exactly, and that you have to have a government uh, neutral universality to allow the people to run their communities under this more conservative community community lens. And it seems but like the that sort of very... post liberal conception is. No, you can't do that. The government has to reflect the community and reflect the family uh, unit. Well, I think that the issue is it takes issue with that very distinction uh, Adam made just now is that there's sort of the public and the private and that you can even have such a such a distinction because to to make that distinction is to reject the idea that a good state needs good citizens and good citizens need a good state or at the very least it doesn't do anything to preserve that construction you you have nothing to you, if, if the state will not do anything to preserve and, and undergird and support those kind of local associations uh community associations then liberalism sows the seeds of its own demise which is the point that I, i've been trying to make and i you know that it, it can't it doesn't have an immune system it will do nothing to uphold those sort of public, um, by public I don't mean governmental. I just mean as opposed to purely private uh, in the home or in the, as applied to the individual. It will do nothing to uphold those sort of public pillars, and in so doing, eventually the private pillars so too will collapse, and that's why we have the atomization and relativism we have now. Well, okay. Do you think? Okay, when was society more illiberal? Do you think it was right now or when we allowed, when we were legally allowed to enslave other humans? When was it more liberal? Illiberal. Illiberal. As applied to individual sort of freedoms, it was more illiberal then mm -hmm. because people were a good chunk of the population were treated as chattel. Right. So, so in that sense, sorry, go on. Well, no, so what I was going to say is um, when I hear, you know, kind of the argument that you brought forward, it's, it just strikes me as unusual because I feel like um, when we had slaves, we were at a significantly more illiberal position. We were at a significantly more position where our quote, liberalism was, uh, you know, bent, twisted, broken, in a direction that completely does not conform with our liberal values. And you can even make the same argument and say, well, it was the permissiveness of liberalism that allowed slavery, this horribly illiberal institution to even exist in the first place. Um, and yet we managed to come back from that. We managed to fix that. We managed to come back from that. And so if we can come back from that, I think we come back from, you know, woke shit. Well, I, I, and I, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I, I don't want, I, I hope you're correct. I just am not as optimistic. <laughs> okay. Uh, I get, and maybe, and maybe that's what it really boils down to. I, I right. don't see how you put the genie back in the bottle. I think that because, because unlike some of the sort of atrocities of America's own past and how it's treated groups of people, those have sort of been in, they, they came from somewhere, obviously. I mean, because 
uh, you know, Europeans hadn't found or, or, or explored much of the African continent. And, and so it came from somewhere, but it was it was ingrained in a part of culture for so long, whereas this social progressivism is is in a certain sense new. Of course, it's not as new as I think many would say, like it's come about in the past 10 years. No, it hasn't. The seeds mm-hmm. were sown in my mind 100 years ago. But in any event, it came from somewhere that to my mind seems more of, a, of an outgrowth rather than sort of a vestigial uh, tumor. Right. And I think that so so whereas I think the abolishment uh, or the abolition of slavery was liberalism attempting to be true to itself, which is a good thing in that regard. So too is this almost. This is liberalism becoming truer to itself. It's becoming more itself, but now sort of missing the golden mean. Uh, and I think it was always going to miss the golden mean. It was always going to progress to a certain point where there were good developments for equality, human rights, human dignity. But then it it sort of overstays its welcome. Okay. Well, we're not going to agree on that, but... No, I, I suspect what's, not. What's the point where it overstays its welcome? When it stops being true to its founding principles. When it no longer... So it lets, so it lets a liberalism thrive. I mean, we're talking to local distance about this. It's just the exact same thing. But, you know, obviously, at some point, you've got to step up and say... You know we're we're not going to take these illiberal players. I feel like that's happening. I but like people are constantly talking about whether or not we've achieved peak wokeness. Like people are sick of these speech prohibitions. People are sick of all of these different social taboos. People are creating on the fly that everyone is just doesn't even know if they're doing the right thing now. People are tired of that stuff. So I I just I feel like there is a a social system in place that will step in inevitably and say, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think exercise well, itself. I, I hope so. I, and, and if that can happen, all right, uh, then I will have much more faith in liberalism, liberalism's immuno response, so to speak. Well, look, I don't understand why conservatives aren't joining hands with us. I, what it feels like, often is conservatives want to implement their own brand of illiberalism and they're just mad that all the wokies grabbed the illiberal stick and and took over all the institutions well because i mean i won't speak for, i mean i don't know who you've spoken to or or who espouses that particularly and I wouldn't aim to speak for them, but well, I look, think if we're both if we're, if we're both in favor of individual freedoms, which a lot of people, I mean, I don't even understand how the liberal li- libertarians classify themselves as on the right, because I think of the right as being, you know, not as in favor of individual freedoms as libertarians are. But if you are on the right and in favor of individual freedom, then there is some li- liberalism in your philosophy. Well, I, that, that's an interesting formulation. It's not, I don't really think of myself as, as having any of that liberalism. I think it's more of a, it's a defer, it's a deferment. How, how are you defining liberalism? I just think of liberalism as like individual rights, maximizing individual rights to the point that you're not infringing on other people's individual rights. Like, obviously, if we give everyone the right to, to murder and kill indiscriminately, that's going to infringe on other people's freedoms. 
Right. And I and, and I guess my response is I think that there are a good many acts that's that most people think of as purely private, purely mm-hmm. self-pertaining that are not, in fact, purely self-pertaining. I don't think there is such a thing right. as an act yeah. that truly only affects oneself. So I think we need to I what I think is we, we need to have considerably more care for every act and how it relates. You're never going to have an act that is purely self-referential. So in light of that, I think we need to reconsider a lot of the things that we currently do think are entirely self-referential, things that entirely affect yourself, because nothing really does. And I think that in light of that, we need to, and that's what I think it makes me, I, I don't, you know, using the word illiberal in the context of how we've been talking about it, I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't use, but I, I, I don't share in the liberal sensibility because I don't think, I think that kind of act, the self-pertaining act is is a fiction. Right. I don't think that there is such a thing, even if you go live in the woods and do nothing and, and don't talk to anybody, uh, that that itself is an act. You are withdrawing and that affects so my, people. So my intuition is correct. There are, you want to live to limit people's individual freedoms and, but this, this is what, this is what doesn't really add up. It's like, if if conservatives want to limit people's individual freedoms in certain ways, mm-hmm. the same way that I, I guess you're just you're basically saying that liberalism permits things that you don't approve of, and that's where liberalism has gone too far. So we're 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 complaining about two completely different things. We're complaining about where liberalism becomes illiberalism, and you're just complaining about liberalism in general. And and that right there, I think, I would say that those aren't two different things because liberalism will all like the complaint that liberalism becomes illiberalism is, in my view, endemic to what liberalism is anyway. So, in my view, we are all just complaining about what liberalism is. Well, because. Look, if it's if it's maximizing individual freedoms, and then there's some at some point that that maximization of individual freedoms reaches a tipping point, where you know society's going to allow hardcore pornography on billboards downtown, like we were theorizing earlier. Yeah, I was listening to that. That was when I started tuning in. Right. Okay. So look, if 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 that's this the situation, if we've gone that far towards individual freedom like i this conversation might be very different but i'm just i'm not sure i'm not sure that we have but we that. are we are there everyone can access pornography whenever they want yeah but it's not on a billboard in in the middle of downtown it's, no certainly not thank yeah. god for now but look but if and, everyone and i think people perceive what you're talking about as a problem i don't think people want children to have access to hardcore pornography they just haven't found a way to deal with it Sure. But what about adults? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So there we go. So if you're talking about, you think society should prevent adults from seeing hardcore pornography, then we are like, then you are dipping into the illiberal realm in the same way that woke people are dipping into the illiberal realm. They don't want to show cleavage in superhero movies. I think there's a line. Um, it's sort of the, what is the, there's a Supreme Court case in pornography, right? Like I know it when I see it. 
You know, right, you know it's, right. it's, you can't necessarily quantify it, but you know, you know, what's pornographic and what doesn't rise to the level of pornographic. I think that, but I think pornography is a really good example. I think, I think smoking is also a good example. I think these are examples of things that if people engage in these actions, then society generally worsens. But when people are talking about post-liberalism, this is kind of my intuition about it. They're talking about developing a system where adults don't have access to pornography in the same way that the woke people want to develop a system where straight white men don't benefit from seeing cleavage in superhero movies. Like it's just like an aesthetic thing. But those people, aren't the same thing. Those are completely different substantive commitments. They might mirror each other procedurally or in form, but in substance, they're they're undergirded by radically different views well yeah okay so they could the the ideas motivating them could be different but the outcome is very similar obviously because it's it's kind of like just a prudish nature about human sexuality right well how is how is it similar just because both not or rather not both how is it similar how are they similar just because neither are what you would call liberal it's similar similar it's similar in that it's it's are, are, preventing are you, go mm -hmm. go ahead Sitch, well no i was gonna ask are, are you trying to are you trying to say that they're similar that because they're both illiberal and thus they both violate liberalism well or are you saying that they have a similar nature to them beyond that obviously that but i think he's saying that the motivations behind why yeah, they're different there's motivations. this prudish nature look you could make an argument whether or not they're really different motivations or they're the same motivation but i just the the fundamental thing that i want to get to is i think the the intuitions that people have about this kind of stuff is they think if this behavior is allowed to persist it's going to degrade society in some substantial way mm -hmm. is that your is that your take i think both that's think, where that's where the similarity is i think that well first of all i think that's everyone's take right i think yes. you think that too you think that too about the post-liberals and the wokes right well i they i yeah but i my claim i have factual evidence for their claim they don't your claim you don't the claim that if we, adults have access to pornography society's going to fall apart i don't think that claim has been met yet the fact that taking pornography away from adults is going to tangibly limit people's freedoms that claim is substantiated obviously i mean it's obvious well i think that you're that to, to have that perspective is to reject the evidence of what mass uh consumption of and access to pornography has done look and we we can look we can have that argument but that's a completely different argument my my only point is the similarity between the two is both everyone says this because it's a, it's the thing to say to get the thing that you want and whether or not it's true is an open question like obviously the people who wanted prohibition thought it was going to make society in, uh better if we didn't have access to alcohol it ended up making society worse like you don't really know until you implement the thing sure that's true i mean I, they do they have access to hardcore pornography in these middle eastern countries these 
Islamic countries? I mean, are they tangibly better for it? I'm not sure that they are. No, that well, in my view, they're not. But that's not the one factor that you know There's other makes factors. or breaks. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, again, my my issue here is the conflation of sort of the more the post liberal right, let's say, um, and and the the illiberal left. The conflation of those as as similar just because they don't share in sort of liberal suppositions. I mean, to, to, I because from my perspective, I would their say their motivation is the same, though exactly the same. What and and what motivation do you think that is? Society will will suffer if this if these policies are implemented. Well, then society everyone, will be tangibly worse. You you think that too? about your own system i mean not, not really i mean i'm an empiricist so i i would have to see the policy play out to know i mean i was willing to say look if we put the hardcore pornographic billboard up i don't know the society's actually going to fall apart uh, well so <laughs> I, I, I just i and this is what's interesting i don't know I mean, I think it, it it will, but then we get into the definition. It will. Of, Look, you just put your foot down. It totally will. It will. It will because it's it's it degrades the human character. Look, it doesn't that. matter if we still have roads and still have internet. If people are miserable and they are consuming porn and unable to form relationships, the government might still exist, but society doesn't. It, they thought. Well, wait, wait. Let me. If they were going to make alcohol illegal, it was going to make society better. It made it worse. They were wrong. You could always be wrong. But anyway, go ahead, Sitch. Well, no, I was going to say, see, this is proof that the political compass tests don't work. Because you're obviously right wing. He can feel the conservative. When Adam dares to say maybe porn on billboards is good, he could feel the conservatism just like <laughs> flaring up. I, I guess I just, I don't see any difference between mm -hmm. me, you, and an illiberal lefty we mm -hmm. all believe we all believe that if policy that if if certain other um you know um factions groups pol policies whatever are allowed to flourish and grow or certain behaviors or certain modes of thought that could be damaging to the system we desire everyone has yeah. preferences right so yeah, i, I don't that. i don't see in 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 that respect those aren't preferences though like if you're well, wait, talking wait, wait, about wait, murder wait. I, I, okay, I think okay, I think the issue is this: that I think me and Adam kind of look at it like, well, how can it be liberalism's fault if both the illiberal left and the illiberal right are both advocating for something outside the bounds of liberalism? Um, but yeah, that's but it. The, right there. Yeah, but the counter argument that you're making and that other people have made is like, well, they're saying that the illiberal left is not outside the bounds of liberalism. They're saying the illiberal left is the uh end point of liberalism while your or whoever whatever system we're arguing for the illiberal right is saying that their thing is not the end point of liberalism it's something different is that the is that correct yes i think okay. that the illiberal left is the fulfillment of liberalism's promises right and so okay and so the the fundamental disagreement i guess and i mean we're not gonna solve this disagreement obviously is you know we do not view illiberal left as the Endpoint of liberalism. 
we just view it as the same thing as we view the liberal right as just right. an rejection of liberalism. But and yeah. to that, I would say, although I agree with you, even if that weren't the case, even if I didn't think that the illiberal left was the fulfillment of liberalism's promise, even if I didn't believe that, right, it still doesn't negate, to my mind, it doesn't negate the view that we are all, if if we each have a delegate, right. If, if, if I'm a delegate of the illiberal right, we have a delegate of the illiberal left, mm-hmm. and Adam or you is a delegate of, of liberalism. Right. We all just have various commitments of the good, and we just disagree on the good. I don't view myself as any closer to the illiberal left than I do to Adam, let's say. Look, I, I, I completely disagree, though, because I, I, I'm basing mine on trial and error on some you know implementing the policy and seeing what happens you're basically saying you know i believe in my heart of hearts if we implement this policy that society will fall apart i'm not going to do that i don't think you need to believe it in your heart of hearts i think that the whole crisis of meaning of the past 50 years demonstrates that demonstrates that the um <clears throat> that either whether it is the illiberal left or liberalism or or some combination of the two or or relation between the two leads to a similar crisis of meaning look we began this conversation with me saying i don't i'm not sure the crisis the meaning crisis is real <laughs> right right no so, and, and i and, and and where and i agree well don't agree i to the extent i say it's just a fact of nature Right, I I think that there's always been somewhat of a, of a crisis. Sure, yeah, exactly. And I think it's people exacerbated. are depressed in their twenties. So right, exactly. It's that's that's just being a person. Yes, but I think the state of nature. Right, right. <laughs> but I think it's exacerbated by this very prolific liberalization of of what again what you would call freedom, I would not, because it it would seem that that we could not have a culture or a society or a government that lets people um enslave themselves to passions to pornography or cheeseburgers or to cigarettes or to anything else and so in my mind i'm i would say that both you and the illiberal leftist want to enslave people now that's not fair because that 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 takes one narrow band of my perspective and says mm-hmm. because neither of you agree with it you are the same well, that's not true. But to my mind, that's what you're doing when you say that I am like the illiberal left just because we don't share certain prescriptions with you. Right. Well, These are just three different perspectives that are it's like a three sides of a triangle. Like we don't none of us agree with each other. Yeah. No, and I think that's fair. And I, I don't think, um, Adam, that the like trial and error idea actually matters in the conversation because like when you talk about like trial and error and science and like you know facts, that only matters if everyone has the same goal or presupposition of what the goal should be. Where if you have a fundamental difference about like what freedom is or what we should be shooting for, then it doesn't really matter what the you know you don't really have to argue about what the fact quote facts are. Yeah, but I, look, every, there's all sorts of metrics that people use to measure these things, even buddy. Every, everyone talks about, yeah, look, uh, individually we can come up with our own goals for society, but when it comes right down to it, we're measuring things like happiness, gross domestic product, 
uh, no, but I mean, like, it's like all these different metrics. That like we're the using happiness thing is really to measure interesting. the health of a society, right? The Hours happiness thing, worked, inflation. There's like a million metrics. The happiness and crisis of meaning thing is very interesting to me because we all assume right now that people are more unhappy than they've been in a while. That people have more of a crisis of meaning than they ever have in a while. And it's like, okay, maybe that's true because people report it on a like a, yeah, a survey a or something. Or maybe it's not true because we have to remember is that our parents and our grandparents grew up in a time where they were actively told that you should not express your feelings about these things. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's why I like, you know, what, that's why I don't want to get bogged down in like the, well, what are the facts? Because like, I don't know if we actually know what the facts are, you know, regarding that sort of thing. And I don't think someone has a, an, a, a monopoly on those sorts of fact claims. Well, we do know if the society's being sustained over time, obviously, at the most fundamental level. We know. Sure. Yeah. We know our society continues or... to exist. Look, yes, that's of one of the questions when you guys were talking, I was going to ask. Like, okay. we're kind of trending towards there. And um, what is, how would you define in, in that formulation society? Because I would posit that, that, again, the government could still exist. People could still go to work. Pe like, it would look on the surface <laughs> like things are. But but is society really healthy? Look, I know. Look, I'm, let me ask my question. Sure. Uh, do you think we are on the verge of some kind of societal upheaval? Oh God! I'm, look, I'm going to guess you're going to answer yes, but I, I'm interested in the details. I guess it depends on how far in the field. Like, I guess the answer would be yes. But what we mean by the near term, like by soon, I might mean in the next hundred years, two hundred years. I don't think there's. I don't think it's imminent. Okay. I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. If it happens in in my lifetime, it won't be until I'm very old. So what what is this societal upheaval then that you're perceiving in a in a hundred years or so? I think a kind of well, I guess it could go a few ways. Um, and this is without sort of external force like uh, any kind of war or 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 subjugation externally, but I think that. I think things can get very ugly if we continue down the path of what is comparatively for the current time, um, kind of progressivism and, and libertinism because historically, I, I mean, I don't want to see a duplication or replication of, of, of other cultures that have gone down that road where there's a sudden break. Like I don't want to see an Iranian revolution, something analogous to that. I don't want to see that here. I think that's one potential outcome. I think that there is a that that's how it that's how the sort of the pendulum does swing when it swings to the right or swings to a sort of culturally or conservative, if you can use the term. I, I don't want that. I worry about that happening right. with increased, I don't know, alienation, which leads to increase what we call personal freedoms, which leads to a frustration or or winding up that will suddenly break. Um, so I think it could come in, in that form, and that's uh, that is uh, unnerving. Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay, well, this is a really interesting conversation. We've been talking Indeed. about it for a long time. Let me yeah. some super chats <laughs> and some questions. I'm sure this conversation has generated some questions. Yeah, we didn't ask you about time. How are you on time-wise? Do you, you want to... Oh, I'm fine. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, 
can stay for the chats. I can do whatever you guys want me to do. Sure. Awesome. How do you feel about time zones? And daylight zones? savings time. Should we get rid of daylight savings time? What do you, I, do you feel about? I mean, I like I like longer days. So I, I like daylight savings time. Yeah, I, me too. I would get rid of standard time. There um, you yeah, go. there okay. we go. Look, this I, guy's, I, think, I knew you were based. Yeah, see, I'm, <laughs> I'm redeeming myself in your eyes now, there I you hope. Um, well, look, we. the thing is, is it, it increases individual freedom, though, to have longer days, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. I like standard time. <laughs> also, no, can, I, you, can you say, clip it, CT? You want me to say that? Yeah. Clip it CT? That's our editor, but say it like really excited. Clip it CT. No, Perfect. No, like really excited. Perfect. <laughs> no, that was that's awful. the upper bounds of my excitement. Okay. You're you're very stoic. You're rooted in stoicism. <laughs> that's me. Uh you you're the, a virtue ethicist, right? Would you classify yourself as a virtue ethicist? Gosh, I haven't thought of it in those terms since I was like studying it, but yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, I I think that we should that we should foster certain virtues in society. I'm not. I'm in no way against that. So, yeah, I I, I ju- and I I want to have faith in uh, the system that we have inherited to do that. I do not want to throw it out out of some kind of love for pining for or secret intent to um, bring about something that is that can very quickly and easily get nasty. That's not what I want. I can't speak for others on the right. I think that there might be a desire for that in some folks on the right. I want this to work. I've just lost faith in it. Right. And if that well, faith can be restored, then then all the better. But right now it's just, I don't have it. What would it take to restore your faith? What could happen? A semblance of care for the state of people's, I'll say souls, but I don't mean it. I mean, I, of course, I in personally mean theologically, but I understand right. that that's, um, that's not what the, what is practicable in the American context. I but, sold my soul to look young forever. So did you, I'm out of luck. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe, maybe, maybe see under my, under my, uh, integralist regime we can we can try and get it back but um no i i i, I he think doesn't that, want it well, back he doesn't want <laughs> it back he's fine he's fine fucked if i got it back i listen when i went to adam's house i saw the painting it's <laughs> hidden in the back there somewhere the painting with the yeah, AJ adam painting right god i remember reading that that's been forever since i've read that book dorian gray yeah yeah never read it the real hallucinator for $20 says, I think it's best to say that individualism versus collectivism is on a spectrum, but certain policies have such a profound effect when collectivized, such as life and death, that they should be weighed more heavily on the spectrum. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. There you go. Uh, seven for $20. Thank you. Says, here's an interesting personal question for the guests. What's it like being married to you on head? <laughs> also, do I, you want to have kids someday? I'm stunned. I mean, I guess based on how we we do how you guys do the order of the chats and all that, it's not as surprising. But I, it's still stunning to me we got this far without that coming up. No, that um, was one of the first ones. I just didn't read it until now. <laughs> I, I just, that that makes sense. That was one of the first ones. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's married life. It's good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, happy for it. Um, 
you know, we, we, people ask, and I think I might've seen some other people ask in, in, in the chat throughout tonight as well, but how, whether there is shared ground there um, and how much, first of all, like normal people don't talk about this every hour of the day. Right. So like, it's not like I get home and we start just talking about post-liberalism and Marxism, you know, people, people talk <laughs> about other things. So pe- it's always funny to me when people say, how do you get along? Or, or like you, it's like, cause we're just people and you can share a lot of similarities with someone before you delve into Herbert Crowley and Karl Marx and socialism and, and what have you. So that's, that's the first way I answer that. Mm-hmm. But then secondly, I think that she and I, and I, I won't speak for her. Um, she certainly has a platform to speak for herself, but I think that um, we share a lot of similar diagnoses. We, we split on, on some of the, um, the prescriptions, of course. Um, but, but I, I think that that we we have a sort of we we look around and have a sort of similar like huh that's kind of shitty um and so i think we we have a lot of similar frustrations and i think when you have those similar diagnoses and frustrations it indicates a kind of similarity and disposition and so i think that that is more important actually than anything um is, is sharing in that disposition so married life is good um you know for the whole how long has it been month and a half uh, it's, it's been very good. And, uh, hopefully kids one day, that's absolutely the, uh, the goal. Mm-hmm. Well, what I take from what you just said is that together you and Shu form the Nazbol Alliance. It's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> I had to ask her what that was. I didn't know oh, what a Nazbol was um, for, for the longest time. Um, go. but yeah, that, that's one I've heard quite a bit from, uh, from various detractors. There it is. Uh, marriage is great look i'm married as well i don't think enough people who are married talk about how great it is so there's too many people out there on the internet talking about who are divorced we're talking about terrible marriages so right we're like the uh i'm I'm still on my yeah exactly i'm still on my first marriage you're still on your first marriage look marriage is great it's good to have a partner in crime absolutely that's that's what it's all about really is the for and to my mind it's the formation of uh of something beautiful there so that's partner in justice adam not crime but <laughs> look terrible justice <laughs> uh the yeti fighter says yuda what do you think of the pornography billboard question and what do you think of corn in general uh so i think i know we kind of talked about this already in the course of our discussion uh and this is one where I will be pretty pretty blunt. I, I think that obviously no billboard and no no private consumption. Wow. Yeah. I, I think that's a pretty that, that shouldn't be too surprising, I hope, after after our discussion. No private consumption of porn. Terrible. I'm not voting for you for president. Jesus. And that's not the first time I've heard that. I, I imagine it wouldn't be very popular in the American nope. context. Oh, what do you think of corn? Corn itself, I mean, I, I like corn. I like corn on the cob, uh, especially mm-hmm. in, the, you know, in the summer. Um, mm-hmm. I always have to get the little things you you poke into the two sides of it because I can't stand getting anything on my fingers. I can't do like finger food or anything mm. um, unless it's like you know not particularly runny or whatever. Because... This is see, this is how we know that you're really conservative. You have a very high disgust mechanism. No, right. look, <laughs> we never talked about your your destiny video. I think he. I saw that Destiny had blocked you. He did. And, and you know, it. I don't think it was strictly the video itself. I don't even know if he saw the video. It was because he and I 
had a back and forth about um well it was it was it was something to do with with uh the the fires in Hawaii right and Ukraine and I I was making fun of his ability inability to understand like basically I was making an analogous argument and he was treating it like I was trying to make an argument that two things were identical when I was simply saying they were analogous and in response to that I asked the the breakfast question right and because not because the breakfast question asks about analogies it asks about hypotheticals but because then in sort of and I hate to use the prefix meta but in a meta sense it was an analogy about the analogy. So I was asking, like, like if you if you can't entertain an analogy, can you even entertain a hypothetical? To which he got even more mad. And so mm. then it got to the point where I was I was whenever he had a good take, whenever he it, it didn't even become about the hypothetical. I would just say like whenever he said something that I agreed with, I'd say I can tell you had breakfast this morning. Like I would just respond with that, like just completely like just just sort of running it into the ground and eventually he got tired of it right uh, which is well, too bad listen i'm not uh feeling super charitable to destiny after our conversation a while ago oh yeah uh since you're a grudger man let it go but, come on but <laughs> i would block you too if you're doing that to me <laughs> oh well i would not have the time like what can i fuck? i don't, Get out I don't of here. look i watched the video too and i don't think the video was very fair as far as i mean you can't base destiny's thing off of just one tweet so oh well no i, I mean I'm, it I'm seemed like you were that, joking though obviously yes it was yeah. it was it was it with with that video and with the video i did on barbie mm -hmm. i get i get so in the weeds as i'm making it that i forget if i even believe it yeah like, <laughs> I, I i sort of start to just buy into the myth that it, that i believe what i'm saying it is a very and, funny video. I will give you that. So well, and that's that's what I, I I that's what I wanted, and that's what I sort of that and and the Barbie video too. Um, I wanted to sort of I wanted people to to comment, be like, well, that just wasted ten minutes of my life, or like like or see it as a successful shit post because that's really what it was. Um, especially the Destiny one, the Barbie one, I actually might have convinced myself of as I was making it. Wow, but the Des the Destiny one in particular, um. Well, it was it was just a shit post. So every person I see who uh, who replies to that effect, I take it as high praise. What's the what's up? Because there's a clip in there that makes me think you're not a conservative. Oh, really? there's yeah, there's this clip that's like this big fat guy that's so disgusting. Like I can't even, the bowl. Yeah, I can't even look at that picture <laughs> without wanting to throw up. That's How, the point. I, yeah, but why, like, you're a conservative. Why would you put that in your video? How do you mean? Look, you I had was... to look at that clip over. <laughs> look, I was just like, all right, get this out of here. Like, <laughs> you had to look at that clip over and over and over again just to, like, do the video. Well, you know, we, we do what we must um, <laughs> for, for like... art. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, I mean, it's uh, the point was that it's meant to be repulsive. Not yeah. because of what he looks like necessarily, although no, you know yeah, that's that could indicate indicate a certain kind of mode <laughs> of behavior, but also the slurping. That's actually too. I'm talking about slurping milk from a cereal bowl. Yes, I, that clip is actually a guy slurping uh, gravy, like um, biscuits oh, and gravy. Oh, but you, wow. you, I know it, it makes it much worse, but you actually can't tell from the clip, right. so it works. But yeah, that was actually sausage gravy. <laughs> Jesus. Well, listen, I think worse. you need to have a conversation with J-Rag. He'll get you sorted out about whether you uh, really believe what you're saying or not. J-Rag? Yeah, you don't know about J-Rag? You don't know about J-Rag.
I'm not. He doesn't watch YouTube. I'm Shoe, you got to teach your man here about JREG, okay? I will, I will do my due diligence. Yeah. Uh, Mark Twain's Revenge for $50. Thank you so much. It says Cath- uh, Catholicism for the win. There you go. Nice. Indeed. Uh, Dotums for $5 says, does man truly find Catholicism or does God send the cute Catholic girls to find man <laughs> and man is simply capable of deluding himself otherwise? There you go. Who knows? Uh, let's see. WTF1A1A for $20 says, how do I have free will if God knows everything I did or am doing and will do down the road? Praise be to Foamy, the true God of God's joke. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about free will and predestination and God and omniscience and all that stuff? Well, I, I don't believe in predestination. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the free will, I mean, again, when it comes to matters that are more theological, and I know that this was, I mean, not entirely a joke. I think that that criticism is is one that I've seen often, but I, I don't want to you know get too in the weeds with it. But I think that it might be more analogous to the uh the child you supervise right like you the child in his mind or rather the fish in a bowl perhaps the fish doesn't know it's in a bowl the fish has no conception of whether it's in the wild or in a bowl it ha- it doesn't even know what those things are the fish just is um but you know the fish is in captivity and so i think that we exercise free will to the extent that our faculties allow us mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that there isn't sort of a higher being that is able to to observe and know what will come of it so um hmm. okay uh so do you, okay i understand i wasn't i was gonna add on that but i changed my mind <laughs> mark twain's revenge thanks so much for the 50 dollars. says as a catholic i don't think the church should have the power of the state we have been there and done that and it's not a coincidence that the periods of great corruption of the church coincided with periods where it had great stately power Well, I think that that's a that's a criticism I hear a lot. I think that it's it's any man-made institution, right? I mean, there are a lot of man-made institutions that are fallible. They're composed of man. Um, mm-hmm. They are you. Sh- they should always be questioned healthily. Although I have um, sort of deference, of course, to Rome and to the Pope. I, I I also acknowledge that the Pope is a man. That the Church is composed of men. And so I think that that to, to deny wrongdoing by the church is to deny reality. I mean, you look at the sex abuse crisis, obscene, horrific, inexcusable. Um, and I think that I, I don't see it a lot. I do see some really trad types. I won't even say excuse it, but push it aside. But I think that the church needs to do a lot more to address these things and right these wrongs. But they very much protect themselves in this structure. You know, they, they, they have to, in a certain sense, in their mind, um, to to preserve the structure of the church. But I think I think it really there is a rot that does need exer- that does need excised. Um not by virtue of it being the Catholic Church, but by virtue of it being a human institution. And so I think that I don't think it's an indictment on the Catholic Church. I think it's an indictment on humans, on man who comprise it. I think that um it's right to be skeptical, and I don't fault people for losing faith in the church, frankly. I think that the church has done a bad job of addressing the wrongs that it's committed. Hmm. There you go. True. 
Uh, Pepe Lag for twenty dollars says, Yuda, what do you think of people calling Shu a conservative, and why do you think they call her that? Do you think she's a socialist conservative? <laughs> what do I think? Um, I tell her jokingly she's a conservative sometimes. I mean, half jokingly, like when we talk. I think that in substance, in substance, she's she's not really. Um, in form, in I think she sometimes is. Um, here's here's what I mean. Like we both like we when we were listening to you guys earlier tonight, we were talking about um, porn consumption because it was it was being discussed. Um, you know, here um, it was mm-hmm. being discussed with the billboard and all that. And, right. and she was like, yeah, and that's we both agree. This is her speaking. We both agree that um, it can be damaging or what have you. But I still think we should let people do it. And I and I to which I respond, well, if you think it's bad or can be damaging, why should we let people do it? If you think it's wrong and you think not just wrong out of sort of some private aesthetic preference, but because it actually has corrosive uh, results, then how can you just be fine with people doing it? Well, and so she she, she she and I share similar intuitions, but then don't sort of take the uh, she does not take the the leap that I do. So I will sometimes tell her when we have these discussions, you're a conservative who doesn't know it yet, which as I understand it is what many of her both fans and detractors say about her. Um, and I think that, that uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds. Do you, um, do you accept that those moral intuitions could be wrong though? Like what, what if we did do a full ban of pornography mm-hmm. and sexual assaults like doubled and that they could find a correlation between pornography lowering the the level of so, uh, sexual assaults in the society. If they could find that correlation, then that would mean that pornography was obviously doing something, or 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 providing something as as sick as that feels saying, providing something that prevented sexual assaults. I think then you say, well, what was that thing? What was that thing? We would need to look into that. What was that thing that was being provided by pornography that is no longer being provided that um, that is leading to these higher rates of sexual assault? And then what we do is we try to find a way to meet that need without legitimizing and legalizing the porn industry. Mm-hmm. So I think that... What if the way certain- that you meet that need is child marriage? Well, I don't support that at all. And I <laughs> well, think- see, look, this is these are the trade-offs. That's why I'm like, you have to look at the, you have to look at the facts on the ground. Like, I, I understand the pornography offends your sensibilities, but like, if pornography is cutting sexual assaults in half, I would rather people perving out on pornography than women being sexually assaulted. Uh, if those were the only two options, then of course I would agree. I don't think that this it's a realistic scenario, but in, in sort of the thought experiment you offer, if it was, so are you saying that in this, in this experiment, um, child marriage would be well, the only solution? Well, look, I just, I threw it out there because it obviously would be worse than, I think child marriage would be worse than the pornography I agree or, with or you. the, or the sexual assault, but. Look, I know child marriages exist in some societies, so I don't look. I don't think we should go to child marriage myself, but I agree. I don't. I look. I I think there has been some studies on 
pornography lowering uh, the level of sexual assault in society. I don't know if, if they were done well. I haven't really done much looking into it. I can but believe I, that. I yeah. can absolutely believe that there are studies that say that, and they might even be true. But I don't right. think that the only solution then is to liberalize porn. I think there are other things we can do to reduce sexual assault. Well, Look, the, th the thing really, the only reason that I brought it up was I just, I think people should have some humility. Like, I think, like, you're, you should accept that your moral intuitions could be incorrect. Like, I should accept that my moral intuitions could be incorrect. And we have to use something like science <laughs> to, to basically figure out if these policies are really going to be better for society. Like, I, I don't, I don't think we should construct a society, a society just so it's aesthetically pleasing to some people. I You're think right. It should be I, functional. I, think, I, I agree with that. It should be functional. Yeah. I don't think that a society is functional when there is such widespread consumption of pornography. Right. I think someone, the, the, someone it's not, and it's not even purely aesthetic preference. It's not purely um, sort of a theological preference as to the my view of, of what is right under church doctrine or an Aristotelian sense of human flourishing. There are also actual empirical studies of the negative adverse effects of pornography. I mean, I mean, how how it affect, uh, treats um, affects what uh, gray matter, I think, or or, or the sort of the the brain development, mm -hmm. uh, porn addiction, uh, even that can develop in people even in adulthood. Uh, erectile dysfunction in men, the inability to sort of uh, unrealistic beauty standards. As far as the porn industry, trafficking of women and girls. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, there, there that stuff is horrible as well. Yeah. So I think that all that is to say is like there, there are, but but I don't think it's a, it's a zero sum game where, where um you know it's, it's porn or sexual assaults. I think that it's. It's what can we do if we want to eliminate these problems that porn brings, but we realize that eliminating porn will potentially increase sexual assault rates. Yeah, okay. it's a Chesterton's it's a Chesterton's fence thing. But then, what can we do that can thread that needle? Is it possible to thread the needle, or is it like Scylla and Charybdis, and you have to sail closer to one because the other one will destroy you? I have maybe. a suggestion. I have a suggestion, and maybe this will meet your aesthetic criteria. What if we permit people to marry sex robots? Well, you can't marry a sex robot. Well, why not? Look, it would be the closest thing to a traditional relationship. So instead of watching porn, they'd be banging the sex robot. Well, it's not traditional, and the robot can't consent as a human can. It's not, there's no, if you think of what marriage is, there's no actual, um, marriage being entered into it'd be like looking at my toaster and saying i marry you right you can't do that i that guess a toast i guess a toaster can't consent either but right it, it, it can't be done it's it's like a category error it'd be like saying a circle with straight lines it, it's you couldn't would you take the trade-off of sex robots we can we can do away with the marriage thing i thought that would actually be closer to your aesthetic but the just sex robots instead of pornography like society society makes a deal no more pornography only sex robots is that better or worse i guess that's the question you're asking it's i mean it's it's still it's still 
is a perversion of the human nature. It misapplies the the sexual impulse toward a a thing. So, um, what if the well, sex I, robots have artificial wombs? Wait, wait, wait well, I'm, <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, no, I say it's. I mean, this is this is why does it matter? Something's a perversion of human nature. Well, because we ought to. And this goes back to the theological. I mean, oh, right? okay, this is sure. where this is where we will this theological this is, commitments. Gotcha. And this is where this is why I say integralist adjacent, right? Um, because I, I do share in these theological commitments that I think should be reflected. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that you know you can't you can't distort it like that. I think that. Um, but 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 then again, I, I also acknowledge. I mean, again, if in this hypothetical where it's between the sex robots. And the pornography, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and they're and they're, and that we're in a vacuum, and there's nothing right. else. There's yeah. no other alternative. So there's no sort of. Yes. That's it. Right. Uh, both are going to have ruinous effects. Well, I mean, I would say pornography already has. I think pornography presents more dangers in terms of the trafficked. Yes, people. that's what I was thinking. I think sex robots could. Especially, are the sex robots stationary? Do they have personalities? Are they like, you know, do they have AI personalities that can talk to you? Or are they just machines that sit there and can be used? Um, Does it make a difference in terms of whether one's better or worse than than pornography? Yes. Because you don't want... Look, you can can put clothes on the robot and take it out to dinner. Do both. You have one scenario where the sex robot is just a thing that exists in your room for you to fuck. And you have another where it's like a literal robot that people think is a human being and walks around, talks to you, does all that stuff. I think that's even worse. <laughs> okay. That's worse that's, than porn, but the one in your room that's just stationary is better than porn. I mean, we functionally have that now. We have devices that, what well, we just put a human body around a a device, I mean, that we already have. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... You put chat GPT in a hot body, you know. Right, that's that's... To the extent that it can replicate human behavior, it's more dangerous. Okay. Okay. Um, I think. It, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, in terms of the the put a bow on the porn question, I think uh, both the people that are pro porn and anti porn. To me, the question is, um, in what is driving the pro or anti porn feeling? Is it based on an intuition from the beginning that it's good or bad? Or is it based on a, like, you don't really have, like a person doesn't have an intuition one way or the other, but then they just look at the effects that they think it is having or not having on society. And then you're kind of working out from that direction. So that'd be my question generally in this conversation, not to either of you specifically. Uh, Mark Spencer Venture for $50 says he was the one that asked you the question about the Catholic church being yeah, yeah, by power. Yeah. That's not what my argument was about. When the church was at its most powerful, it attracted the kind of people who wanted power, not people concerned at all with faith. And the organizational structure was not adept at deflecting that infiltration. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so it's kind of making yeah. the argument for liberalism that you're making, but towards Catholicism. No, I think I think the institution needs to be able to defend itself. And to the extent that it can't, whether it's liberalism, whether it's the Catholic church, that's a defect. The system needs an immuno, an immune system. I think the Catholic Church, for a long time, as and as most human systems do, if it if it amasses such power, it will attract Machiavellian actors, um, right. and they will they will they will take advantage of people and doctrine to to enhance their own power. I have no 
disagreement or dispute with that claim. I think that, uh, and again, I don't think that the church is immune from this. If anything, I think that the church historically has been particularly vulnerable to this because up until relatively recently, it's been a source of tremendous political power. And so I think that there's uh, there's there's real concern there, and that's something that I would be very worried about if the uh, church if the church were to regain a kind of uh, political power that it enjoyed 500 years ago. There would need to be serious changes to my mind about how about how church leadership is organized and and uh, advanced because mm-hmm. it would attract and I think it already probably does to a certain extent attract but it certainly would more so uh, attract people that are uh, not in it for the right reasons but so too for any organization or, or structured yeah. corporate well that would government. be a difficult hurdle to figure out if there was some level of integrationism into of, of the church into the state because that would you would have that problem that Mark Twain's talking about where people would just get into it because they're attracted to power. And you'd have to, it'd be very difficult to sort of uh, separate I think those things. The attraction to power inherently, if someone only has an attraction to power, I don't think that's enough to disqualify them. I think that sometimes an attraction to power can be a good thing. I think sometimes mm-hmm. we need an attraction to power and people who are attracted to power. But what 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 is sort of commingled with their attraction to power? Is it um is it is it just personal conquest, personal glory, wealth, um, glory? Yeah, or, or is it the the power in an instrumental sense to instantiate the good? And if that's true, then what is their view of the good? Right. So I, I think, think w- when he says attraction of power, he means if your primary purpose is an attraction of power, that usually means it's the type of person who is willing, like they're willing to do whatever it takes to get that power, mm-hmm. and so they're not going to be operating under like. You know what's the best thing for the most kind of people attitude so right uh she's in the chat she says tell you to dinner is almost ready <laughs> oh man okay i i have been smelling it for a while so i there suppose that it's uh it's coming soon are there any other uh are there any other be. chats or uh, okay questions? let me see if there are some some ones this has been a great conversation man thanks yes. for coming on i i really appreciate you guys taking the time talking to me and uh putting me to the coals a little bit. I think it's good. I think that my sphere on Twitter can be very, you know, insular and I don't hopefully Sitch wasn't too hard on you. I mean, he's sometimes he's like a ball buster. (laughs) I'm I'm an angel. Okay. I enjoyed it. Um, Lurker 9,000 says, do you know who Carl Sargon is? That would be an interesting conversation. I do know who he is, although I didn't until recently in the grand scheme of things recently. Um, But everyone told me, "Oh, you would like this guy," and they uh, they would call him Sargon. And I was like, "Who? Who?" Again, I'm not. I'm more online than the person you see on the street, but infinitely less than anyone here or in your chat. Probably Compared to shoe, you're like, "Oh, baby." Exactly. Um, <laughs> or normal. Um, and so, and so, everyone's like, "Oh, you'd really like him." Um, and then he and I, we've exchanged messages now, and uh, we we had plans very tentatively to talk at some point. Never really came to fruition. Life, and again, this isn't what I do for a living, so. It never, it just never came to pass. But maybe one day, because I listened to him when he spoke with you guys. Um, oh, and I, I remember I was sitting there as, was uh, as the liberalism conversation. I, I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah. maybe there was more than one. We've but everything like he said, like I would, yeah. I would listen to one of you guys say something, yeah. and I would then respond, and then he would say it like two seconds later, and and I was with wow. Shu, and we were both like laughing so hard because I would say something, and then he would say it. We were like on the exact same wavelength. And now you got to live that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right. The cycle has been completed. Like truly. But but yeah, no, I I I I generally uh, like him from what I see online of him. Yeah. There you go. 
Uh, John Masters says, by Yuda's standard, Christianity failed to retain social dominance is evidence of its failure. As a Christian, I'm not willing to to cede that. It's an interesting mm. question. No, I, I, Christianity is going to win in the end. So, I mean, let's let's hope. I think. Why are you are laughing? Multiple... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, no, all good. I think there are multiple forces that are hostile to Christianity right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, and I think that Christianity has failed to protect itself and to guard against these hostile forces. Um. But I think that if there's anything that's worth preserving, like like the like the person said, whoever it was, they said they're not willing to cede that. I'm not either. Um, and I think that if there's anything worth fighting for, it's that. So despite the fact that it has failed to protect itself sufficiently, um, I think that that, that that if there's anything mm. worth fighting for, it's that. You're not going to be a post-Catholic. It's certainly not. A lot of people have predicted. <laughs> they've said uh, they said I'll eventually become Orthodox or or Muslim even. Um, wow. What I. Uh, what? I don't know. I don't know enough. I don't know how they could think that. But uh, I think it's those people who think that think that I entered. I became Catholic solely for political preferences. That I sort of said, I want to be based, and what religion is based, and I did right. it that way. But that that wasn't <laughs> what happened, right? Right. Um, I was actually convinced in the classroom, and so I then developed my. It was downstream. The, all the political prior um, commitments were downstream of the religious ones, and so. If I hold the religious commitments in the highest regard, then no amount of, oh, it's based or like, like they, the red pill sphere is really doing this lately with Islam. Um, mm-hmm. But but if I think Islam is wrong, theologically, then I could never become Muslim. It doesn't matter how red pilled or based or, or politically conservative it is. It doesn't matter because it's incorrect. I think Christianity is incorrect theologically and correct psychologically. So that's if, why I think Christianity will win. I would like to I can't now. I got to eat soon apparently. But um <laughs> I would like to I would like to probe that at some point because yeah, that's sure. exactly where I was. I was when I was in my still non-religious phase um but becoming sympathetic to Christianity, I thought the exact thing and I then reverse engineered believing it to be theologically and philosophically true because I believed it was as you would put it psychologically true. Yes. Hmm. Christianity you can build the best societies with. Uh, well, that could be an interesting conversation in the future. Bob Burgers for $10 says, how old is Yuda? He sounds like he's 40 or so. Also, 40. Congratulations oh my gosh. on the 300th episode. Well, I'm not 40. I'm 29. Oh, wow. You're a, you're a wee lad. Okay. I'm a baby. There you go. Uh, let's see. What was the thing about the 300th episode? You just said late. Congrats on three hundred. Oh yeah. Uh, Lurker nine hundred for for ten dollars says Yuda is based but dry as hell. How <laughs> does him ah. and Shu get along? She's not based but hyper and sparky. She's well, pretty based. Of... What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Listen, opposites attract. I don't know what you're talking about. It's uh, also you know it's it's also the demeanor to, that I try to remain when I'm in these conversations or online, recognizing the fact that, you know, there's a difference between the public and the private, I guess, I guess this makes me a very, a very much a liberal, um, that there's different personas and different ways you act. And like, you know, I, it's not like I'm, like we said, I'm not sitting around here quoting Locke and, uh, right. all the, all time, as soon as the, uh, as soon as the computers are off. So, you know, it's right. get along well, I- better than people would think. I think my wife and I have talked about politics for maybe an hour 
in our entire relationship. Are you serious? Yeah, we don't talk about. We, Jesus I mean, we, Christ! I mean, we have we talk talked about, about politics, lot. but it's like in five minute chunks. I can't imagine marrying someone that I can't talk about like politics to. Really? We talk about politics. That's essential daily. for you. Talking about politics, psychology, yeah. you know, okay, societal okay. issues. I don't know. Some, I, I, why do you think I talk about it on the stream? Because it interests me. What the fuck do you talk to your wife about? Well, she's not. She's not really interested in politics, so. God, terrible. Uh, the Real Hultonator for $25 says, there's a song by a band called Hulk Off called Blood and Iron, which I think really captures the heart and spirit of right-wing psychology, particularly the last few lines. If you would listen to it off stream, I would greatly appreciate it. If not, though, I understand it's a good song if you like metal, if you ask me. So check it out. The song Blood and Iron by Hulk Off. We'll listen to it. I'm curious. Sounds cool. Um, Are there any more for you to? That's what I I'm mean, looking at here. Okay. <laughs> Look, I don't want to get you to in trouble. I know what it's like to be married. Come on. <laughs> I kind of want to get you in trouble. But... Well, we'll yeah. see. I'm, I'm, I'm sure dinner is. I mean, hopefully straight. we've got you in a little trouble already. So I mean, maybe I don't. I don't know the progress. I I smell it, but I don't know <laughs> how far along. Well, she we said are. in the chat. She says ready. Wait, it's ready or almost ready? I thought she said almost ready. Oh, it did oh. say it said almost ready. Oh, almost yeah. ready. Oh, you're right. You're right. You but go. that's sometimes almost is a test. That's, that's true. <laughs> Listen, has been married for a long time. It. He knows all the tricks. He knows I do. Look, I know all the tests. She hasn't barged Definitely. in yet. So there you go. Oh, once they barge in, it's too late. <laughs> it's too <laughs> late. Uh, Mark Spencer <laughs> Venture Two says get. Yuda's opinion on my Catholic hot take. What's your Catholic hot take? Yeah, what's the Catholic hot take? Oh, I'm here sorry. it is. I missed it. Mark Spencer Venture Temon says, My hottest Catholic take, we should return to openly treating Islam as heresy and calling Muslims Mumadins because they follow the, pro the false prophet Muhammad. The church should be the bulwark against Islamism. Wow. Huh. How do you feel about that? I think that it's not I think that people the religion should not be reduced to favorite color or ice cream flavor. I think that it's okay to say that you you know you take it to be true. And so in that sense of course I think Islam is wrong. I mean you either you either believe that Christ is the son of God and died for your sins or you don't. It doesn't mean that you think that you know anything else sort of about Muslim people but of, and they would say the same to me. Like that's the thing is We've, we've gotten so accustomed to treating religion as mere preference or opinion that we forget that they do entail beliefs. And so to, if I believe this about the Messiah and you do not, then I think you're wrong. And that's that should be okay to say. That's that's what religion is. I mean, um, that's your liberalism speaking. I think it should be okay <laughs> to just have this difference of opinions. It should, be, it should be okay for me to say they're wrong. Yeah, but you have to listen. You have to get rid of them, right? I don't think that's prudent. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You 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 passed the test. I tried to trick you. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mark Twain for says, heresy, never recite the Shahada. There you go. Lurker9000 for $10 says, wait, so shoes older than Yuda? Does that mean shoes a groomer? Uh-oh. It was projection the whole time. There you go. Well, anyway, that was the last question. Thank you so much for coming. All right. It was a very interesting conversation. Oh, 
yeah. thanks for having me. It was a good talk. I, it was, wow, what, two and a half hours. So, yeah, I really appreciate the time. And it was a good conversation. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to talk again. Awesome. Absolutely. would love to. Take care, man. Take care. Take care. Good dinner. night. Okay. Okay. Let me read the rest of the Super Chats. The rest of the to. Super Chats? Yeah. Well, there was some that were not questions to you, Joseph. So. Well, hold on I wasn't here. going to do this, but I'm going what? to do it. And then here's my only request. You tell me what? whether I should do stuff what? like that. Did you mute the thing? Did I mute what thing? The watch together. I didn't do anything. Oh, refresh your watch together. Oh. Would you leave the watch together? No, 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 no. We don't. We should save this for a, a clip or a video or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Watch so no, okay. we're not watching this now. Okay. Well we'll do this. Maybe we'll do this tomorrow. Yeah. He's talking about it. You're crazy. But I'm curious. I want to know. Listen, roll listen, right as the stream ends, we're gonna watch this and record a clip. Okay. <laughs> in the stream. Yeah, we're no, this... we're gonna end the stream and then we're gonna watch this clip and then we'll record it and we'll upload it, okay? immediately immediately well not immediately but like because oh, i don't know no. if i'm gonna be a, listen i'm gonna be wednesday's gonna be horrible kind, wednesday's gonna be kind of crazy for me so i don't know oh, if okay. we're in time to, to record okay that's fine so. this video is called oh no vosh attacks me as a genocidal psychopath it's by david pacman yes this was um where is it someone super chatted about this uh, finally two two people that we don't really like fighting with one another Fat Brown Buffalo for five dollars says drama alert. Vosh and Pacman are at war over the Israel Hamas situation. So there you go. So we'll put a video about that. We'll watch it. Put a video up about it. At some yeah. Point. Look. I mean, is this what Schadenfreude feels like? It is. <laughs> it is. It's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Okay, we'll bust out. We got to get right. to the super chats here. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I tried. Let's see. Sitch is in one of those dinner's almost ready modes. So I'm hungry. <laughs> um, no, listen, I'm just like cocky than everyone. Okay. And then I'll riled up and like, oh, you're going to have to watch it tomorrow or on Thursday or whenever. How we dare, put the how out. dare, how dare you breadcrumb us? I'm just saying, listen, because <laughs> it'd be difficult for me to be. Around on Wednesday to do a clip. So dumb versus dumber. Okay. What? What's? Uh, oh, okay. Wednesday, you got the con or something? No, I'm just gonna be out all day. Oh, okay. Normally, I have to. Normally, I spend the day trying to find stuff to cover. I'm not gonna be home for most of Wednesday, so be difficult. Right. Critically, Chibi for five months says, "Sitch, I owe you an apology." I missed everything you said in the last five minutes because Adam's filters are so funny. S-Class is the best class. And Mongo's Unite. There you go. Yeah, I saw you. We were having a serious conversation about liberalism. Adam's got all sorts of wacky filters going on in the background. We figured out how to get the big handlebar mustache on Wormy. He's putting, be putting blunts everywhere. I saw what was going on there. Look, I got to keep these kids entertained. Will you, yeah. will you talk about philosophy and stuff i mean listen actually the I'll conversation the, was fascinating look yeah, i was people, paying attention yeah right 
Our part of the conversation was better than your part of the conversation. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Oh, yeah. Quickly, Chibi, thanks so much for the five gifted memberships. Thank you. Uh, Joe Sullivan for 14 months says, PSA McCain and George W. Friended on a dynamic duo of war hawkishness. Been holding that in for 400 miles. A team reigns supreme. Supreme. I don't like that. No, it's the best. Come on. good. What about sus, 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 sus? Like, it's very suspect. It just, it reminds me too much of, like, Taco Bell. No. Taco Supreme. Amazing. A-Team Reigns Taco Supreme. Okay. It's like the nuclear warhead coming in at you. That's not, that's, that's the, that's like the metal detector sound. Oh, it is. I should have done this one with the with the Lego. Uh, Rose Redux for ten dollars says, "I cannot, for the life of me, imagine a conversation between this guy and Shu. They are such different people, but they are married, not just dating. That is funny to me. I mean, they have a lot of overlap in terms of that they both think society's fucked at the moment, so they probably just have a disagreement on the solution to that. So." Look, opposites attract. Yeah, I that's, just, opposite yeah. Attract. that's true. Buckethead for five months says A team reigns supreme. S class is worst class. Wow. Awful. I can't wait for more anti communist streams. My friend keeps using communist terminology. I hate it. Well, there you go. Uh, Gohe Mag for 15 months says, I'm a bit behind, but Indiana used to not do daylight savings times when other states did. So we would go from central to east, depending on the time of the year. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. So you, you just tell people, you tell right. people your eastern time. Uh, Equish at Ox for $2 says, good conversation. Y'all killing it with the guests lately. Well, good job, Adam. We're always killing it with the guests. That's true. What do we, what do we have lined up next week? I don't know. Who do we have lined up next? Let me see here. Oh, I think Kathy Young is penciled in. I have nice. to check with her and make sure that's for real. And the Vanguard boys are going to come on. They made fun of one of Sitch's tweets or something. Oh, my God. How dare. I know. So we got to bring them on and fucking Socials. spank their asses. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, Brian Bishop for ten dollars. Look, I love it when two people come on because then we can like full debate mode. Right. Two v two. Full double date. I mean double team. I mean two v two. <laughs> come on, don't be gross. <laughs> Brian Bishop for ten dollars says, "Adam and Sitch, I need you to resolve an argument between me and my wife." Oh no. Okay, you ready? Mm -hmm. If you use the bathroom and then immediately take a shower. Do you wash your hands in between? I mean, you can just wash your hands in the shower. With what? With the soap and... With the body soap? Water, yeah. Well, you use different soap? Uh, From like what I use to wash my hands and what you... I use in the shower? Well, yeah. You just you have, have like, like a bar of soap? You just have like the Dove bar of soap or something? What do you mean? Well, I have a bar of soap that is for my body mm -hmm. and... I do have like a hand pump thing for my hands. So, right. I mean, right, I guess right. it technically is different. But... It is different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, 
wash my hands. If I go to the bathroom and I'm going to shower, I wash my hands first. Right. Because, I mean, you're still touching things before you, you know, you're touching the bottle that's got your body washing. You're touching mm -hmm. the door. You're touching your clothes that you're taking off. Right. Yeah. You're touching the faucets in the shower. Right. And everything. Touching your teeth. I mean, I'm not touching my teeth. <laughs> you're uh, very touchy, man. You're touching everything. Yeah, well, I'm just okay. What do you? So, okay, this is what happens. Adam goes into the, to take a shower. He opens. I go the like door. this. I turn. I turn the shower on my elbow. Yeah. He no no no. Adam opens the door of the shower. He turns the shower on. Okay. Then he goes. He takes all his clothes off, so he's naked. Sits in the toilet, <laughs> and then pisses or takes his shit, and then flushes it. And then he jumps into the shower without touching anything. And he immediately, oh, and he, somehow you I've already have soap before. on your hands. Okay, I've done that before. I've done that maneuver before. What's the point of doing that maneuver? That's that's so much more work than just fucking washing your hands. Well, look, sometimes the water it the water takes a while to heat up anyway. Oh, okay. I don't have that problem usually. But... Okay. Our Gross. water heater's all the way on the other side of the house, so sometimes mm. it takes a while to heat our shower gotcha, up. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, no, I wash my hands first. I wash my hands. Um, and you should wash your hands. Don't don't be an atom. Be a sitch. I incessantly wash my hands. I wash my hands okay. a lot more than most people do. I'm like mm, a okay. habitual hand washer. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I don't yeah, like I'd say wash I your hands. Like have it's dirty hands. Not a huge deal if you don't wash your hands. Unless listen, if you're just peeing, it's not a huge deal if you don't wash your hands before you go in the shower. Um, as long as you use the soap in the shower before you start rubbing all over your body. If you take a shit, you should 100% wash your hands before you take a shower. Okay, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Every time I turn my camera off, I wash my hands. <laughs> wow. Okay. I've washed my hands like seven times. It's true. You guys don't know this. In Adam's room, there's a little sink, a shower, like right off camera. Okay. Like I wash my hands in the sea monkey aquarium. It's, yeah, he's got little sea monkeys. You should show everyone your little sea monkeys. They've seen them. Oh, okay. They know about the monkeys. They know about the monkeys. All right. Uh, Brian Bishop for another $2 also says, Adam is handsome as fuck. Look at that. Thank you. Yeah. Look at that. You're married, Brian. Okay, relax. Calm down. Yeah, chill out. Jeez, your husband's going to be very jealous. Brian's married to a woman. Oh, really? Okay. He said does that he was the argument between him and his wife about washing their hands in the shit before the showers, though. Nice. Uh Stuck for two dollars says uh, you should retile the stream to quote applying the righteous mind. Yeah, that would make sense. That works. Okay, let me start. Where did oh, we, I are we almost done? Off. Nice. I don't remember where I left off. Or I'm with the bathroom and you came on. Let's see. Blah. Oh, that's where you went. What is the wow character that I need to get? What do you mean? I was doing a little wow research while you guys were talking. Really? Yeah. What do you mean what's like, the wow There's character? like a Dementor. Or a, a Dementor? I don't like know. Like from Harry Potter? Yeah, see, I thought that was a Harry Potter character. 
That's the little ghost guy from Harry Potter. I couldn't remember the thing that the invincible character in WoW. I don't know. You tell me. I can't remember. I gotta back <laughs> keep, the stream up. Keep coming up. up with names. I want to hear you keep trying to guess. Look, I'm gonna use the. I'm gonna use the transcript once this video is done. Wow, Death Knight. Death Knight. That's it. I'm writing it down. It's you can't over. play Death Knight though. Watch me. Because <laughs> they they don't exist on hardcore vanilla, which is the oh. whole point of getting you to play. Lame. Death Knight or Death Knight? I don't know. You, which one do you think? If you had to guess. <laughs> Let me think here. <laughs> if you had to guess, which one do you think it is? Is the character into loud heavy metal music? I mean, maybe. Okay. Then it's got to be Death Knight. <laughs> there you go. Death. Like Death Clock, right? Death, yes, exactly. Like Death Clock. It's a death knight, a knight who brings death. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh Nolan Games for one month says the graduate the gradation of citrus societies are based on rights and policies that are either collectivist or individualist. Binary A team. Yes. There you go. Exactly. I don't know what that means, but okay. Uh means I win. That's all okay. you need to know. I think they're saying that that I that you can have a gradation, but each but each part of the gradation could be a binary, which is theoretically true, but I don't know if I agree exactly with that concept. Seal Rat, thanks so much for the one gift of memberships. Oh, look at this. J-Max giving me a tip here. He's giving you a bad tip, though. Oh, he is? Damn, I mean, J-Max. no, J-Max giving you a great tip. What, do you what are you doing? J-Max giving you a fantastic tip. That's J-Max for, for this $20 says, this Adam, <laughs> make a gnome warlock Look, I better look this up. I feel like J Mac might be gaslighting me. Here. You think he's? You think he might be tricking you here? Let's see what this looks yeah. like. Want to bring up a gnome warlock? Huh? I mean, this looks like it dies instantly. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the picture. You you want to be a gnome warlock? <laughs> I don't look. I don't know that this guy's this guy's gonna live very long. You don't want to be a gnome warlock, Adam. He looks you don't, very want the, you don't want the demons you summon to be like way bigger than you. Well, this one has pink hair. Oh, I could be a chick one. Yeah. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the twenty dollars. I'm Thank gonna you. pass on the tip. <laughs> I sent you a picture. That's a no more luck. Look how cool oh, that I guy brought, looks. I brought one up. Oh, okay. Nice. But look, I'll look at your picture too. Maybe it's even more ridiculous than the one <laughs> I found. Back in back in the day, gnome warlocks used to be they were good awful to, to deal. Well, gnomes. So Here's a lot citrus. of a lot of Warcraft PvP is all mm. about crowd control. So what? You, like the mob comes and gets you? No, no, it's PvP. So when you're playing, it's like another player. Okay. So there's a lot, there's characters can stun you. We can't move. Characters can slow you. So you're really fucking slow. Characters can like fear you. So your character runs around. You can't control it. And gnomes have a racial ability that used to be super fucking overpowered. I don't know if they still have it. Where like it was on like a minute or two minute cooldown, which automatically removed any movement impairing 
slow or snare. And so it was like, like Gnome used to be like the best alliance class for PvP because they had that. And Undead were the best Horde class for PvP because they could go immune to fear. So for like four seconds or whatever it was. Now, J-Max, speaking my language here. Warlock's for twenty dollars sexy says, succubus. There you go. Well, no, you said that you were going to be a warlock when we talked about it. You were going to be an undead warlock. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, J-Max for twenty dollars says, no, Sitch, they changed the dot amount so Affliction is actually viable and classic on hardcore mode. Also, warlocks get a sexy succubus, Adam. Well, there you go. You know, I, I would recommend Adam to be a warlock. That is, warlocks are great. I mained a warlock in uh, Burning Crusade. But not but, a gnome um, one. But yeah, he just doesn't want to be a gnome. <laughs> Sexy succubus. He's gonna be a he's gonna be an undead probably. So let's see how oh, that is a sexy succubus. <laughs> did you oh just did you just goodness. Google sexy succubus or did you Google like Warcraft succubus? I just Googled sexy succubus. Okay, you understand that's not gonna show you what they look like. Why? You have to look for Warcraft succubus. Nothing has made me want to play World of Warcraft more than this Google search. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I mean, they look pretty good in Warcraft, just so you know what they look like. Though, actually, you might be turned off. There's some... They do have they do have elf ears. You're not going to like that. Oh, awful. And they do have another feature that you're not going to like. Awful. They do have another feature that you're not going to be super happy about. Here, I'll send I'll what show is you a that? picture. I'll show you a picture here. I can't do the, I can't do the elf ears. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that lady? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like not, that? Not good. You don't like that? What's the problem? It reminds me of the donkey movie. <laughs> You can bring the picture up so people know. Okay, here we go. Yeah. We're going to get in trouble for this picture? Maybe. I don't think so. Sitch. Sitch, want, Sitch watched a donkey movie more than one time, you can tell, because he no, likes I didn't. it. Because <laughs> he I see. I didn't even think you were going to go in the donkey direction. I thought you were going to make a joke where you say that that lady is in dire need to shave her legs. Those are hairy. I mean, she needs to shave those hooves. <laughs> What's what going the, on with her feet? Near the ankles, she's got like, I guess it's hair. I don't know. Something weird going on there too. You see, there's like shit sticking out. Yeah. Well, listen, like the top spikes. half of her is hot, Adam. Okay. Let's say that like the top three fourths of her. Okay. Thighs yeah, are fine, right? It's just when you get below the knee that you're like, hmm. Something about 100% human women. Just, I mean, that's yeah. the right amount. Okay. Okay. What do you guys think? <laughs> let's do it. Let's do a poll. What are you gay? Do wow. What are you a beat? What do you uh? What do they call a person who's into bestiality? Such. You just this bestiality. What do you mean? Well, I mean, they have. Oh, a, you oh, know what oh, a necrophilia like a is, or right? something? Oh, okay, a zoophile. You're a zoophile. <laughs> Take that. 
Okay, here's here's the here's the question. Boom, there's your poll, everybody. We'll see how everyone feels. Oh no, wood, wood not. <laughs> wow. Succubus. Yeah. Is that is this a, the succubus is the like donkey lower half? That's the succubus. That's what it looks like in world. Really? With the little cloven hooves, yeah. Because like a demon. You know, like okay. old devil cloven hooves. I mean, I've dated a lot of demon women and they never look like this. Really? I didn't know that. JMAC for $20 says, I just want Adam to play Alliance so I can play with him. I thought you were... Oh, that's right. You went to Night Elf. Listen, Jay, if you're playing, whenever we eventually get Adam to play, we'll we'll play whatever faction you play, okay? You're our yeah, father. Yeah, of course. Be happy to play with you. That's not the hardcore version, right? No, he's playing the hardcore version. Oh, it is the hard... It's still... I thought we were, I was getting out of the hardcore no, detail. No, no. Oh, you okay. would play if Adam, if we played Alliance, Adam would be a uh, human warlock because you definitely don't want to be a gnome. And I don't think any of the other human Alliance races can be warlocks except for human. So it would be a human. You'd be a boring old human warlock. Humans are great. What are you talking about? Humans are boring. Why? What do you look? Humans, humans invented. Wow. How is that boring? <laughs> Listen. So, so far in the poll, 72%, 70% would. I didn't even answer. Would. I didn't even answer the poll. So, Look, huge I'm, majority. I'm putting would. not in. I'm putting not interested. I'm right. reporting the poll. <laughs> okay. Okay. Would not. There we go. Oh okay. my God. Can you Let's imagine? See, where was I? She's like, suck on my toes, sitch. Ew. Well, okay, listen, I'm like, whoa, bitch, hold on. <laughs> I think I have some manure stuck there between my toes. Will you get <laughs> it for me? Well, listen, you she's a demon you've enslaved, okay? Tell her what to do. Oh, really? As a warlock, yes. She looks like she has serrated teeth. She probably does. She's a fucking demon. So I don't know. How can you tell? A picture. I don't think you ever see her teeth. No, she has fangs. She doesn't have no. teeth, but she has fangs. Okay. Um. Ba, ba, ba. Oh fuck! We forgot to ask you about the dog take. Yeah, what was that all oh, about? I totally forgot about that. Majin for sixteen months says, "Howdy, pumpkins." So then, no risky yet tasteful such an Adam billboards on if I already read the one, and the answer was yes. Uh, Your poor uncle for two months says, can't see Adam, sit or Adam. Good. Wow. Hurtful. What do you mean? I don't know. Did I turn my camera off, I think? Maybe. Danny Grover for two pounds says, now we know your stance on daylight saving times. True. Um, Ethan Rogers for five dollars says, his take was that no dog should be allowed in public spaces, that they have no benefit to society. He said this on Twitter. It should be there. Wow. Yuda. We're going to have to have a conversation crazy. about that next time. That is crazy. I think everyone should have one of those little purse dogs. A little pupper? Yeah, a little exactly. pupper, a little purse pupper? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. How does he, how does he not like dogs? What a they psycho. Be, 
You listening, you know? listening, shoe? What the fuck? What's going on there? That's a red flag. Uh, Danny Grover for two pounds says, what's your thoughts on the 13-month calendar? The 13-month calendar is an interesting idea. My understanding is that the point of it is that it eliminates daylight saving times. And I'm sorry, it eliminates uh, leap leap years. years. And it makes every month the same. I forget, it's like every month is 28 days or something. Um, There is a huge problem with it, which is that Mm -hmm. 13 is not an even number. <laughs> so you cannot divide it into sections that are easily uh, divisible. You can't so divide like, it into quarters. Yes. So if you wanted to do quarters for the 13-month calendar, you would have to do it in the middle of months. It wouldn't line up neatly with month. So in that, like the midpoint of the year would not line neatly with month and we as humans structure too many things around the quarter and half month cycle yeah the whole so, stock market is functions around the quarter right so i don't think a 13 month calendar would make would be viable just to have uniformity for days in the month and uniformity to not have a leap year which that's not really as important or really important at all compared to just um you know, being able to section society into quarters and things of that nature. Plus, I hate paying bills and having to pay bills an extra, a whole extra month. How about this? How about the four-month calendar? How about that? How do you like them, Apple? The four-month calendar? Yeah. yeah. It's one you know, long month. Like, so each... You pay your rent at the beginning of the month. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Four well, times. You know, if you had a 13 month calendar, you'd have to pay your rent a lot more. Well, you know? one month more. I mean, it's not well, one, a lot, yeah. but still, I, I look, I don't like doing it 12 months a year. I'm, I'm more for the four month calendar. Okay. I like that. So yeah. it's like one month per season. Yeah. You just have winter, spring, January, summer, February, fall month. January, yeah. February, and March is. Yeah. I, I mean. You. Well, no, no, no. It should be by se- it'd be by it'd be by season. So December, January, February would be one month. You know, March, April, May, June, July, August. Oh, you want to do it that way. November. So you want to call it summer, spring, fall. Yeah, it'd be summer, spring, and winter, and fall. Fall Those and would be winter. The okay. Um, I mean, can you, shouldn't you change it to like? Oh, I guess. They all end in ER anyway, so. Springer. <laughs> the 13th of Springer. <laughs> okay. That sounds, that sounds stupid. When you go, it'd be like the 60, it'd be like Springer 65. Yeah, you would get in the 60s, yeah. When you get in the Springer, 90s, Springer 65th. Yeah, you'd be like it's the eighty first of of winter, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, seems seems wrong, doesn't it? Look, I can get used to anything if I only have to pay bills four times a year. There you go. Yeah, but your bills would be four times expensive. Oh yeah, it'd be so painful, wouldn't it? Yeah. Damn it! <laughs> My rent is like ten thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly. Uh, your poor uncle for 100 Kazarkazark says, I farted in a train full of people. <laughs> Good. 
There you go. There's your objective morality. I like it. Wow. Wow. I, uh, I think society's going to make it from that. Well, I mean, how bad was it? Uh, Dodos for 10. Aussie Buck says, hey, Adam, I have got a question about the MMT video, but I couldn't fit it in chat. I sent it in a DM if you can get to it. Keep up the good work. I vote for the economics talks. Screw the collective will. Oh, okay. What did he send you? Well, Dodums, I did look, and it. I'm just boiling it down to the essence. He basically says, you know, if you and I exchange money, how is it different? Well, the, let me just jump to the last sentence. He says, why would we apply a different conception to tax payments than like you and I, than me paying you for something? I don't understand the question. Well, he said, why is it conceptualized look, like when you pay the government, why is that different than, than you, you paying me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. What's it's the answer? Diff- well, it's different because the, the government doesn't, is the issuer of the money. Right. Taxes, ta- uh, taxes serve the purpose of creating demand for the currency. Me paying you whatever I owe you doesn't create demand for the currency. Right. I already have a demand for a currency. You already have demand for the currency. You're paying me to meet that demand where you paying the government tax money is to create demand right. for the currency. Yes. Sure. The and reason, the government can the reason also... you're accepting my currency right. is because you can use that currency to, to pay your taxes. Yes. And also the government can create money and I yes. don't have that ability to create money. So therefore that changes the calculation, right? Sure. It'd be a lot easier to pay me if you could just create money. Sure. Did you know that the original banks were metal smiths? Cause no. everyone, everyone would keep, so everyone would take their gold to the metal smith because they mm-hmm. had safes that they could put the metal in. Mm-hmm. And the metalsmith oh, would write a little receipt. Mm-hmm. Here's how much gold you've got in the safe. So you could use that receipt. That receipt became like the currency, right? Ah, but then, the, but then okay. the metalsmiths figured out they were like, "Wait a second here! I could just write a bunch of these receipts. And I could <laughs> go all over town. I could buy whatever the fuck I want." Uh huh. And that was the original first inflation of the currency. That's hilarious. <laughs> Did you see that the JFK thing that I sent you? No, what was that? There's some conspiracy theory that I didn't really understand. JFK wanted to do some weird thing with silver certificates, and people, some conspiracies like, this is why he was killed. Oh, really? It's a silver certificate. He was going to put us on the silver standard? No, it wasn't that. Um, Executive Order 11110, delegating the Secretary of the Treasury, the President, authority to issue silver certificates as amended by the Gold Reserve Act. The order allowed the Secretary to issue silver certificates if any were needed during the transition period under President Kennedy's plan to eliminate silver certificates and use Federal Reserve notes. Did you ever watch the rest of that MMT thing? Because Mosler talks about the gold standard in that thing. No, I have it Quite open and I never finish yeah. it. I should listen to it. That's a really good one. I'll do that. 
whatever. Oh, I'll get the silver thing later. Uh, thank you so much. It says someone, that's weird. It says someone's been a free will seeker for 13 months, but they have no avatar and no name. So I don't know. It's, it's a glitch, but thank you, whoever that was. Wow. Um, Lurker9000 for five dollars says, talk to you about Game of Thrones, Sitch. Oh, I'll have to save that for next time. Jay Macker, so we're gonna follow for ten dollars for twenty dollars. Thanks so much. Says Adam, I leveled up cooking. I'll send you all the crocolisk steaks you can eat. Look at that! What a nice guy. Nice. I'll take them. You should make Adam level up cooking himself. Okay. That's wow cooking. Yeah. Wow. What uh? Wow. What professions in wow do you want to do, Adam? Me? Yeah. I'm thinking ninja. Okay, that would be like a class, and you already said warlock. If you want to be a ninja, you could be a rogue. That's the closest thing to a ninja. There is a ninja? Oh, wow. Well, there's a class that can go invisible and stab people in the back, right? That's a rogue. Okay. That could be you want, fun. Do you want that? You want to have the sexy donkey succubus? No, look, the who's really threw me off. I'm not down with the succubus anymore. That's hilarious. I'm not down with the donkey. Well, I'm glad we learned about it now. You invest in the character, get to level 30, and you're like, hmm. All the way here, and I get yeah. this? You get this, yeah. You get to ride a flaming horse? That's pretty cool, right? Look, I, I like anything that's on fire. Well, you should be a warlock then. You literally get to put yourself on fire if you want. Okay, human warlock it is. Okay. No, you're, here are your can choices. I be, can I be a weapons expert? Not if you're a warlock. You asked me about my vocation. Yeah, yes. I would like to be an accountant. Okay, here are your <laughs> options. Okay. You could be a miner. A miner. Okay. You can choose two of these. You could be a mm. miner. You could Does be... that mean I can't drink or no, it means you literally mine. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Uh you could be a flower picker. Oh. A you could flower be picker, huh? A what skinner? Kind of... Is this opium poppies? What am I picking? You're picking little flowers. What okay. Do you, mean? you can be a skinner. A skinner. Yeah. Okay. You can be an alchemist. Oh, alchemist. That sounds high status. Okay. You could be an enchanter. Let's see if I can do, if I can remember these all from memory too. Enchanter. You could be a blacksmith. You mm. could be an engineer. Am I missing one, guys? I feel like I'm missing something. I think Alchemist sounds pretty cool. Okay. Alchemist is a great choice. Alchemist, if you're an alchemist, you'd be an alchemist uh, herbalist. So you'd be an alchemist flower picker because all the alchemist stuff requires like flowers to make. Jewel Crafter was in Burning Crusade. That was not in Classic Well. Hmm. So there you go. I'm going to be an uh, a human, a leather worker, human warlock, alchemist, flower picker, flower picker, right? Taylor, thank you, leather worker and Taylor. I forgot those two. Oh, leather worker. Yeah, that's like from Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Okay. You don't want to be an engineer. Engineer is fucking a classic. Wow, was fucking a beast to level. Really. 
they they full on give you like SAT tests to take. Oh my god, that and enchanting and, and vanilla WoW enchant leveling enchanting and engineering was like fucking the worst. What do you got to memorize stuff? No, this... I'm playing a game. I want to run around and shoot things. I no, don't the wanna... mature. The, so the way the and the way the 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 jobs work is in order to level up your job, you have to make shit. Mm -hmm. So like if you're an alchemist, you make potions, and then when you make a potion, like procs, and you get one skill point. Um, and so same thing with like engineering, you know, you have to make a little engineering shit to to upgrade it or to do enchanting. You have to make an enchantment or whatever. It's just that the materials required are a lot worse and more extensive and more obnoxious to get. Where with with uh, there alchemy, better not the, be any sandwich making in this game, man. Well, what do you define sandwich making by? Look, this is if you just, this if you have Subnautica to go all over again. Listen, if you have to go pick flowers in a field, okay, and then you take those flowers and you you crush them up into a potion and make it, is that considered sandwich making to you? <laughs> it's definitely in the same ballpark. Okay, so Adam's not going to do any professions. He's just going to be a warlock with no professions, which is fine. You don't have to have professions, but look my i'm a professional killer okay? okay i run around and shoot things you know what is true you're gonna your character is gonna die early so there's no point in leveling a profession anyway it's a, yes it's a great, what the uh, hell you're right you know i'm what? not going what to school thought? i'm gonna live fast and die young yeah I'm there gonna you get go. in there and kill things mm -hmm. jmac for 10 hours says in hardcore you 100 need to go engineering because the target dummy have saved my ass countless times and only engineers can use them. Oh, that's a fantastic point. I didn't even think about that. Oh, no. So the no, engineers have, have a little thing called a target dummy they can throw out that like makes the enemies, like they'll lose aggro off you for a second and they'll attack the little target dummy instead. Oh, okay. And so since you want to not die because it's permanent, yeah, that's a great point. You'd want to be an engineer just to, just for that one purpose. Hmm. Why do people play this game? You'll play it and find out. Okay, it better be fun. I mean, it'll be fun for the people watching you get upset. <laughs> I'm so chill, though. I'm not, there's no way I'm going to get upset. The first time that Adam draws a conga line of mobs and I'm standing there watching him die, Adam's going to be very upset. I'm just going to be chill. <laughs> sad, sad, sad. <laughs> And I'll be like, chat, here's a poll. Should I let Adam die or should I save his life? <laughs> uh, hmm. I forget what class I'm going to play. If you're going to be a warlock. Okay. Uh, boop, boop, boop. Read that one, read that one. I should bring up CT's. Read that one picture in its entirety here. Yeah, it's a cool picture. Uh, that one, that one. That. <coughs> Adam unfriended for $20 says, I disagree that bots and sex bots will extend the issue. We have been, we have seen since the 60s. Instead, bots will help incels and fem cells. The better therapy solution and allows us to return to, to tradition. S class is the best class. Well, that was my idea. Why is that was your idea to S class? Well, he's not. He's just saying S class is also best oh, okay. class. Irrelevant of that idea. Gotcha. Which is true. 
It's just Abby for five Aussie bucks says night elves are the best played them all the time in Warcraft three. The Panda Brewmaster was such a fun hero unit. Wow. I never, I never liked the night elves in Warcraft three. I was more of a, an undead or orc guy. Honestly, I never could get into the night elves, even though I really liked Illidan as a character. I was Tank like was the, supposed uh, to be on the Breakfast Club today. Wow. Okay. We can't watch that though because they always hit us. I know. Those bastards. I wonder Those... if they'll give him the Vivek treatment. Probably not. You don't think so? He's progressive. Progressive. Stuck oh, for five dollars yeah. says not related to anything today, but a guy named Chris Freeman. On uh, calls himself a neoliberal and thinks, and I think is in favor of UBI. He's a professor of economics. Cough, potential guest, cough, cough. There you go. If you want to bring him on, Adam. He's a half Freeman on Twitter. What is he? Chris Freeman. Uh huh. He's a neoliberal who's in favor of UBI. Oh, okay. Kind of interesting combination of things. That could be fun. Dr. Lou Fertuar says, I think the problem is that you're looking for solutions in the realm of the logical progression of wokeism. I think it's going to die just like the political correctness in the 90s died as a mass movement. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm, I do wonder how much of it only existed and took off because of rampant TDS. Or so many people on the left could only conceptualize that Donald Trump won because America is racist and sexist. So, we'll see. They fell for the cover story. They fell for the cover story, yeah. Dr. Live for $2 says, people get tired of it one day and that will be it. There won't be some logical retort or winning strategy. I think the other shoe will just drop and it'll become culturally celebrated to shit on progressivism. I mean, it's very, very possible. That kind of happened in the late 90s, early 2000s. So it was just more like, you know, like the cynicism... Of sh yeah, it was like kind of like shitting on that, like political correctness. So, I mean, that did happen. I think it will happen again. The most yeah. dope for $2 says, given his response, you should totally have asked him what he thinks about gay marriage. Oh, listen, that's a whole nother conversation. Okay. Uh, Dr. Live for $2 says, I only played WoW very briefly from like 2015 to 2016 at the late 2017 at the latest. I picked a blood elf death knight named Chalk Muncher. <laughs> and I realized I don't like the gameplay loop and went back to Warframe. There you go. Why did you name your death knight Chalk Muncher? That's the worst fucking name ever, Diddler. Right. That sounds like the automatic name that the game would assign your little ghoul pet would be Chalk, Mon Chalk Muncher. Yeah, if you're eating chalk, you know. Yeah, it's a weird name. If you're a Death Knight, you can get a little ghoul pet at him. And they give it a little cutesy name randomly. Sure. I'm good at naming things. Okay. I'm because that good. name strikes fear into the heart of my enemies. I mean, you must have played it a while if you're a Death Knight. You got at least the level 55 or 58, whatever the fuck the level cap was for, for Death Knights. 
Uh, Boba Peck for 16 months says, oh, LMAO trying to be like, quote, our time zone. <laughs> the people's time zone. There you go. Also, S-Class is the best class task. Nice. I mean, soy. <laughs> what do you name your character, Adam? My character? Yeah. Character number one. You can't do that. Why? That's probably either taken or not allowed. Why? It's probably either taken or not allowed. I don't know. What, the, what, what do you mean? Why? Character number. You're just gonna one. you're just gonna put character, <laughs> and then just you're gonna keep hitting different numbers till you get one that lets you do it. I'm assuming it'll probably just pick one for me after I after I put. I think you can randomize one, a name. Right? I believe you can, but it's not going to be character number. It's going to be like some, you know, fake fantasy name or something. Oh, okay. Look, this character is supposed to die. I don't want to be, I don't want to get attached to it. You're like, it's like, we can't name the child till he's three in case it dies. Of course. Look, okay. I'll worry about names once I'm at level 20. Yeah, but you can't change your name. You're stuck with whatever. So you, you could get the max level and you'll have character 375129, you know? That's fine. <laughs> okay. Name my character zero one. Mm. That would be cool though. But I'm gonna spell it out. Right. Zero one. Look, you gotta <laughs> I'm gonna name my character the babysitter. Look, I can't I can't someone's gonna steal my name if I say anymore. I've I'm coming up with all these cool names and I'm just giving them away. So uh -huh. the names so you've all come up with like, have all been taken already. So it's like funny. How, do, how can where's the wow name checker? I don't know, but I can any wow name that you can think of that's like like a relatively normal checker. thing. Someone has already taken that name. Is there a way to see what server and name is not taken? There probably is. Yeah. Check name availability. Well, you have to do it for hardcore mode. So because it's gonna be different on the server and mode you're playing. Is it Blizzard forums? Is that where I look? I don't know. Wow. It'd probably be it probably be, you had to search the armory or something. I would name it the babysitter because I got a babysit Adam. Obviously, when we're playing wow. You're gonna be the babysitter. I'm That's gonna be I'm the saying. baby. I'd name my character the babysitter because I gotta okay. babysit you when we're playing. Look, I'll just be baby one seven five six zero two. That would actually be really funny. Actually, I'm gonna be <laughs> the baby. One, yeah, if seven, I was like six, zero, babysitter two. and Adam was the baby zero zero one, <laughs> and then when he dies, it's like the baby zero zero two. <laughs> it's just not where it's perfect. And I'm like, whoops, I just keep losing the baby, guys. I don't know what to tell you. It's perfect. That's pretty funny. There you go. Figured it out. We can make oh, a wild yeah. girl. That's right. We'll be the free will seekers, baby. Will be the free will the free willies or the free willies, <laughs> the free willies. How about that? That'll be our wow guild name, the free willies. The free willies. <laughs> we just run around naked. Yeah, I mean people do that. Why don't you run around in your underwear? So okay, free cool. willies. Whenever you're in, whenever you're in town, you have to run around naked. That's the rule, the guild rule. Well, okay. I can't believe you can't. There's so much interesting shit going on right now, and I can't believe you're you can't do a video tomorrow. What a little 
I'll try. I just it's gonna be difficult. Bitch. We have people to we have stuff to talk about. Adam unfriended for five hours says the engineer scout in TF2 is more Adam speed. Wow was too slow for him and too much big brain True. energy for his smooth brain energy. LOL. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. There you go. I mean, that is true. Is it really? I mean, is it really that hard? It's not hard. It's slow. Right. I've played TF2 in forever. Matthew Newman for five New Zealand dollars says MMT could sell it as the debt is now so high. The increase in government interest paid out is greater than lowering of the market due to private debt. A team reigns supreme. That's right. Did you Thank do that? you, Matthew. MMT could sell it as the debt is now so high. The increase in government interest payout is greater than lowering the market due to private debt. Yeah, no, that's true. That's exactly right. Okay. Kyle Petty for $10 says, my elephant is 18, but my writer is Esclasa. Great job, man, guys. I'd love it if you could get Ethan Klein on. I really do think it's possible. I would love to talk to Ethan Klein. Look, I sent him an email, but he never responded. So mm. I don't know how possible it is. I don't really have a contact. An Ethan Klein contact. Right. I do have a Hassan Piker contact. Huh? He responded to like an email or something? No, I have a contact. Oh, you're saying, yeah, Jank. <laughs> I mean, Jank's been on our show twice already. I know. Hassan's not going to talk to him. Um, that'd be hilarious, but he's not going to. Anyways. Oh, wow. Oh, wait, before we end. The final poll results. Wow, only 130 of you people were brave enough to answer the poll. 63% uh, would would do the wow succubus. And 37% would not. You. There you go. Dirty, dirty degenerates. I mean, 63% of people know what's up. Okay. <sighs> okay. Very, this is the audience you're cultivating, sis. <laughs> Listen, you just put some, you know, put some, uh, give you some can't nice put a bag on socks. that head. Look, those the horns, head is, the head is fine. Okay, you just need socks, get oh, some yeah. like long thigh high socks for the get some of those ballerina slippers. You just need some thigh high socks, all right, and then we're golden, right? Oh, yeah. The house get, socks are hot anyway. So get you, some of those leggings and some roller skates. There you go. Yeah, get some roller skates. I love do, it. Do her right up. Yeah, like a little roller girl. I love it. Anyways, thank you all for coming. Thank you all for your incredibly generous donations. Uh, thank you for the amazing fan art, everybody. And thank you, Yuda. Uh, Yuda man. Yuda money for coming on. It was a very interesting conversation. And thank you. You who have made it to the end of the stream. You are the true heroes. You are the true free will seekers. You are the true woods of wow succubuses. And we'll see you all next time.
Bye-bye.